Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add-ons like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Unitanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. My first beer was an IPA, the best IPA I've ever drank, mostly because I brewed it. If you have a scale that is good for measuring cocaine, you're probably good for measuring hops on cocaine. You're scaring me. <laughs> I think the information is awesome and the audio sucks. Make some sugary water, throw some yeast in there. And you're going to drink good beer. Yeah, it's, it's going to be good. It's fine. From the Brewing Network Studios in Northern California, this is the radio program for home brewers, craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with, well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is The Session. Welcome to the program, everybody. It's another great session lined up for you. Coming from sunny Pacheco, although now that the time has changed, um, it's not so sunny anymore. It turns into dark Pacheco right about now. Dark and stormy night. Luckily, Doc still found his way here. It's got bright lights on that Hummer. Oh, you know, I didn't run over too many people either. <laughs> That's good. Well, I think Doc's sitting so high in that thing, uh, you know, he's above the cloud cover. Doc got a new hat today. Oh, yeah. If anybody uh-huh. saw that. My what nice is- Kangle. Is that what those things are called? Yeah. Not to be confused with cankle. Yeah. Is, it, is that in support of uh, Obama being elected? Well, if I wore it this way, it'd be more of a beret. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, French. Yeah. You've got your own BN Army cankle. There's <laughs> <laughs> much grass. I like to see that. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. But only one, which is kind of weird. Yeah, it's very the cool. The logo on the back. Nice. Got a lot to do today, a lot to get to. I do want to point out that I went shooting again today, so I'm feeling nice and relaxed. Wait a minute, now, being Army license plates, shooting, what's this all? I mean, what are the neighbors thinking about this? I don't know, uh, but I got my gun safe all stocked and, and, and oh. put away. Uh, then you got me and Schumann walking out of the house with two shotguns and a <laughs> ammunition box at our side. I think they're getting concerned, Tasty. I'm going to go cleanse the <laughs> city right now. Yeah. Well, they're not going to F with you, that's for sure. No, they're not going to be messing with us anymore. No more complaints. No. Well, I didn't think they'd even bat an eye here in uh, Pacheco. You guys walking around like that. That's true. They won't bat an eye, but they'll probably deadbolt a door. <laughs> I did do a lot better this time around. Uh, you get 25 yeah. oh, clay, pigeons. clay pigeons in a round. And and got- when I went a couple weeks ago, when I got back, I hit nine. Of the 25. (laughs) I hadn't held a gun in years. Um, I got 19 today, consistently. 
Wow. 19. Out of three rounds, I think I got a 15 and two 19s, nice. and I was pretty damn happy with myself. Very good. Yeah. Very For those good. of you who are mathematically challenged, that's like 110% of the clay pigeons that I I always did. knew you could do it. <laughs> yeah. I always knew it. I'll assume me do. Uh, a little bit better on one of them, he got a 24. Psyched himself out when he got to near twenty three because he oh. thought, you know he said to himself oh I could get a perfect on perfect. this one oh uh, yeah never do it never and, jinx the shutout and man. then he missed number twenty three <laughs> but he hit twenty four and twenty five so he did oh, pretty wow. well and then I think he was in the uh, nineteen and twenty range <laughs> for the other two so it was a good time uh, tasty I, I thought about you today because I I think maybe I've given up golf for stress, stress release, <laughs> really relief, and I'm just going to pick up the shooting yeah this is not as frustrating. It's not as frustrating. It feels good to shoot it even if you miss, right? <laughs> That's not that way in golf. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, I, I stopped. That golf doesn't give me that calming effect that <laughs> shooting at things does. Yeah, well, so. you and a lot of guys in jail would say the same thing. Bro. <laughs> Man, you know what? I should have taken up golf. <laughs> yeah. And then just, uh, I, I do have to admit this little nerdy part about myself. You know, when I, I moved my gun safe into its uh, hidden location and loaded it up all nicely with the ammunition and the guns, and uh, I couldn't help but stare at the thing for like a good half an hour. I just felt like such a man that I had a gun safe finally. You know, that, that's Full of fine. ammo. Yeah, and that's fine, but if, it's when you, you stare at the thing for an hour while making a list of people. <laughs> yeah. That's when there's something, you got to dial that back. I haven't done that yet. All right. But I found myself counting how many guns I have over and over again because yeah. the number's really impressive to me all of a sudden. <laughs> so, you know, I just want to make sure. Exactly. Well, I find myself being nicer to you. I don't know why. <laughs> Do you have uh, enough room in that thing for your ski masks? I don't. <laughs> but uh, Shu and I did go to the gun store after we went to the gun range today and... Um, saw one of those little sawed-off double-barrel shotguns. <laughs> really the kind of thing that you only have because it looks awesome or you're going to rob somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and Schumann wanted to go to the register and ask if it comes with a ski mask. <laughs> and I said, I don't yeah. think you should do that. A raincoat, a ski mask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... That was a good time. Doc, really? you know, you're going to have to make time for this. I know you're brewing uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, but uh, the, the stress relief is unbelievable. Just, All right. Just shooting at stuff. You're going to feel better about yourself. That's whole like short guy complex you have. It's going to go away. Like <laughs> well, big guns. <laughs> yeah, you got giant guns. All right, so that was a lot of fun uh, today, and we do have a lot of uh, uh, things to get to in the show today. Uh, very pleased to announce and to welcome to the studio home brewer extraordinaire Shay Comfort. Thanks yeah. for coming on in. Thanks, gentlemen, for the invitation. Uh, I've been warned about you, Shay. <laughs> I've been warned that you have so much information that we may not be able to do it all in one show. <laughs> so we're going to have to see how that goes. <laughs> Well, I mean, there can be information light. Yeah. I, oh, no, no. The we, light we, version. We want information heavy. I'm just and, and, any, Anyone who knows me would actually start laughing right there and realize that's probably not <laughs> possible. It would never happen. There's no short answer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fair enough. We do have a couple of really good topics and really interesting and in-depth topics we're going to cover with Shay today. And uh, one of them is going to be yeast. And we're going to talk about uh, what the different types of yeast are in terms of beer yeast versus wine yeast, how they vary. Uh, Shay's going to teach us about blending yeasts and, and when is a good time to do it and when is not, what you can expect out of those things and flavor profiles and characteristics and a lot of things like that. So if you're really looking to um, you know, use yeast as, as an ingredient that you can change your flavor p- profile and, and, and start to manipulate that just like you do your grains, then this is going to be a good show for you to listen to. And then later on in the program, we're going to talk about oak. 
Now, I know we've done a couple of oak shows before, but Shay has a process where he just uses oak in all different parts of the brewing, and he's going to tell us about where you can use it and how it'll help and what you can expect and what types of oak. And uh, Shay knows about oak. He, he's the one that, that brought oak to, to more beer, actually, and started getting us at more beer into oak and then he he was the inspiration for the article that i wrote okay so he 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 fed me a lot of the information uh probably most of the information and uh, I see. So, so in some ways shay is the wind beneath your wings he's the he's the wind beneath wow. my wings yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of responsibility <laughs> a, yeah yeah i'm not some big wings. quite ready for that yeah, yeah. is the responsibility that, that explains uh, everything. you know being bet midler or is it being the wind underneath jp's wings i'm not sure which is more responsibility but. I'm not really into show tunes, so I think that would go back to... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jip, I got a song sent to me. Yeah? Somebody sent for you. you Want to hear it? What, Eye of the Tiger? No, they said no. this should be your uh, theme song. <laughs> Don't uh, stop believing. <laughs> Does anybody else find it uh, interesting that JP would automatically think his theme song is Eye of the Tiger? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I find that interesting. It's probably first on his list. Yeah. Uh, this is what was sent for you. This is about right. Everyone else has had more sex than me. Is that a rabbit on the screen? Scene? It is. The video is even better than the song. It's really well done animation with a rabbit. It's a sad rabbit. I am a sad rabbit. Sexless rabbit. Yeah. Well, that would denote the sad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you even have a, a, a term named after you, like, uh, fuck like rabbits. Yeah. And you can't, yeah, yeah, that's a double set. I think it fits. I think we found your theme song, finally, JP. After three years of searching. thought you'd like it. I love it. Okay, good. You look like you love it. I do. I can tell. All right, a few announcements today. Uh, again, with the no beer cam, there there is yeah. no beer cam this right. week, and uh, we'll just describe it to you. Yeah, we just let you. <laughs> it's know. a brown bottle. bottle uh, it says Blonde Ale. Going old school, staying old school. I just haven't had time to fix this computer, so sorry, guys. As soon as I do, I'll get yeah. the beer cam back up. You have guns to shoot. I have yeah. to count guns to shoot yeah, and count, and you know, to count how many hollow points I have versus regular bullets. My dad armor piercing rounds. Yeah, very strange. Uh, what else? The CBS Brewcast. Uh, we are now successfully three weeks into our new time slot. It's uh, Fridays at 5 o'clock on 1550 AM. Uh, if you're in the Bay Area or uh, KU.com, KYOU.com, you can listen uh, online if you're not in the Bay Area. And it's been going pretty well. We're doing a whole series right now of the Bay Area craft beer scene and kind of covering the history uh, of craft beer around here and bringing in a, a new guest every week. Uh, this last Friday, we had Roger Davis. You know, good old Roger. Oh, yeah. Um, formerly of Drake's, now Triple Rock is where he's doing his brewing. And then when we come back, we're off this coming Friday. But when we come back the following Friday, we've got Christian Kazakov, who mm-hmm. used to be at Triple Rock and now is at Iron Springs, uh, which is out in Fairfax. So we're going to be talking to them, and we're just going to keep that rolling and cover Bay Area craft beer for you. And um, we're doing that to kick off our new time slot here, so not trying to neglect the rest of the country that might be listening online, but um, just trying to get people fired up in their drive time radio slot out here to hear about beers that they can go out and buy. Get them home and drink them beer. That's right. And then we'll branch out again, just like we always yeah. have, and, and get to the, uh, the rest of the country. So fear not. 
Uh, of course, you can always donate to the Brewing Network and keep programming like this going your way. Keep us uh, inviting fellas like Shay to come into the studio here by hitting the Donate Dog tag right there on the homepage. And you can give a one-time donation or sign up as a recurring donator. Uh, anywhere from 2 bucks, it goes all the way up to some ridiculous number. So, um, And it just does it automatically for you every month if you wanted to sign up that way and you don't even have to think about it. Um, or you could uh, sign up just for a one-time donation. I know times are tough. Uh, people are losing their jobs, uh, holiday season, all of that. So by no means uh, feel obligated to give money that you don't have. As always, this program is free. So, But we do appreciate it, and a lot of you have been doing it, and it keeps us rolling. So thanks a lot for that. You can sign up for American Homebrewers Association memberships through the store. That's a piece of cake to do. It's 38 bucks, the same price you'd pay anywhere else to sign up for a membership, and we get a little portion of that. Plus, it makes us look real good to the AHA, and uh, you get yourself a membership as well as a subscription to Zymergy Magazine along with that. And it pays for itself pretty quickly when you get your pub discounts, things like that. BN Army shirts are in that store. You can buy those. Brewing Classic Styles, signed by both Jamil Zanishev and John Palmer. That's in the store. Um, and then you can sign up if you want more announcements like this at our Twitter spot. It's twitter.com slash brewing network. You get yourself instant messages on the phone. Yeah. Uh, I've been using that a lot lately to update people about the Friday show and different things happening. I let them know on uh, Monday, Doc, that you and I were brewing. I yeah. used, used Twitter for that. Give them a little tweet. Yeah, I did some tweeting. Uh, you can do that. And then, as always, of course, if you want even more nerdy fan information and be able to see photo galleries and keep in touch with other listeners, you can sign up on our Facebook, Facebook. page. And just uh, all you got to do is become a member of Facebook. That's free. Facebook. And uh, then you can uh, you just sign up. You search for The Brewing Network, and you'll find our Facebook, Facebook. page right there. Um, we're going to be doing a contest. Oh, contest. For, for Christmas. Whoopee. And who can hug Chad the longest? <laughs> that who, who can hug all the way around, Chad? <laughs> <laughs> Five minutes of uninterrupted staring with Chad. <laughs> you win. <laughs> You're the big winner. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Chad. I had your microphone turned Oh, off. you did? Okay. Yeah. All right. There we go. My fault. You all right? Oh, yeah. We're good. Feeling good? Great. We keep moving Chat farther and farther away from the broadcast desk. Yeah, he's over in the green room. Yeah, he's got a new uh, his own little studio set up on the other side of this one. I figure by sometime early next year he'll be back in his bedroom. Or oh, no, I just put some glass up over there. I'm yeah. in writing. I'm in writing, Jay. I'm, everything's fine out here. Uh, on the weather's scene. good. Hey, back to your box. Yeah, yeah, Chet should have his own air back there. He know? really should. Yeah, he should be in our air. Yeah, I agree. We That's are going to move you out of the studio in in '09. I think, Chet. There you go. Sick of looking at you. Cool. <laughs> There's even an extra seat over here. He's still sitting over there in his own little booth. He likes it that way. It's nice. So, Shat's the one who runs our Facebook page. Facebook. <laughs> Thank you, JP. You're welcome. <laughs> Quick with that mute button. I'll and um, uh, the reason I'm telling you this right now is because we are going to be doing a Christmas contest. It's just for fun, okay? We're not doing the big conical Christmas giveaway that we did last year. Um, or maybe it was the year before. I don't remember. The year before. The year before. Yeah. Gave away two conicals then, didn't we? That was a big, big Big contest. contest. Uh, we're going to have a little more fun this time, and we're just going to be giving away some small prizes. Uh, those will uh, be named to you soon. Uh, probably on our next show, we'll tell you what you're going to get. But what we're going to do, this was actually, uh, my mom came up with this idea. Turns out my mom's got a great mind for radio, and she's been having some really good ideas lately, like changing Tasty's name to Juicy, for example. Uh, she's <laughs> got to catch it. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to have uh, an ugliest 
beer-related Christmas ornament contest. We're going to get a Christmas tree in the BN studio this year. Ooh. Never been done before. We're really not very festive around here. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, uh, Doc's married to a Jew. We can party. Uh, <laughs> we can party, but we're not very festive. Exactly. I mean, last time we tried to have a celebration in here, Doc fell off the pole oh, and yes. uh, broke his ankle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not good. Not a good thing. Oh, that, I think we're ready now. now. We're ready now. <laughs> Poor guy. It's a common knowledge now? <laughs> no, not really. It, well, is, it is on the radio, but yeah. uh-huh. just on the show. I mean, because it did happen on the air. We yeah. don't really talk about it too much, but I just want to call it ankle gate. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we're going to have an ugliest beer-related Christmas ornament competition. We're going to put up a Christmas, a Christmas tree in here, right. our very own studio one, and all you have to do is send in some kind of hideous, uh, you know, it could be a brewing network ornament, it could be a beer-related ornament. You guys are pretty creative, and you have the same sick sense of humor as we do, so, you know, do whatever you want. It's fine. We'll take pictures of the best ones each week, and Chad will be uploading them onto our Facebook page. God damn it. I, you know what? I'm trying to type, and you can't say Facebook anymore. I don't know what is so difficult about a mute switch for you and Bevo. Because I'm in the middle of uh, talking to people about myself. I'm not paying attention. <laughs> I see. Yeah. So we'll be posting pictures, and then you know, at the end, we'll pick a few of the ugliest ones and give out some prizes for that. Where will we find those? On our Facebook. Facebook. page. Yeah. <laughs> I'll right. resurrect. That's it for me, Shat. What is happening in your world of announcements? All right. Well, we've got some comps coming up, uh, AHA comps. We've got the club-only comp coming up uh, on the 6th of December. That's a celebration of the hop IPA. I believe uh, we're actually tasting those this week at our homebrew club, um, so you can still get them in. Uh, Walk the line on barley wine and strong beer stumble. That's on the 6th. Uh, We've got the New England Fall Regional Homemade Beer Competition on the 6th coming up. Uh, go to valleyfermenters.com. Uh, also, the Happy Holiday Homebrew Competition in St. Louis. It's coming up on the 13th. Go to stlbrews.org. Uh, that's pretty much it coming up for comps. Okay. Uh, I like the stumble. Yeah. Such a good good way to sell them. I think if the BN company. ever has a pub crawl, it's got to be called a stumble, because it's really much more our style than a crawl. Session stumble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the session stumble. Something tells me that if uh, if if the BN had a, a pub crawl and Doc was involved, it'd be the BN drive to the, to the pub in a limo. Just, <laughs> it, of course, you know, yeah, that's how we roll. Yeah, what that's else? how Doc rolls, and he just has room for us. And we just tag yeah. along. Yeah. yeah, I don't care if he puts <laughs> yeah. me in the trunk of that limo. It's fine. <laughs> I've been worse. What else, Chad? Uh Oh, also, you know, keep brewing those beers for the National Homebrew Comp coming up next year. Those entries are due in March. They're going to start accepting entries. Uh, so. Brew those up. Okay. Uh, more beer. They're having a big sale on the 13th. They're doing uh, up to 40% off in all three locations. So uh, it is in store, uh, but that's coming up real soon. 21st Amendment. They're having a hell of a week coming up. Uh, starting on the 1st, they're doing uh, a ca- uh, tap the keg party. Uh, they're basically going to tap a, a new lager they made on the 1st. Mm-hmm. That's at 5 p.m. Then they have a uh, eat, drink, Beer Mary, that's on the uh, 3rd, starting at 6. They're going to drink a bunch of different uh, holiday beers. What's this all for? This is all for uh, Repeal Week, Aha, celebrating the 75th anniversary of uh, Repeal of Prohibition. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, and then they're also going to do their party Friday, the 5th, the Repeal Abration Celebration. Uh, oh, we might have to go to that. Yeah, it's really cool. They're going to do a uh, parade. They're going to have a couple marshals. A parade? Yes, and the grand marshals are going to be uh, someone turning 75 and someone turning 21 on the, uh, December 5th. Nice. And they if I know Sully, bucks. that 21-year-old is super hot. Yeah, he is. Sully's no dummy. 
Oh, you mean it'll probably be a girl? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Good well. effort, JP. Well, that'll be good, too. Yeah, that'll be fun. Also. Well, I guess we'll go anyway. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's all going on uh, first through the uh, fifth. All right, all down at the 2-1-A, 21st-amendment.com. You can check it out. Um, also, uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to have uh, Keith Lemke on the show. He is the VP of Siebel. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about you know, coordinating classes, um, how to get pretty much in line with becoming a pro. Okay. Uh, that's basically, we're going to talk about education. He knows a little bit about draft beer, so we'll have to quiz him on that. Okay. That's what he's telling me. So uh, it should be a lot of fun with him. Great. That's our next weeks. show back because we are off uh, next Sunday, a week from today. The Sunday after Thanksgiving, there will be no show. So the next one back is that Siebel Institute show. All right, anything else to announce? That's about it. All right, Shat has a beer question, though, and what we like to do uh, when we get a guest in here, we're trying a little bit of a new thing and um, kind of pick your brain about some random things, too, Shay. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, Shat is a new brewer. He's learning um, like the rest of us. He's learning a lot more than me and a lot quicker than me. I actually got pissed off at Shat today because that IPA he told us about last week that he screwed up, he left all that Munich out of. Still came out better than any beer I've ever done <laughs> perfectly. So I was pretty upset about that. But uh, good for you, Shad, I guess. Yeah. Um, what'd you screw up this week? All right. So <laughs> had a big bag of grain, right? Filled to the top, ready to brew this nice big uh, imperial stout. Put it on the, uh, I don't know, I guess the uh, counter, not the countertop, but the uh, tile floor. And uh, basically put a sanitized bucket with a bunch of sanitized sanitizer sitting in it mm-hmm. and the gasket started leaking so it got the whole bottom of the bag wet soaking wet mm. and this was probably overnight so i came out opened the bag it wasn't smelling too bad they started digging through the top of it where i had most of my specialty grains usually add the specialty grains into the top of the bag you know after i knew my two row um and i i pretty much tried to you know separate the the specialty malts and get them off to the side and save some of the two-row, but when I started getting down to the end of the two-row, it was real sour and just funky and started getting a little damp. So, do I just toss the whole bag? Could I use those specialty malts? I mean, just stay away. That's my question. I mean, what do, what do you do? I mean, is it all smell or is it dry? Yeah, Shay could feel this. Huh? I mean, is this a general question? Or is it? That's what he yeah. did and that's... Well, right. pretty much anything sour is lactic-based. I mean, so you've you've either got some sort of... Um, my, on the grain, it's mostly lactobacillus, I think, is, is the most common for you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's on, and you, by getting it wet, you just made a colony. So just toss the bag, yeah. or yeah, you just made a colony. I mean, if you're really, if you're somewhere where you don't have access to a shop, and you're really in in, in straits, you're looking at a bag of grain that took you a week to arrive by post, and you don't have another way, and you don't have any sort of like uh, DME or extract around to keep going. Um, especially malt saving on the top, that's a really good idea. Come back from there if you can get an idea of the proportion. That's fine. I would just quite simply taste it. You know, I mean, as you're going down, skimming off, you know, maybe a couple inches at a time, just literally just pop a little bit in your mouth, a little bit in your mouth, a little bit in your mouth. You'll taste it, and it'll be really clear where it starts to get slightly funky, and you go, okay, well, game over there. Boil will take care of the, the contamination, but the byproducts, the lactic acid and the other funk, depend on whoever else is there, microbiologically speaking, um, that will stay in the beer. So depending on how much residual sugar and else going on, you may have a chance to kind of cover that up, depending on how big the beer is and what the grain bill is. Hmm. Things are really specialty enough, you'd be able to kind of cover with that, some of the more caramelized sugars and the higher and any of the darker roast things would help a lot with that, depending on what you're doing with, um, well, I guess, <laughs> apropos, uh, oak as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, would, I would not advocate oak as a way to fix um, beers that are spoiled. <laughs> okay. 
good just, to know just right really now. Really want to yeah say that quite up front. You know, it's it's about purity of flavors and stuff. But just getting back to finish the question, I'd say like you know taste it number one, and then if you're lucky enough to have put specialty malts up top, then you can then start making decisions about you know obviously then mashing less and then knocking to look at the proportion of the bag and look at your original um, grain bill, and then start to then cut down by that amount what you have, and you can still salvage a beer, albeit maybe not the full whatever your original you know six or seven start for a five gallon cardboard or however if you're doing tens or fifteens or twenties whatever the sizes you're doing you might wind up with three gallons of beer but you're going to wind up with three gallons of beer okay uh, since it's a stout like you said Mm -hmm. uh a little lactic isn't going to be a bad thing no i wouldn't use it all but uh, if you you know you're getting down you're going to get a little bit of lactic in there Uh, kind of guinness like anyway but the lactic to be aware of that most of these things are not uh, a pure culture so uh, you may have lactic if you're lucky. It's just like slightly sour and pretty good, but it can also be funky as well. So pay attention to that when you're tasting through it. Okay. Because you know, normally if there's one guy there who's working, there's somebody else with them. They normally come in groups. Okay. And it can happen that quickly, just overnight, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, about 20 minutes, they double. I see. I yeah. think four, four, four times as fast as yeast, the bacteria. Yeah. Wow. All they're, right. They're fast. Oh, yeah. But, so, uh, Shat, did you end up using all of it? No. You didn't? No. Okay. Left out a big chunk. You did. Mm-hmm. Just pretty much used the specialties and went and got some more two-row. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. Well, that's always, like, a really good idea. I mean, not because something's going to go wrong, but, you know, it's always good to have, you know, maybe five, six pounds of, you know, extract or some DME just there because you never know whether you hit a gravity or don't hit a gravity or you lose flame out on something and you're not getting proper sparge, you know, temperatures. You're not getting proper uh, mash temperatures for some reason going on with some, you know, I don't know. By the time somebody comes back uh, to go get the extra burnout on the gas, because if you ran out and you started the boil and going from there, I mean, you can always kind of cover your butt as long as you're still in boil. And it's always good to have that around. And that would also equally have helped you in that situation, too. All right. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Shay. Great question, Shat. Let's go to the phones real quick, and then we'll get to our feedback. Phone call. Brew Tattoo calling in from Missouri. What's happening, Tat? <laughs> hey, this is Brew Tat with a breaking news story, maybe. <laughs> okay. On the BN Forum. All right. What do we have? It's reported to me that B-Dog... Bad Rock, Pseudo Chef, and Thunder Chicken all have been unable to register for next year's uh, NHA conference in Sanford or in Oakland. Uh huh. And and yeah, why is that? that uh, each registration page says capacity is full for both selections. Wow. Uh, it might be just so, something funky on that. Uh, I'll think it is something funky, but I can't find anything about it on any other forum except for ours. Mm hmm. So and you're when thinking I go there it doesn't let me do anything because I've already registered of course because I was right on the spot. It couldn't be sold out already, could it? I don't know. What do you think? Tasty? You think is that possible? Has it ever would it have I, ever sold out so quickly? Uh, no. I really doubt it. No, I mean um it was on uh, uh, Tech Talk. Gary announced it on was it yeah. Thursday or Friday? Yeah, that it's open right Whatever, late last week. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't yeah, I don't think it. Yeah, and it then Jamil kind of gave us a heads up. It could have been just overloaded on yeah. the forum. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're thinking. It uh, may be just overloaded. I think they just got some technical issues. They've had technical yeah. issues before with yeah. it. I mean, yeah, the, the guys who Brute had named are, you know, it's the brain trust of the BN here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, let's face it. They're rocket scientists, sure. Doc. They make you look retarded. Don't click oh, the bad uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tat, well, thank you for the possible breaking news. <laughs> if, it's, if, if it's true, you heard it here first. If it's not true, then I'm just a fucking idiot. <laughs> I like it either way. Both, Does both that have to be one or the other? Both, both jobs are open. Yeah. <laughs> either way. Covers the basis. Thanks, Tat, later. I did get my room as soon as they opened up. Now? Yep. I'm golden. 
I think I reserved a room for you, too. Again? Uh, because I got pre-registration yeah. rooms. Um, so don't give your don't confuse me with this room situation. <laughs> Again. But uh, then maybe we just have an extra one or something. I all think right. I reserved two rooms because I thought you might want one down there. So uh, we'll figure it out. But uh, All right, so NHC, it's coming up quick in June. Anniversary party will be the same week. It's looking, it's going to be the Wednesday of that week is what I think we're going to be doing. That's that Wednesday. Details to follow. Don't book your flights based on that Wednesday right now. Wait till I can confirm it with the people I'm working with to make sure the venue is going to work out and all of that. But I'm just telling you in general, the BN 4th anniversary party is going to happen that week, no matter what, and probably going to be happening on that Wednesday. All right. Oh, my God. You've got mail. Kick ass. Let's do a little feedback. we got to get to a break and get this party started because we've got a lot of information to do here. Here we go. Hey, session crew. A couple weeks ago when you had Patrick Rue from the brewery on your show, I was really inspired uh, to take a little drive down to his brewery and check things out. It's not real far for me, about an hour and a half. Um, I've been lagging for a while, and your show finally got me off my ass. I went by Friday night and my wife, um, with my wife and a few friends, and had a blast. The sweet potato beer, which was their autumn maple, uh, I remember that one, was uh, on my list after hearing you guys rave about it, and it was worth it. All their beers are worth it. The Saison was one of my favorites. So just wanted to thank you for all you do, and especially for that show. Patrick was really cool as well and took time to talk shop for a few minutes, which I also appreciated. I'm an avid archive listener uh, for a few years now. Um, uh, about a year now. So maybe I'll stop being one of those weird lurkers in the forum who never post and join up. Oh, like JP, sounds like a threat. JP stopped being a weird lurker when we let him on the show. At least yeah. here. Well, the judge told me kind of, you know, I got to stop that. Yeah, that's the that's from Donnie in Ventura, California. Donnie. So. Patrick is cool, and I encourage you to go stop by his brewery. He's a nice guy. If you want to talk home brewing with the guy, he does that just as well as talking uh, craft brewing now. Yeah. Uh, really good dude. So, And, by the way, that, that maple beer, that autumn maple was awesome. I'm thinking about uh, brewing with yams on uh, Friday. I'm thinking about taking the day off and... Make a little beer. Is that right? Yeah. You going to call in sick or... Uh... Take a vacation day. I see. Yeah. All right. Dear Brutards. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. I don't know if you produce the ferment the ferment tap spot or if you simply play what they gave you, but either way, effing why? Why does the announcer use that stupid lisp speech impediment? I should change my speech now for the rest of this email, shouldn't I? <laughs> If the desired effect is to get me to call in and order something, that will never happen. All I can picture when I hear that bastard's voice is the amount of saliva that must be wound up on the microphone when he's done. I don't even know what sorghum extract is used for, but the mere mention of it now makes my skin crawl. A couple weeks ago, you played a new spot that was produced using conventional English. And I thought, hey, they finally got rid of the jackass. But you didn't. You bought his ass back the very next week. I don't know why this bothers me so much, but it does. I hate you. Your pal, Dave. P.S. In all other aspects, I commend you on your exemplary performance. <laughs> I don't even know what sorghum extract is, and I'm, I don't even want to look it up. That's how much I hate it. Hey, I see it too much sorghum yeah. during the week. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, it's called having fun, dude. Relax. Yeah. I don't know which one I have loaded up in today's uh, outline, but uh, I think we just played a list. <laughs> That's the second time we've gotten an email about how terrible that commercial is. Hey, as long as you remember it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I Everyone think it's been pretty successful for Fermentap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's Whoever that jerk is. 
couple more pieces of email here. I just discovered brewing podcasts recently. Podcasts. I've listened to a few others that were okay. But then I started listening to the Brewing Network shows. Brew Strong first, and I thought that was a great show. Listen to all the archives in one day. Love the Jameel show as well. But the Sunday sessions show have made my work days go so much better. You guys are effing hilarious. I get so much good info. I feel like my brews will get so much better with the info I get from the show. I also like the length of the shows. So thanks for what you do and keep it up. That's Mike yeah. from Richmond. Thanks, brother. Get a lot of complaints about our length, yeah. which, uh, you know, a lot of guys... This guy likes it. <laughs> guys, you know, would uh, be happy to hear that it's too long. But around here, it's depressing. Oh, it's too long. Oh, is... A lot of these people have really long commutes to work. And right. It gets them there. Gets them there the whole week. I mean, if, it's yeah. a, if you think about it, if it's a 30, 40-minute commute, give you five days of radio right there. And we do it all in one day. That's right. We're working hard here. All right, one more. Hey, Brewcasters, just want to let you know that show's great. Found it on iTunes and been mostly podcasting, though I have had the luxury of catching a few live shows. Mostly, I'm on the 2006 shows at the moment and trying to catch up. I'm a culinary arts student, and my school's in Nashville. Uh, but I live in Clarksville, about an hour and 15 minutes uh, north of Nashville, and I have to drive. So it's always fun and informative to listen to your drunken asses on the drive. Take that last train. Yeah, take the last train. Why not? Yeah. Uh, admittedly, station, I'm also a little jealous because I, I wish I was having a beer as well. I've been brewing for about three years and find the show extremely helpful. Unfortunately for us in Clarksville, there's no home brewing supply store or local club, so we have to drive to Nashville for supplies or order them online. But friends and I have started a club. I was wondering if there's anything you could do to help us out. Thanks and happy brewing. Cheers. That's from John. Uh, so it's kind of a general question help you out. How about I just give out the website, and if anyone's in the area and they want to check it out, you can go to ClarksvilleCarboys.com. ClarksvilleCarboys.com. Or you can check them out on MySpace. It's MySpace.com MySpace. slash ClarksvilleCarboys. <laughs> MySpace. Uh, so if you're in the area and you're looking for a brew club, then there you go. And that's your feedback for today. Yay. Short and sweet. We haven't had a, a, a short one like that in a while. You want to uh, do that announcement from Madtown? Yeah, let's see here. The What is this? The Brewing Network has, has one... Ribbons at two competitions. Madtown Brew got a second and a third in Category 18 for my club's Franco-Belgian Cup. Uh, Dark, strong, and triple, respectively. Congratulations, brother. A second and a third. Uh, Yeah, round of applause for that. Also, Madtown was hired as the new assistant brewer at Tyranina Brewing Company in Lake Mills, Wisconsin. Another congratulations. All right. Moving up in the brewing world. Uh, he says, I can't thank the BN enough for all the information and education. Congrats, man. That's good. I like it when guys yeah. are uh, leaving their regular jobs for much lower paying but happier jobs <laughs> in, in then, the beer world. So he sent me another. to blame. He sent yeah. me another thing. He says, uh, <laughs> right. you know, blah, blah, blah. TBN was a serious resource. He goes, keep up the good work, even Chad. Even Chad. Yeah. Wow. So round of applause for Chad, everybody. <laughs> yeah, Chad. Yeah, new job changes again. Look at that. Give Chad a microphone on the other side of the room and people like him. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. We like them better over there, too. Yeah, it's people, people out of the room like them. Yeah. All right, let's take ourselves a quick break. When we come back, we're going to start talking to Shay Comfort about yeast. You're going to want to pay attention, maybe even get out your notepad, because Shay knows a lot of things. And we're going to talk about beer yeast versus wine yeast, blending yeast in your beer, which uh, I, I didn't even know I would want to do. So we'll talk to that about. And uh, oh, you, yeah. Shay's going to give us uh, flavor profiles, fermentation specifics, you name it. So stick around. It's the session with Shay Comfort. We'll be right back.
You're listening to the Brewcasters. Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of their 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Their Williams German Pills is mashed with pure German Moravian two-row barley malt for a light blonde color and malty crispness you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out their unique fermenters, draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and more. They even have their own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection and enter promo code BREW at the order checkout for $5 off your next order over $50. Orders placed by 3 p.m. ship the same day. Again, go to williamsbrewing.com and enter promo code BREW at checkout for $5 off your next order. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Did you know that every day a brewcaster goes to bed hungry? Did you know that that brewcaster is silently calling for the help of people just like you? Do you know that every day the unicorn and the rainbow have to blow sailors for loose change? For less than the cost of a half-calf, quad-shot, venti, extra-hot, soy milk, triple-pump, hazel, low-fat foam, double-cupped macchiato a day, you can help starving adults in Pacheco. Your love can be felt for as little as seven cents a day. Visit thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate to sign up today for as little as $2 a month. Private first class in the BN Army. Buy your way up the ranks as corporal, sergeant, ranger, or colonel with an easy-to-do monthly donation that keeps brewcasters alive and your favorite internet radio station broadcasting. No donation is too small to help those in need. Can't you find it in your heart to share your love with a brewcaster? In return, you will enjoy the wealth of knowledge that comes with every episode of the session. The Jamil Show and Yes even that other show. Thank you for listening, and please sign up for your donation at thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate today. Attention homebrew shop owners. At Fermentap, they know you're tired of buying the same old gear that everyone else has. That's why Fermentap offers the newest and most cutting-edge brewing equipment known to man. Since 1998, Fermentap has been leading the fight against the boring and mundane by offering strange, unique, and just plain smart equipment. Like their stainless stone false bottoms. Never deal with the floating plastic hassle of other false bottoms again. And since they're made from stainless steel, they'll last a lifetime. Fermentap's line of copper wort chillers are the best on the market, designed to cool your wort faster and more efficiently than other immersion chillers. They actually invented the equipment to make these chillers not only work great, but look great too. How about a fantastic line of ingredients including vanilla beans, sorghum extract, blue agave extract, hot bitterness extract, unique wine yeast, green coffee beans, sake kits, all stuff you can't find anywhere else. Fermentap carries all the standard products and equipment you need as well, such as all grain systems, stainless hardware, kettles, carbonation stones, you name it, they've got it. Fermentap's entire line of products has been helping retail shops meet the demands of their customers for nearly 10 years, and they want to help you too. For more information, see them on the web at fermentap.com or call Jason at 1-800-942-2750. Fermentap, better beer through innovation. What's funny is brewers just say, yeah, I don't brew to style. I'm brewing my own beer. And it's like a German Pilsner, but it's black. Yeah, it's a sports beer. Sports beer. The home of live beer radio. Thebrewingnetwork.com Because like beer, 
of information to cover today. Get your questions ready. 888-401-BEER. That's our phone number. 888-401-BEER if you want to call and ask yourself. Or you can join JP in the chat room Yeah, by hitting the chat now button on the homepage. Or call me and talk to me. 888-401-BEER or the chat room. Uh, You go in there and you don't have to be a member or anything. You just kind of sign in. You get a name and you can send your questions over that way for Shea. And we're going to start talking about yeast. Uh, just real quick, uh, Bevo is not here today. That's why you're having to deal with JP. She's most likely not coming. Uh, please uh, say some good things in your mind about her or out loud, whatever. She's uh, actually at the hospital with her mom, oh. um, who seems to be doing okay. I don't think it was an emergency. Um, her mom's health isn't the best, and from time to time they have to go and get her looked at, and that's what's happening today. So we are keeping our fingers crossed that Casa de la Muerte has not struck again. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so I just I don't think I could deal with that uh, one more time. So uh, good thoughts to Bevo, and that's why she's not working today. And she was sorry about that. And I said, don't worry about it. <laughs> Take care of your mom. <laughs> kidding me? Don't worry. So you're stuck with JP. Now yeah! You, you can blame Bevo's mom. Lucky you guys. <clears throat> right. <laughs> All right, Shay, help me learn a little bit about yeast here, if you would. And I think a good place to start, um, because I, I found through uh, some pre-interviews, uh, that you will use wine yeast from time to time in your brewing. So I thought maybe a good place to start is, um, you know, what's the difference between wine yeast and beer yeast? Because I've never used wine yeast, and frankly, I'm not sure why I wouldn't. Uh, so maybe you could uh, help us figure that out. Yeah, that's a really good setup. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. No, that's no, that's really nice because that's. Ex- I'm. I started out doing uh, beer for a long time, and then did a whole series of meads, and all of the mead books was my first kind of uh, introduction to you know wine yeast. Okay, and there's a whole another great thing because so I know there's beer yeast, and then I'll use all the books for wine making. Everything talk about use these other yeasts that you never see in any of the brewing brewing side of things. I'm like, mm, okay, there's two different kinds of yeast, and you kind of infer that, and you kind of move on with the books tell you, and you go on from there. And then as you kind of keep going, you start reading and doing more research. You get deeper, deeper into it. You start paying attention. You realize uh, they're all Saccharomyces cerevisiae. <laughs> okay, it's all the same strain. You know, and so what's really interesting, well, not the same strain, but the same yeast. And so what's interesting about that, you kind of step back, you go, well, then why is this one considered for beer? This, why is this one considered for wine? You yeah. know, and when I say wine, I mean uh, both uh, grapes and then uh, fruit and mead are okay. kind, of, kind of across the board. So basically what it comes down to is that the yeast are obviously, you know, very uh, complex in the compounds that they're putting off. And there's uh, there's a specific type of differentiation between the two of them and the first one is that the types of sugars that they can break down and ferment uh glucose sucrose uh, fructose they can kind of all handle that pretty straightforward okay uh some yeast are either going to be more um fructophile or or more into the glucose glucose is easier fructose is a little bit harder it's more sweeter more annoying to deal with okay and some yeast are a bit more fructophile you know, a lot of times if, they, if you start to poop out, then they'll leave fructose behind kind of a deal. That's more on the fruit-based side of things. But when you get into, like, maltotriols and the other things that are in malt-based fermentations, um, that's a whole another level of complex sugars. And over 
time, what's happened is that different yeast have and a different ability to be able to just have the enzymes and have the, the different uh, metabolic pathways to break down those sugars for themselves and to be able to then ferment them. Okay. And so the ones that were successful at doing that got repitched and got reused. So it just so happens it could have been, a, I hesitated to say a mutation, but it was a variation of possible potentials like like neanderthals and homo sapiens etc sure. all sorts of potential options that nature throws out there and in this environment type of a situation uh the ones that could handle those other sugars and malt-based fermentation did well and they basically got selected okay and, D- very darwinian yeah well exactly i mean we're still doing that i mean i'm thinking about dog breeds and how we just you know we we, we end up picking the mutations that we like and keep breeding that and not just dogs any sorts of animals all right? of so, our all of our produce yeah, all of yeah. our fruit trees yeah. all of the roses all of the grafting, all of the, I right. mean, you, you look, man just manipulates that, you know, all the time. Just by selecting one over the other, you've now caused a selection. Right. I and mean, it's, it's a bit redundant to selection there, but. Yeah. Yeah. So the bottom line is that between those two things, um, the ones that can handle, the malt-based ones, can handle the other sugars by themselves. And then the ones that can't are not really such a great idea because um, just on a pure fermentation point of view, they'll go back and they'll leave, you know, up to 10%. Uh, residual sugar left in your ferment because they just can't handle those sugars. So that's kind of the main one. Another layer when you step back from that, when you look at wine yeasts, there are other um, esters and compounds and other um, uh, phenols and things that they're dealing with within the fruit that comes off. And the main one is what they call uh, phenol off flavor. That's POF they refer to it as. And it's basically, it's a medicinal kind of like um, funky uh, band-aid yeah, but it's a but it's a very low level. It's not like that's the difference. It's funny because uh, I'm actually a consulting winemaker, and after doing the beer and then the mead, um, I've just been really focused on the wine for probably like I think eight years now, okay. primarily, and helping uh, Olin and everyone at the More Beer uh, start the More Wine side of things, mm-hmm. really focusing with that, and that's the side of things that really opened my eyes to the yeast. Okay. Because the information for yeast and winemaking is is absolutely critical, and it's very very technical and very clear. It's funny the beer guys had the sanitation in spades. Yeah, you guys know that like nobody's business how to handle stuff. Sanitation, it's all solid. But the amount of uh, general information or knowledge out there uh, is, uh, dealing dealing with yeast is kind of voodoo ish. You know, it is, I've noticed yeah. there's a big disconnect. And then the wine guys, they really know yeast and they really know what's going on. And there's a lot of other microflora happening going on there with the malolactic bacteria, etc. So they're very aware about microbiology going on. And you've got SO2 and a low pH, so they're a little bit more lax about the pH side of things, which is interesting. You know, and so when you have a foot coming from beer, understanding sanitation, what's going on, and then having a stop by between mead and then going into the wine side of things you've now and you go back and you start doing the information to try to handle and get learn better and go more from there you start realizing that it's all the same bug there's all these separate things going on and they just either make these other flavors or they don't so of all of the wine yeasts they get the pof they do a typing when they first get a new saccharomyces cerevisiae coming into a lot and they say okay are you good for you don't make a lot of funk you don't make a lot of sulfur you're good with fermenting down you can handle alcohol up to you know 14 whatever percent whatever and you can go from there so you seem to be a contender and so then they do the, the pof testing okay so if you're pof negative then theoretically, oh, you'd probably be pretty good for most standard malt-based fermentation. So then they run him on those trials. Okay. So that's that's not a dead end for you know for the um, for the wine side of things, but definitely is for the beer side of things. Well, 
of the wine yeasts that make all sorts of interesting great fruit and ester and really complex, gorgeous flavors, along with lots of structure, a lot of mouthfeel potential going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, polysaccharide matter protein production, different yeasts are making these gorgeous mouthfeel things happening. Um, really impactful. What's interesting is that uh, a select few of these are indeed POF negative. Okay. So that's so, what we're getting at here. So they're good for beer. Absolutely. Well, they're good for beer on the one hand in that it's you look at this as like a palette. So instead of just dealing with like a box of 12 crayons, you've got a box of 64. Yeah. You've got shades <laughs> and options and other things going on. But with that comes a, a, a little bit of a caveat, and you have to understand what you're working with. Okay. Most wine yeasts, um, they are not really good at all at being able to then convert the maltotriose. Okay. Okay. That's the big problem with there. So if you use just a plain wine yeast that's POF negative, uh, he'll ferment fine. He'll do fine. But then he'll leave a lot of residual sugar. Okay. There won't be any funky flavors. There'll be fruit and kind of crazy interesting like uh, wine-like or peach or cherry or berry or other things coming off. It's like, whoa, you know, coming off. It's just gorgeous. Really, really useful. But... You know, you have to kind of step back and go, do I want all of that as the impact or do I want partial that for the impact? Okay. So let me, and, and you're probably getting to this, but mm-hmm. it sounds to me that maybe this is where the, the blending comes in hand. Would you want to use a beer yeast then along with the wine yeast? But, but before you answer that, is there a wine yeast then, um, or is there a, only a handful of wine yeast that you really could use and only use that and not have to use a beer <clears throat> yeast per se? that you would get a still a nice dry beer like we're used to it, it without leaving the residual sugar. Is there a yeast that could do that? Um, short answer is no. Okay. Okay. Of the wine side of things. Uh, again, it's pretty much across the board. The maltotriose and the complex sugars, they're not going to be able to handle. Okay. But what's really easy to do is that what I want to get at, there are, I'll just throw them out pretty quickly. You can find them on any uh, wine catalog. There's basically six strains that are quote-unquote wine strains. Okay. Okay, and I'll just read them off, and but then I'll also explain what's the caveat behind something else that I'll introduce as well. There's one called 71B. There's one called EC1118. That's a champagne yeast. There's one called K1V1116, so that's 1116. He's another standard white wine yeast. There's one called GRE, and that's a red wine yeast. There's one called BM45, and that's a red wine yeast. And there's one called L2226, and that's another red wine yeast. Who so, makes these yeasts? Uh, Lalamond and Enofirm. So if you go to lalamond.com, uh, L-A-2-L-E-M-A-N-D.com, these guys, uh, they produce a, a wine yeast and beer yeast and uh, a lot of the, the bacteria and a lot of the nutrient sets for them and a lot of research for them. So mostly fermentation. Okay. Uh, both beer very strongly and also they, the Alcohol Institute. Is it Siebel? I'm not sure if those are the same. I'm not sure either. It's a bit of my ignorance. I, did, I didn't double check that. But uh, Lalamon actually just bought you know, that side of uh, the business, added that to their portfolio okay. because of the whole uh, fuel technology and distillation and going from there. So they really have very clear feet in both worlds, and along with distillation, so both wine and beer and this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they basically produce these out. So any homebrew supply shop or any winemaking supply shop will have these yeasts. But they're, these are the nice thing about most of these is um, these are very easy to find, at least four out of these six at any winemaking shop. Okay. Shop. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, would you, maybe since we need to keep it a little more general, it's our first lesson, um, yeah. 
could I use any of these and expect, you know, kind of the same results? I mean, maybe you would know exactly which one you uh, wanted to use. No, trust me, you would know as well. I would know as well. Okay. Yeah, and I'll get there real quick. Great. Okay. Yeah. So the this is the one difference that's that's important about all of these yeasts that doesn't seem to be present uh, in the information on the brewing side of things, uh, outside of the pros, I guess. Um, all the amateur stuff I can find, it's I, I don't see it. So I, I, I don't see it for those. Most people I talk about it, you know, the beer guys are kind of blink, blink, you know, so it's like, you know, on the wine side of things, it's actually fairly well known. It's part of the standard catalog. When you look at the Lalamont catalog or anyone else at this, you look at the classification, it gives you temperature ranges. Like the White Labs, you know, gives you your flocculation, your mm-hmm. temperature ranges. About there. Well, in addition to that, there's also a part uh, for the quote-unquote wine yeast. Uh, there's another factor for, they call it the, the, the competitive factor. Okay, so what's important to know about these yeasts? Uh, all, pretty much all the Saccharomyces cerevisiae, you know, is that, and other ones too have it. But for of the ones we're using for both wine and for beer, is that um, there are three classifications that they go through as well when they type them. So you're doing the POF negative thing or positive. That's the separate thing. How well he handles the sugars? That's a separate thing. Another thing what they're doing too is that some of these yeasts have the ability to create a certain protein. Okay. And that protein is part of a ferment. It's pretty much like a defense mechanism. And what that protein does is that its enzyme goes into the the medium, whatever they're fermenting, and other yeast uh, has the effect of other yeasts are uh, can be affected by that if it's in their makeup, and it will literally uh, stop a fully rolling fermentation vessel within 12 hours. Okay. Dead. So the three classifications are killer, neutral, or susceptible. Okay. okay. Which it. is also competitive, um, yeah, com- like active, competitive, neutral, or none, or think whatever thing. But it's pretty much the same thing. Okay. So all beer yeast can be considered susceptible. All of it is. Yes. Okay. Pretty much across the board, in general, all beer yeast are considered susceptible. Okay. All right. Now, on the wine side of things, um, of those six that I mentioned, okay, seven one B is considered uh, susceptible. You know, so this, all of those other five, the EC triple one eight, the K1V, triple one six, GRE, BM45, and L2226, those guys are all killer. Okay. Okay. What that means is that if you are starting a fermentation and you use somebody else, any of the beer yeast, and you pitch this guy at the same time, uh, your beer yeast will be gone. (laughs) Within 12 hours. Game over. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, gone. So then you're looking at, okay, how do I I get the flavors that I want? How am I working with this? And so you basically have, um, the problem is, is that these guys will kill all the beer yeast. Your beer yeast will be able to take out that multi-trials. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. then there's just a, how do I get rid of these sugars? Right. Know? So then it comes down to welcome to the beautiful world of enzymes. Okay. And then so there is, uh, Crosby Baker has, um, it's um, amylase uh, glucosidase. It's called Convertase AG300. It's basically like an alpha amylase and beta amylase. It's uh, aspergillus, I think it is, uh, Niger. It's one of the guys they're doing for, and they're able to basically cleave all of the starches and complex sugars and knock it down to like glucose and sucrose. I see. And everybody can ferment. I mean, literally bone dry. So this convertase is going into the mash. No. No. That's the beauty of this. Like you can do that. It's You could have done it in a mash. But okay. you know, the problem is that different enzymes, different ones of these, like well, you guys know that because you got, if you mash out too high, sure. you're killing the lower ones and you're getting more complex chains left behind. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, between the alpha and the beta amylase, there's very specific temperatures. And when you guys raise the temperature up, you denature the enzyme and then that 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 static property is gone, mm-hmm. right? Well, the nice thing about this one is that uh, he actually gets denatured uh, circa, I think it's like 104 degrees. Okay. So the beauty of him is that you do your mash 
much like normal, right? And then in your fermentation, literally, you pitch the yeast and you just bloop, add them right in there, stir it in, and then sugars get cleaved and game on. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, what does that have to do about, uh, say, your, your mouthfeel, uh, things yep. like that? Is right. It, right, right, right. We're going to. Be careful on that. You absolutely have to be careful for that. And also, I was actually thinking, you mentioned that sweet potato beer. Yeah, that's all starch, you know, as well. So, Which, What is that, JP, that you were talking about? He was going to use sweet potatoes to make that beer. The, um, yeah, the, the yams, the, mm-hmm. you know, uh, right. doing that beer that uh, Patrick did, you know, the autumn starch. Yep. Start to be cleaved yeah. to the sugar. Well, he bakes them, I okay. think, to convert them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, oh, okay. uh, he'll he'll bake them to convert them, but um, he also caramelize the sugars that way yeah. too. So I, I get that. Yeah. yeah. But if you wanted to do that without that, I mean, basically across the board, all starches, all fermentation, you know, boom, these guys will make any yeast be able to take everything down to zero. Interesting. Zero, which is good and bad. Right. You know, so if you, you want to go to zero, you go to zero. So if you don't want to go to zero, then how you work with it is you basically run your mash off. You know, go off into um, you know the boiling, and you have to do two separate fermenters. Okay. So I would do like wow. one third. You know, one third is you know the one that that gets left alone with the standard beer yeast, or just the wine yeast without. If you want to use the same wine yeast with the same impact across the board, but remain the sugars because he can't eat the ten percent. Right. So he will be your body and your mouthfeel left. The other guy you're basically adding into the fermenter, and he's fermenting dry, dry, dry. Yep. And you blend them after, and since you're crashing out cold, you're not going to get activity anyway. So because things are going to drop out. Because used to sleep and dropping it out. Okay. Yep. Interesting. So what a great answer to my question, by the way, Shake. So you don't have to blend it with beer yeast. You really could just use the wine yeast, but you do have to do something about that residual sugar, and the convertase is one way to do it. If you want, like um, a lot of this information I got verified from this guy, Tobias Fishborn. You know, it's the guy who invented uh, several myces. Yeah. Of Alalamon. Yeah, he's actually a friend of mine and a really, really great guy. And I just finally, I knew I was coming on the show, you know, and so I, I've been... There's another guy, Clayton Cohn, who's the main Lalamon yeast guru guy for like 40-something years. I mean, he, okay. he's literally forgotten more than I'll ever know. I mean, <laughs> this guy's amazing, you know. So he's like, oh, yeah, I was working in this plant. I remember way back when we were typing these things. And then, do you know about that? And I was like, oh, what, what? No idea. And I'm just writing things down. I don't even bother to stop him and clarify because I'll, <laughs> cause I'll come back later because, yeah. you know, I'm, I don't even know what I don't know when I talk to him. You don't want to stop That's him. fantastic. So <laughs> Toby, Toby's the one who, Tobias is the one who basically uh, confirmed a lot of this and said they've already run. Um, they've done most of their stuff using 71B wine strain, uh, 30% him and 70% because he's neutral. So he's, I'm sorry, he's susceptible. So he won't fight with, with the wine yeast or with the beer, beer yeast. They're okay. both fine. So they're doing like a, uh, there's one German uh, wheat beer facility that's doing with the champagne yeast as a part of it. But they're doing partial ferment in one lot and they're doing another lot and they're blending afterwards. Okay. And there's another one that's doing one with the 71B um, in a different, like kind of a lighter, uh, kind of a funky kind of specialty beer. And those can be pitched directly because the two guys will play together. You know, So roughly 30%, 70% kind of a thing. 70% quote unquote beer yeast. You know, and 30% of the others, so there's some residual body left over, but you're getting some whiny character from the wine yeast, and those two can just go right into the fermenter and, and go and be fine. Happy to play together. Yeah, yeah. So it's just that one yeast, the 7-1-B, that's a susceptible yeah. of the six that you mentioned. Right, yeah. Okay. Now, so here's maybe a question that can get us started with, now that we know the, the ways we can do it. Yep. Why would I do it? And, and, on, what, oh, yeah. and, and on what kind of beer... Do I want to use wine yeast on? Now, you mentioned a lot about these fruit characteristics and complex characteristics. Yeah. Does that limit the kind of beer, or could I do this on anything? I, I mean, if you're not too mm, too traditionally minded, I think in a sense, and I, I don't know how, I don't know how what what camps of um, mm, 
Well, we're pretty wide open. You mean, you know, if I wanted to brew to style? Yeah, you know, I've got a feeling I've kind of seen, you know, there's people who talk about how only do it this way, learn it for the styles. The people who get a little bit kind of more shoot from the hip. And I don't mean to imply that this this does it one way or the other. Sure. But I think it can work for both. Okay. And so my my way to approach this is that uh, the thing that opened my eyes to, to what was going on with these other, you know, non-beer yeasts uh, was the meat experiments. And so... Going from the beer, we're going through, we had all these, you know, quote-unquote wine yeast, and there was always mead, you know, yeast, but we had all these wine yeast that theoretically could have been used for mead, and nobody knew anything about them. They always represented only, like, one or two potential yeasts. I'm like, what about this whole other 40-something in this Lalamont catalog that, you know, that Scott has or Inquiry has and all these other yeasts? I'm going, like, why why don't we try these in the mead? Why don't these get talked about? You mm-hmm. know, I thought there were so many options I wanted to know. So we did two sets of experiments, and uh, we used the same uh, basic honey base, and um, we wound up using, um, I think it was just like a standard wildflower honey, kind of neutrally kind of standard. You know, honey is great because it's basically just uh, floral and sweet and pretty simple and not a lot of nutrition, not a lot of substrates for other things to be formed. So anything other than honey flavors, floral honeys, you know, you know is coming only from the yeast at that point. Okay. Right? Yeah. So then we did uh, just kind of across the board, um, same base and had... Uh, eight different uh, wine yeasts in 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 there, and then the second round of that was then to do okay the same yeast in uh, different honeys to see okay how do you play in the different media so like star thistle honey orange blossom honey uh, I think there was like um, it's like buckwheat and there's like two or three other ones that the start that yeah I missed start this already but there's basically all uh, raspberry blackberry with the other ones and sagebrush and okay. so it's interesting really kind of like across the board possibilities what was going on and what was going to happen what i found which was really fascinating is that on the wine side of things for these yeast in general you had um one strong classification of flavors and what you can um uh, expect to have happen Mm -hmm. across the board uh anything that was considered uh, a white uh yeast which was kind of cool um he made flavors in in the honey base, and remember, we're just talking floral, right? You go and you taste it. All the white wine yeast, quote-unquote, uh, went into two categories. They either did apple and pear flavors All right. really strongly, you know, uh, but beautiful. Like, like wow, that's, that's really interesting, you know, kind of cool. Wow. Along with the honey and the floral, mind you, you know, so that was really nice, too. Or they did uh, tropical, or they did uh, citrus and tropical and pineapple type flavors. Okay. You know, and it was like, but... but integrated with the honey thing that was really gorgeous you know so you had those two kind of sides going on on the red wine side of things everybody was quote unquote a wine yeast red yeast you went to either you had uh, cherry type tones Mm -hmm. going on which were really pretty or you had general uh, berry type things like uh, raspberry blackberry kind of a general but definitely very berry like okay you know so you got cherry and berry over here yeah so when you step back which makes sense because you know if the medium that you're dealing with if you're making red wine you're having cherry berry you know whatever the ones that is and so the guys that are doing more cherry doing certain varietals of grapes that are more where that's going to be expected and so you can yeah. kind of tailor those flavors to it well the same thing can be kind of like diffused back on the beer side of things so in my mind um i was surprised that these two didn't really talk to each other the wine side didn't really seem to really be interacting yeah. with the beer side of things you know that what's kind of crazy and especially now with like Vinny and a lot of other guys doing uh, like really interesting funky beers that are out there that are delicious and 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 you know out there um yeah you can go ahead and do different microflora which is totally cool 
But even within the safety of Saccharomyces cerevisiae, you can still have a lot of options. You know, sure. If you're, if you're kind of worried about you know, different crazy bugs. You know, well, and that's wondering. four really easy cate- uh, categories for us to choose from, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way you've done that is uh, if we're looking for some of those apple flavors, if we're looking for a little bit of mango or citrus, um, that's pretty easy. So, yeah. um, I mean, if you're making an apricot wheat beer, yeah. wouldn't it make sense to like, have, have been a strain that's going to be reinforcing you know, peach characteristic yeah why not and and i guess the uh, my other question about that is so you know one of the things that i don't like about say an apricot fruit beer is that it can be too fruit forward and not enough beer so because of the 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 the, that fruit flavor can be really sweet right so is the yeast characteristic that would add to that that kind of tropical fruit that i'd be looking for out of a out of a wine yeast is that a sweet characteristic, or is it more of a dry characteristic? What do you, what do you mean by well, by sweet? Well, I guess what I mean is, you know, the only thing worse to me sweet than... Sweet to me is just um, purely residual sugar, not impression of fruit impact. Okay. So if you have a beer, yeah. it tastes much more like you're drinking a glass of apricot juice than it does a beer. Uh-huh. To me, that's too fruit forward. Um so, well, so I would I would have pulled back on the apricot, I guess is what oh, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, so yeah, that yeah. I get more beer, right? Absolutely. But maybe in this case, I could, uh, you know, I could have pulled back on the apricot, but added this wine yeast instead, and and then I don't get that perception of it turning into a fruit drink, a fruit juice. It's st- it remains a beer because I'm getting yeast character. Definitely, but well, also, but you realize, there, sorry, sorry, JP. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, just to finish, uh, but you have to realize too, it's not, um, you know, these these aren't lasers. You know, going back to the shooting analogy. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get, uh, you, you know, uh, apricot and peach and these things going on. But you're also going to be getting a general um, fruitiness, estery, kind of winey character at the same time with yeah. the emphasis on these flavors. So that's when you then step back and you go, okay, I want these things going on in there. But so then maybe what I want to do, if, it, for instance, if you know that that's the case for you, um, to learn, the first batch to learn, you know, maybe you're looking at maybe 30% on the wine yeast or maybe 40% on the wine yeast with no fruit. Yeah. Just do it first and say, okay, what are you giving me just as my guy up front? Oh, right. And then based on that blend, and then if you have them in two separate kegs or two separate uh, carboys, then it's really easy to just look, thief out, you know, boom, boom, go, okay, I got a, you know, I got a 10%, I got a 90%, I got a 80, 20, I got a this, and you go, okay, that's pretty damn good. I like this blend here. It could be 50-50. You never know what it's going to give you. Great you idea. Go, I like that. Yeah. And then the next step is just really easy to just, based on that base that you've made, that you like that blend of that, then just basically adding a little bit of any whatever the apricot you have there yeah. just, to, just to bring it up to what you want. You know, Is the fruit flavor pronounced enough that I could, just as an example, I could brew an apricot beer that people would recognize as an apricot beer without a single bit of apricot or apricot extract um, in it? It's more general peach stone fruit ideas. I don't think they would peg it specifically as, oh, this is apricot. Okay. It's, it's general. You probably have some people saying this tastes like peaches. Some people say this tastes more like, you know, yeah. uh, you know apricots. This tastes more, I mean, but it, you could have a general fruit beer without a drop of fruit in it. Absolutely. It's that pronounced. Well, well it's the same thing what you do if you run a hot temp. It's the esters. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, I mean, the Saccharomyces cerevisiae, the all on beer side. Those. That's. There's a reason why you know we're we're always recommended to ferment at 67 or whatever like that. You know. Yeah. And then the Belgians are you know Up in the there. 70s. Yeah. You know why is that? Well, it's that same yeast based on temperature will create more of those compounds, more of the esters. It's the same exact thing, except that those things are more pronounced and more specific, going on there. 
yeah. and for the wine yeast. I mean, we've all had beers, you know, at homebrew conferences or whatever. Oh, you know, it does taste kind of like peach or kind of like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. a little raspberry kind of, and there's nothing in it. It's like a, a stout. Yeah. Or whatever. There's just nothing. It's But uh, that's just the, the fruit of the ester. And going back to, or the ester of the, whatever, uh, going back to what you were saying, I haven't had a, a fruit beer that's been too sweet that actually has real fruit. It's usually fruit extracts and okay. stuff mm-hmm. like that. All right. Um, so I think what Shay's saying, this is a way that you can um, accentuate yeah. that stuff and, and really kind of build on it without having to go down the route of, well, it's not really aromatic enough for me. Now i got to put a little extract in there mm-hmm. or whatever. Okay. All right. Well, and I guess, too, it's the difference between a beer that can taste, that has fruity characteristics, like you're talking about. Like Chad. Or a, or, <laughs> or a fruit beer. Right. And I think that's what I was wondering, is if I would be able to mistake, or you know, not mistake, would be able to taste a beer that had no fruit in it and still go, wow, that's a nice fruit beer, so I w- I w- just I would, based on the yeast. I would say yes. Interesting. And based on fruit, fruit beer. Yeah, and, that's and, really and fascinating. What's, and actually. what's interesting of those three that I recommended, um, the triple one eight, the anything that's quote-unquote called a champagne yeast, uh-huh. you, know, you see, oh, this is a champagne yeast. You know, like, well, what does that mean? Well, basically, the champagne yeast, part of what they're doing is they're super hardy because of part of the, the champagne production. They're dealing with some pretty harsh environments, and they need to be able to ferment and work in those. That's one set of um, hoops they have to jump through. But on the other side, what they do is they're fairly uh, neutral on purpose. So they don't give a lot of fruitiness. They don't give a lot of, a lot of other kind of, um, you know, very definite other crazy estuary impacts on them. They're pretty clean and neutral so that the base thing stands through. Okay. You know, so in the wine world, it's, you know, I guess more like some of the, um, what's more of a neutral? I mean, I've not, I guess like 001 to, to 002, like Chico compared to like English. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know, the English is just malt and gorgeous, but still pretty straightforward and just shows that malt, you know. Mm-hmm. And then something like Chico or something else, you get something that has, you know, definitely more other structure things going on, you know, with that that's just a little bit different. Or even going into the Belgians, you know, you're dealing with Trappist or Abbey, you know, like, wow, that's, he's really given, you know, some serious other things going on, not just that malt. Yeah. You know, even no matter how cold you ferment him. Right. You know what I mean? He's still going to give his little stamp on something. And so it's kind of an interesting thing, like, depending on, that's another way to look at it. Because if you, if you want the fresh fruit characteristic coming through, you know, uh, of any beer you're trying to design, then maybe you don't want such a large portion. Or if you do choose it, you would choose the champagne strain compared to the other ones that have uh, just a general, you know, kapow kind of across the board, you know, fruit all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so but you'll know that by, by your style. And they're, they're easy to work with and it's easy to do. It sounds you like understand it. It, yeah, it yeah, makes yeah. a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. All right, I want to finish this up. Uh, I want to take a break and then talk about what kind of beers you've done. Taste, do you have a question for the break? Well, you, you know, you mentioned, you, you mentioned champagne yeast. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in, in my Belgian Golden Strong, sometimes it, uh, towards the end of the ferment, I'll add a, a, a pitch of, of champagne yeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't uh, like bottle condition the beer, I'll basically I'll, eventually you just force carbonate it and somehow get it in a 12-ounce in a bottle and drink it that way. Uh, is there a better yeast I could use than champagne? I'm just using champagne because of the champagne's great. He's, it, he's neutral. What, it, which 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 is it? Is it a a, a neutral or is no? It he's a, a killer. So. It's a killer as well. So when you pitch him, he's I'm the done one. with everything else. Okay. Yeah. Well, are you using it to dry it out? Uh no, I'm more for the champagne flavor actually. Yeah. Hmm. Well, he won't dry it out. Not because it. it's malt based. Yeah, he can't yeah. break those sugars down. Ah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a really good thing to remember. Yeah. I think for the whole show is that difference between whether or not it can break down maltotriose. Is that yeah, what it's yeah. called, right, mm-hmm. or not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because 
Yeah, uh, sorry, cut you off, but well, I mean, I, I we, just, we've been saying that. I mean, that's just kind of common, quote unquote, common knowledge in the beer industry. Where oh, champagne, it'll dry that thing right. We out. say it all the time, but we don't. We never know. We just assume, but it won't. And, but, but what's interesting about this is that it, it's a strong and hearty fermenter. So and and and, and he doesn't need. I, he may be a bionis if I'm correct. He may he doesn't need a lot of nutrition. So if it's a harsh environment. I mean, he can stand high. He can stand high alcohol. He can do it towards some of the weaker mm-hmm. um, beer yeasts are a bit more mm, wussy, you know. Mm-hmm. And and you don't need to coddle him at all. He'll get in there, and if there's sugar there that he can handle, he'll handle it. Game Got over. It. Okay. That's which is I why think, he's chosen as a champion. Yeah, I think that's what I was alluding to. Was yeah. you, know, you get a big, strong, dark, uh, big, strong golden, and uh, well, they, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll start to peter out at you know ten twenty two something right, like right. that. Yeah, you want a few you more need points. it. You need it drier. He's not going to dry it down to you know oh oh two or anything, but uh, he can do more than your regular beer yeast. Yeah. The, well, and this is another thing too. Is the other the other experiment that I did on top of this was that um, I was looking at to uh, just corn based fermentation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, just trying to figure out, okay, if this is the case, what is the least nutrient-available thing and what's going to go on with the yeast? Well, corn has absolutely nothing in it. It's just sugar and, and crap. And that's where I found out about the enzymes first, reading about old distillation books, you know, old moonshine runs and stuff. It's like, how are these guys doing it? How is that working? And then it's using the enzyme for that to convert those starches. And I, I grabbed uh, just uh, it was 005, I think, dry English or something like that too. And I literally on purpose started uh, 1090. Mm-hmm. You know, start and it took it to zero. Wow! With dry English, double, you know, the double O five, I think it is White Labs, mm-hmm. and that's. I'm so I'm going like, well, wait a minute. You uh, you look on the chart. It says <laughs> what seven percent or something, or five percent. I'm like, we just took this to twelve or whatever it was. I'm like, so what's the deal? Now, granted, I fed it. You know, I it stirred everything up. I babied it. It got oxygen. You know, at the start and also partially through it as well. Uh, and so I coddle it, but that's all standard. You know fermentation handling yeah. know, going on but the bottom line is that if you let on paper uh, that theoretically was not supposed to be able to finish that dry right because it wasn't yeah and that was the deal so then i called chris <laughs> chris white and i'm like hey man uh, what are you guys basing these numbers of attenuation on because yeah. i just took you know your dry english uh, to zero from there and he's like well, kind of depends. Because, you know, <laughs> no, you know, Chris White said white. something like that. Chris depends white. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> it was absolutely fantastic. And it was it was great because basically it comes back to understanding what is happening on the brew side again, kind of voodoo. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. The bottom line is that if you guys are in a situation where something is not finishing out and something's not going, you've handled it well, and the temperature sorry, the temperature's fine. Uh, it's a nutritional issue if it poops out and there's still sugar there, or an environmental issue. The sugar's too high. Uh, it's not going to probably be the alcohol, to be honest. Hmm, you know, okay. there's nutrition and temperature going yeah. on with that. And if things got funky up front, that's another thing. But the cool thing about um, doing the other research about the enzyme point of view is that guys are actually using this in brew houses is that they're starting to get a change on certain generations of their yeast pitch, and they're using a, and or mash is changing, or the grain bill changed, and they're losing a little bit of efficiency. You know, the ferment, you know, things are not going through. Um, they're literally adding the dosages of the enzyme to drop it by, you know, one or two degrees Plato in the ferment. So you can go to where it, you know, slows down or almost stops, and you say, whoa, I'm not done yet. I need more that's going here. You know those other things are there because yeah. you've got a hydrometer showing you that, right, whether it's fermenting it or not. I mean, you're not going to run a gas 
chromatograph to see what fractions are still present and what's the percentage of that. That's just not realistic, you know. So you go through, and the easy thing for any of us is he'll go to a point where he starts slowing down, and when he poops out, you're like, mm, you're not done, dude. 10, 20? I don't think so, you know. And then the dosage rate for that Convertase, the mm-hmm. AG300, is was like 0.2. The cool thing about yeah, the dosage rate was 0.8 to uh, 2.8 ounces uh, per 10 barrels of wort, which comes down to 310 gallons. When you convert the math down, uh, it comes out to basically 0. 0.08 mils to 0. 0.28 mils per gallon I see. of liquid. So that's a pretty wide range, you know, because you don't know how much is there. So the nice thing about that is you can kind of take a middle ground and back off. And when you know when the guy slows down, you're like, ah, shit, you know, I, I want him to finish more. Even if I just, Add a little more on the low end. And you'll see it probably pick up because yeast are still viable. They're still going. They just can't eat what's there. Yeah. Something's not right. And so that breaks it down to an easier form for them to handle. And you'll be able to lower the gravity at a predictable rate. Yeah. Without having it go dry, dry, dry. Shat, your stuck fermentation question last week. It could have covered a little bit there, too. Absolutely. You know? Sorry. It's a magic juice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, the, that's you can do it that way, but the nice thing about the champagne yeast is that you will get a little bit of a, of a quote-unquote whiny character on the background, which will kind of flush out the complexity, which is really nice. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Most. Yeah, yeah. So that's, so that's just know that those are two options. Right. I would, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, pro yeast, mind you, so I would probably use the yeast up front, but realize that you're going to get a whiny character with converting everybody who can be there, but uh, he may not also be able to finish where you wanted, and you may also still need the enzyme to the end. Yeah, right. I deal with that another way. Yep, that would be an easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. All right, let me get us to break. Learning about whiny characters other than JP. Oh, with, uh, come on now. <laughs> That's not very fair. Shake comfort. That makes me feel bad inside <laughs> where it counts. Stop whining. All right. We got a lot to get to, and we're going to get to it, I promise. It's like Africa in here right now. There's flies buzzing around everyone's face. <laughs> there is, actually. It's 100 Shed's, degrees. Yeah. Shed's not fat. His belly's distended. <laughs> Shed's distended. Yeah. It's Africa Day. On the session. Hang in there with us. Uh, we got Shay Comfort. He's teaching us all about wine yeast and how to do it. When we come back, I've got some specific questions about maybe some beers you've tried and what you got out of it and what we can do to do this. And then we're covering Oak in a little bit, too. So stick with us. It's the session. You're listening to The Brewcasters, the Brewcasters. on The Brewing Network. What have you gotten out of a vial of White Labs yeast? WLP 001, Cal Ale, baby! 23, Burton Ale. 008, East Coast Ale. Cal Common, WLP 810. It's gonna be WLP 400 with beer! I got a sweet hoodie for my vial. Huh? White Labs, your source for great brewer's yeast, would like to invite all homebrewers to join the White Labs Customer Club. Redeem your empty vials for great White Labs merchandise and products. Free yeast, glassware, t-shirts, baseball caps, sweatshirts, polo shirts, and you won't believe what you'll get for 5,000 vials. Members also receive a newsletter packed with White Labs updates and facts, interviews with professional brewers, brew-your-own-clone recipes, beercook.com recipes, and customer club stories. The White Labs Customer Club. Save your vials and get in the club. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire her up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. 
the new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The, the More Beer, beer deal, deal of the Day. day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the more beer deal of the day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonated. Mix me your 100-grain amber <laughs> recipe, and I'm going to eat it. And then it can ferment in my gut. It totally works. The beer is almost identical to the grain sandwich. Your colon won't know what hit it. <laughs> the, the home of live beer radio. Thebrewingnetwork.com. Because like beer, radio shouldn't suck. You're listening to The Session. The Brewing Network, saving your life, one beer at a time. We're back in the studio here. We've we got Shay Comfort in here with us, uh, getting us through a, a, a very intelligent yeast discussion, which is weird for us. So, Shay, thanks for coming in here and doing that. I appreciate it. We all feel smarter because of it. <laughs> everyone, everyone in the chat's like, uh, this dude is way over Justin's head right now. <laughs> no, this is why it's a podcast and you go back. That's yeah. right. You can always go back and listen. Yeah. I, actually, uh, the way that Shay is delivering the information is much more clear and understandable to me than one might think upon yeah. first listening. I'm <laughs> absorbing some of this stuff. I thought you were going to say compared to the other guy that comes and talks about No, 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 no. This no, is the best for you. Trust me. <laughs> Whitey, I think, does a great job. When I talk to, to Whitey one-on-one uh, yeah. about yeast, I get I get everything he's talking about. It's just in here because we throw so many scenarios. You know, we end up with that it depends thing. You say um, Whitey, you mean like the man? Yeah. Uh, well, to me, no, 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 the not man. the man. No. Oh, By the way, uh, the man's oh. no longer Whitey. Now the man yeah. is Barack Obama. Not, so not capital T, capital M, <laughs> just lowercase t. No, Chris yeah. White. Chris White is Whitey. Yeah. Is who we mean. And, awesome. Um, and I, off the air, I get. A, I can understand him also. Uh, but on air right now, I'm understanding what Shay has to say, and it's amazing. I feel like already right now I could go do something with wine yeast. So uh, it's very clear. I think man. you're about forget it in about five minutes. Though. Forget about what? Except for what I wrote I'll, down. This wine <laughs> could happen. Thanks for the support, Doc. Of <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, what we wanted to do uh, before we end our yeast discussion, because we still have a whole other topic. We're going to talk about using oak in your beer and different ways to do that. Um, Shay had mentioned six different wine yeasts that we could use. Yep. And uh, we should talk about the characteristics from each one, because you made a bold statement near the beginning, Shay, where you said, even I would be able to taste the difference between using these different yeasts in a beer. Guarantee it. Okay. So let's talk about what we could expect out of some of the different ones here. Yeah. So uh, just, you know, uh, full disclosure that the... I have run uh, yeast and bacteria trials for Lalamon for the past eight years, and it's still ongoing. 
So a lot of these yeasts I knew first in wine, and that's why I did that meat experiment, because then in a single more neutral base. And the nice thing about that is that pretty much did confirm uh, those things. So I haven't tried every single one of these in every single type of beer style, okay. mind you. But uh, looking at the what's going on with mead and what's going on uh, with the wine and the few malt-based things that I've done, like a lot of the whiskey guys are using uh, partials. Hmm. Uh, of wine yeast as part of their general things for complexities for the whiskey itself. Really? Oh, yeah. And the guys are using the enzymes, too, because they're going to going to zero. Boom. So they're finding that they're j- just a more complex wort is ending up being a, a more complex whiskey safe. later. Yeah, and it's safe. Okay. Because okay. a lot of times they're doing secondary. There's lots of other microflora going on, and, and they wind up that can go good or that can uh, go not so well. <laughs> okay. And so this is a nice way to get complexity in a safe way. Interesting. Yeah, kind of across the board, yeah. Doc doesn't know anything about people making whiskey at their home. No. No. Either do I. Good. Because that's illegal <laughs> no. in this country. That's right. Yeah. And it would be wrong. Only uh, distilling water. Ah, yes. You know, He's very pure. good at distilling water. Essential essences. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. That sounds like a douche commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess what the lavender would be. Yeah, would. Yeah. You mean the, that's the guy with the lisp. <laughs> he knows. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, what are some of the things that you yeah. did find? Yeah. So, pretty much, um, I'll just go through them each again. Seven one B. He really has kind of a nice uh, general. He's kind of. Hmm, it's funny. He's he's more of a, a fruit salad characteristic. I mean, you just open up like you know the can of Libby's, you know, and he just he's just bam, like all sorts of crazy stuff going on. I mean, but just he's not just one set guy. He's boom, lots of really crazy fruitiness going on with him. Triple one eight is more kind of more neutral, but a kind of a general whiny character in the background. Uh, I guess the closest brewers would do is more towards a line of like um, Belgians, in the sense that they can have that kind of. Yeah. See, when you say wine character, yep. I, I think of two things. For mm-hmm. one, obviously, is the grape characteristic. The other one yes. is is a as a hotter alcohol flavor. No. no, 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 no. Okay, alcohol is different from aromatics. Okay, organoleptic is different from 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 the alcohol okay. level. That's why I wanted to make sure that we were talking about the same thing when you said before sweet against the fruit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These are two different, very clear, separate things. Okay. Yeah, just make sure we're, we're clear. Sure. Yeah. No, there's. A, it's more on the the. Gra- grapey innocent but it's not gravy mind you it's just general fruit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so there's there's a but a fermented fruit so there's alcohol mixed with it basically what, what you're talking about is esters yeah you know and so that changes that uh k1v what's really interesting with him uh triple one six uh he definitely has a very kind of he does that stone fruit peach quality going on with him okay and that's really pretty cool he was the one that uh, k1 was being used uh, as part of a wheat beer they're using to have a really strong kind of a peachy uh quality with him it was kind of a neat one. The other one was a triple one eight. Was more kind of like a general whiny, kind of a fruity, more complex, low level thing as part of a blend as well okay. that they're doing in the in the ferment. Uh, Gre, um, he is a red wine guy, and so he definitely has a berry, fresh berry impact, which is really really cool. Uh, I'm trying to think as you're going through this list, um, and maybe you guys could do it too, because at the end we can maybe go back and suggest some beers that would be good with that. But as you're saying, you know, like a berry flavor, I'm just kind of wondering what kind of beer would be great with this. Go on, please. I'm just thinking of well, well, no, you know, general, well, general berry. I mean, across the board. I mean, anything you're doing, um, any of the fruit beers, a little bit more malt residual characteristic would kind of be interesting. I'm thinking like Creek. Mm-hmm. Any lambic? Yeah, you know these would be really interesting as a specialty thing. Uh, even on a lower level, um, if you want general berryness, um, I think that uh, any kind of like a stout or a porter, where you would want some kind of a nice kind of a low level 
kind of a, um, yeah, the, the, the berry that's like the raspberry, boysenberry, blackberry. It's like, like a bowl of berries. It's just really, really interesting. The okay. Yeah. It's yeah. No, no, no. Framboise is, <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he, that's more the raspberry, and it's a little that, bit of a brighter one than what Jerry That's does. another yeast that you, you yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, BM45, he definitely gives cherry. Okay. Really nice, beautiful cherry. And it's just like, wow, uh, cherry, you know, I mean, you kind of, where did that come from, you know? And it's really useful. So like what uh, Scott was talking about, he was going to be doing a, a stout, what type of it? Uh, we're going to do a Black Forest stout tomorrow. Yeah. And, and so to cherries. Me, and hmm. he suggested trying out the uh, BM45 mm-hmm. uh, it, just to accentuate the cherries from a different angle. Yeah. And yeah, the general whiny fruitiness would go, and along with the stout, will kind of back up the the darker malts, I think. Okay. You know, with that, and the kind of robustness. BM45 is also known for having a really strong impact on mouthfeel. So a lot of polysaccharide matter protein production. Yeah, which is, we haven't even discussed that part yet. Mm-hmm. We're only discussing flavor profiles and not the part where we're going to get more mouthfeel. Or, but the nice yeah. thing is that that won't get broken down. You know, so that would remain mouthfeel. Some of these guys will actually give a lot of mouthfeel characteristics without having to rely slowly, uh, solely on the um, the larger chain sugars, mm-hmm. you know, starches and stuff that would remain unfermented to give that body. Yeah, you know, this is going at it from an, another point of view, just as part of the ferment. So, so we can so get they, this from the yeast. Yep. So they could be fermented those long chain sugars, and we would st- we would not be sacrificing mouthfeel. Is that what you're saying? Right. It's independent production. Like depending on how much of enzyme or whatever you're dealing with in order to get the um, uh, the amount of attenuation you want from that. That can be looked at as one way. But uh, all of these yeasts also have a different impact on mouthfeel. Okay. So it, literally like round roundness, fullness, you know, a smoothness, a richness, a thickness in the mouth. Okay. Literally a tactile sensation. Wow. So you can get this also <laughs> from the yeast. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, coming just from the yeast, independent of residual sugar. Okay. So you can have two. So it leaves those alone, which I also had to, that is the mouthfeel of the beard to begin with, right? Right. Yeah. For the beer guys, yeah, you guys are you guys are relying primarily on the sugar. Yeah. The, hey. You know. So that's mouthfeel independent of uh, of any of the long chain sugars, just from the yeast, which right. is different than what I'm used to talking about with beer right. yeast. Right, we don't get that out of the beer right. yeast, out of the beer. So you guys are controlling mouthfeel via the mash and the long term, the long chain sugars in there. Where when you're using these yeast, another factor of these wine yeasts is you're going to mm-hmm. add to and get a different characteristic for the mouthfeel. And from the wine making side of thing. Uh, all of mouthfeel is basically uh, yeast autolysis product, so it's matter protein and polysaccharide proteins coming from the actual yeast themselves. And whether they're they're fractioned off in the beginning and then used as a product early on in ferment, mm-hmm. or actually working with an aging on the lees on the on the spent yeast, clean on the bottom, and then working with those proteins as they open themselves up, autolyze. Yeah, they open themselves up and release those proteins back into the wine and are stirred and actually worked that way to develop those structures and proteins and mouthfeel and, and complexity. Okay, and it doesn't have to be yeasty and bad. Right. Yeah, there's another thing, too. If you guys are on wine yeasts, I'm not quite sure. If if you get off most of the trube in the first part of it, you know, if you want to go to any sort of structuring or secondary, I'm not sure how many guys go into a secondary fermenter. Is that a common thing still? It's still common. We don't. Uh, I think a lot of times we don't advocate it anymore. Jamil changed a bunch of us about that. Yeah, I don't. People still do it it all the time. I, I don't do it. Sure. Yeah, I'm going to cover with it. But I also, you know, work with being really clean, you know, with everything up front. So it's not so much of an issue. Not taking a lot of garbage in from the boil kettle into the. 
fermenters are pretty. But so if you have that, what I mean is that then you'll be surprised just on a plain ferment side by side, going to zero or going to whatever your ending terminal gravity is. Um, one yeast will literally be round and full and rich, and one will be more linear and focused and, and more kind of austere. Okay. And it's handling. Both are delicious. Both are really interesting and useful, but they just do different things. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And BM45 is one of the guys who's known as giving just tremendous mouthfeel. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that are you thinking about uh, trying that out on this batch, Doc, or are you already set to do your your the stout you're doing tomorrow? No, I'm set to do this. You are? Oh, you oh, are. Yeah, it was coming. That's what it was coming. That's, this is yeah. what the whole Great. This is what the experiment was. I've got the yeast Perfect. ready to go. I've, I'm going to split it into two conicals. Yeah. Uh, I have a starter of London Ale yeast going in one, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to do the... This BM45. The BM45 yeah. and the other one. Yeah. Like one, one third on that one probably I would do. One third? Two thirds on the other one. And then, and then make sure you crash pretty good at the end. You know, we'll make when when they stop. You got uh, two days or so of sugars solid where they are, so you're not getting that much movement. So you know that's when. And if you need to, then go ahead and pull off a blend. Whatever your ratio is, if you're two to one, right? You know, do that and check your sugar on that and taste it and say, okay, are we good here, or is this too much sugar still, or what's happening there? And then you can then use enzyme if you need to on that on the smaller batch that didn't have you know anything right. with it. I always crash the wine your big BM. So a boy, yeah. yeah, good for you. Um, Let's uh, give us the two characteristics of the last... Um, yeah, L2226. Yeah. Um, he's going to be more kind of uh, berry-like in general. Berry also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But in a slightly different way. Very delicious. Now, here's a question that came through from the chat a little earlier. Sure. And that Doc might need also, uh, though he's probably already talked to you about this. But mm-hmm. uh, what about fermentation temperatures for these? Because we're mm-hmm. very specific in our beer yeast. Mm-hmm. Are we also very specific in our wine yeast? In what temperature uh, uh, we have uh, to ferment these at? Absolutely the same. Same thing. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's always the same thing. The the warmer you're making things, the more esters, the more fruity, the more complexity, the more funky, spicy, crazy things that they do naturally mm-hmm. will be more present. Okay. You know, and so the cooler you make it, then the more kind of back down and focused, and then they take maybe because they're wine yeast, it won't quite be such a um, equal to or lesser back uh, compared to the malt. <laughs> you know, with, with wine they'll kind of pull back a lot and leave it to come through. Yeah. But for the I'd say if, again, that's another thing you need to go go ahead and try the two because if if you're looking at this guy as a one-third portion of a blend, you have to look, what is his purpose? Mm-hmm. You know, it's going, if you're going to do the whole thing with that yeast, fantastic. That's great. You know, And I would re- probably recommend running one or two trials. Uh, you know, Just do one batch out. Or if you have two different fermenters, you're doing 10-gallon batch, it's really nice to run one guy at 67 you know, and run, run the other guy at you know, 72 or whatever. You, know, you, can, you can see very clearly what's happening and then you'd be able to taste okay i like him when he does this or he's that's a little too crazy over here yeah but he may be giving you something on the warmer one that's the reason why you would choose to go with the wine yeast it's complex and it's interesting as a portion of him mm-hmm. so you go okay but it's pretty strong so you don't need him to be you know half of your final blend kind of thing so you need to like backtrack based on what you're tasting and then how you basically go about designing it yeah so uh, it'd be nice to be able to give you you know uh, open package a in 20 minutes yeah. and you know what i mean it's yeah. very clear directions but uh, will the palmer do that yeah but it but it but it doesn't really work that way and yeah. so so he doesn't know that yeah. well <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't and what, what what so what the nice thing is is an understanding of this so then how does it work and what's going to be consistent is it okay warmer it's going to give you more of this less is going to give you less of this you know, and so if you understand that concept and you'd be able to do two of those ferments and you taste, what does that mean? Because I can sit there and rattle all this stuff off and you guys go right. blink, blink, yeah, whatever. But as soon as you taste the two side by side, you go, oh, 
boom, that's that. I and get it. Boom, that's it. Yeah, click, boom, you're done. Yeah. And then, then you got it. You're done. And you, you can start to then project that onto the other ones as well. Okay. You use them as a tool. So you kind of have to think it through before you do it. As a starting point, I mean, could uh-huh. we just go to uh, could so like I would go to whitelabs.com and 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 he would uh, you know Chris White has listed right there the ideal fermentation temperature sure. for each yeast. So as a starting point, would I do the same with these Lalamine yeast? Are those ideal fermentation temperatures listed along with their descriptions? Uh, no, I would say uh, because. Hmm. Uh, beer is consistent because you guys are dealing with uh, uh, what sixty five to um, seventy two or something, mm-hmm. whatever the seventy four, depending on some. Unless of those we go ones. really Belgian, yeah, right. But that mm-hmm. that's really the odd the odd bird out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so sure. in general, you, you you have a narrow range, but, we do. but you have to realize it's not because of the strain; it's because of the media. Okay. Okay. So what you're trying to do is you're dealing with malt, you're dealing with something that's more kind of straightforward, uh, and you don't want to cover that up by too much ester production everything you want the clarity of the malt to come through with some complexity and niceness and also mouthfeel characteristics as well yeah that you guys probably not quite so aware of because you have to learn to taste through all the malt that's left you know but once you're kind of aware of what's going on with different yeast side by side and run multiple trials you go ah okay same attenuation you know and and that was uh olin and i in the beginning uh started you know, brewing up front, and we would do a ten gallon. We started making the first beer systems for more beer, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, back in the potting shed behind Darren's house, you know, yeah. a ten gallon system. And I, I couldn't afford that, but I had time, and I wanted to brew the beers I wanted to brew. We both really like malt and focus on this, so we'd always do ten gallon batch, split the yeast. Okay, uh, and that was from the beginning. You know, so uh, from the actual beginning was that, and so you literally taste the same attenuating gravity, same mash, same wort, everything on like this, and yet one has more richness more fullness one has something else separate for us so there's definitely mouthfeel and other structures going on in there mm-hmm. now when you step back from this and you look at okay uh how are the wine yeast categorized because if you look at the lalamont catalog or any other uh catalog with you know yeast that are, that are out there you know scott or anyone else who produces these um you'll see um white wine has a range of temperatures and red wine has a range of temperatures so on the white wine side of things, you're looking anywhere from like, you know, 55 to 65. Okay. Depending on what you're shooting for. If it's a barrel ferment, more rich, more robust, more focused, more linear, more austere, like what are you looking for you know, to come through? And that's on that side of things. When you're looking at a red wine fermentation, you're looking at like, you know, 67 up to like 85. Wow. Okay. See what I mean? Because there's a whole another world going on in, in, in chemistry and everything that's happening that you want to have happen in those fermentations. Yeah. And so you choose where in those you're working with. So, And we're uh, going to have to do the same. It sounds, we're no, really going to have to try. No, no, no. Go back, go back and pay attention to just, just use the, your standard beer temperatures. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And if, you, and if it's not giving you enough on a standard ferment, uh, the bet you think I, I, the way he was talking, it should have given me more crazy stuff, you know? Well, yeah. No, no. So therefore, then, okay, then run him the next time at 75 instead of instead of 65. Okay. You know, that's the thing. I would start on that because you'd be surprised, you know, uh, he may be like, whoa, that's all I want of him. You know, you're easy, yeah. easy killer, you know, back off. Yeah. Yeah. And very quickly could turn into a yeah, yeah. fruit bomb or something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Or, or just, that. I mean, interesting. Or not enough. You. You know, yeah. And yeah. if you've had Belgiums, you've had things that are really kind of crazy and out there, you're like, you know, that that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. But maybe not. You don't need five gallons of that if all you have is you know you can only fit two kegs in a you know kegerator. Then you don't want one whole keg real estate being taken up by something that's crazy that you may you know want every so often. But you don't need a full keg up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like a really interesting project to take on, and it sounds interesting in, in a lot of ways because not only we're we using a new yeast, but 
it kind of sounds like like you're going to be doing tomorrow, Doc. Not only are you going to be using wine yeast for the first time in your beer, you're also going to be blending when you're done. So yeah. it's two new procedures that you get to take on by checking this out, which is a lot of fun, really. Well, that's what gives me brewing. Is I don't brew just to brew beer. I yeah. always want, I want to try something new, a new technique, uh, new yeast, a new new something, yeah. and that's what gets me doing something every time. Yeah. Someone in the chat room uh, hat tricks her. He goes, "Oh, two conicals. That's what you can. That's what you can have if you had paid attention in college." <laughs> that's right. I have three conicals. <laughs> oh! That's what happens if you go to community college first and then pay attention in college. <laughs> I was, was, yeah. was going to say post grad, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, um, let me try to do a, a little bit of a summary of what we've covered ah, so far. Sorry, uh, sorry there, there's one thing that sprung to my mind, too. Another thing I was like really surprised about is, is how little you guys blend even standard beer yeast. Right. <coughs> All beer yeast. Unless you're tasting. Oh, what? Blend? <laughs> no, just, he's talking about just the yeast. Oh, the yeast. Oh, yeah. I think you meant the finished beer. Oh. No, no, no. Okay. no. Well, well, that's the same thing to me. It is. It's burr, a, burr, burr, burr. Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, so... so, so the nice thing is that you guys don't have any pitfalls because all the beer yeasts are pretty much sensitive and they're not going to fight with each other. A killer, will, a killer will take out a sensitive. It won't have any effect on a neutral. You know, a neutral won't be bothered by either of them. But if everybody's susceptible or neutral, there's no problem. And all the beer yeasts are susceptible, so they're all, they're all, no one's going to kill them. Yeah. So you can literally blend them right there. Blend them right there, and I, and I, and I do. You do, okay. Oh, I do already, you all know, right. just within the beer yeast themselves. Okay. Like, How about different timing for the blending? Put one in first, add yeah. one, another one later. Well, yeah. The only thing, any time, and, and it's the same thing for wine as well. Uh, the, it's all the same. Any time you have a fermentation where you're pitching two different bugs at the same time, um, all of them have, just like us, we, uh, very distinct personalities. And not everyone's a morning person. Not everyone's, you know, this type of a thing. And so certain guys get in there, certain yeasts get in, and boom, they're ready to go. Bam, they hit, and then they kind of mellow out, and then they kind of ride out. Certain guys take a while to kind of get used to it, kind of what's that, and then they, they kick ass, and they build up, and they go, 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 go. Yeah. You know, and so they're all very different. So if you have two guys who have kind of disparate starting or, or fermentation characteristics, and you pitch them in there, one guy, if he's a quick starter, he's going to make a tremendous amount of impact before the even guy is even joining the party. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just be aware of the timing. So that's the case, you know, if he's a slow starter or not, and how does he work, you know, kind of a deal. Um, that might be aware of. And if you want an even impact, if you just want a general more complexity, then, you know, go for it. You're fine. Yeah. But, you know, if you want to be, you know, more clear about it, and you know this guy's kind of slow, and this other guy's, you know, a workhorse at the end, then maybe first day with one guy and then pitch the other guy after, and you make sure to at least balance out more the impact you're going to get from both. Okay. But, I mean, the real answer is if you just do two separate side-by-side and you blend them post-ferment. Okay. And that's the way you have repeatability and control and everything from there from around. Yeah. And also you may be very surprised uh, by doing that, you also have a chance to be able to pull off and say, hey, uh, I like... This is going to go half and half, and, and but post you go. Whoa, wait a minute, and then so like I basically <laughs> do a lot of Belgiums, and so um, I like uh, Abbey and Trappist. Mm-hmm. You know, for different reasons, the Abbey's always got that apricot thing going. It kind of soft and kind of pillowy, and takes a while to kind of get going, but doesn't quite have the push that I want. Trappist, you know, has a little more robustness to it. I would say a whiny character as well. Okay, going the two, and so I basically pitch them side by side directly in the vials now okay. into the same carboy to get the best of both worlds, which we'll be tasting actually in uh, my Belgian, the double that will that are brought here. Great with oak and the ferment. And the end is that um, if you separate the two, what's kind of su- surprising is that if you do, you can pull off, okay, you, you theoretically would have been a one-for-one, one and you taste him. 
And then you go, wait a minute, you know, I really, really like what's going on with Trappist, but it's really nice to have some abricot thing and some soft, maybe only really a third, a third of him. Mm-hmm. And so if they're in two separate carboys, it's easy. You just go, bloop, bloop, wait in a glass immediately right there before Pour you go into a keg. Yeah. yeah, and just, no, just taste them. Yeah. And then you go, oh, you know, that's really the blend I like. And so the next time you go to ferment, you know, maybe you didn't put basically two-thirds in one vessel and one-third in the other, and you just put, you know, Abby in the one-third and two-thirds. In, and so you know your ratio. You have your clarity and repeatability, and you're golden. Okay. Yeah. I just want to point out, too, if you're really a lazy douche like me, uh, <laughs> White Labs does have a couple of blends that they've done already. Um, so if you, don't exactly. want to, if, if you don't want to have control over it yourself and do the, some of the blending you're talking about and yeah. you just wanted to try what it's like between the difference of an Abbey and a Trappist or an Abbey Trappist together, mm-hmm. I think that might actually be one of the blends that they have. Trabby. Um, that you can, yeah. <laughs> but you check it out, whitelabs.com, and they've done some blends already for you well, if, and, if you want to be really lazy. Yeah, I mean, that's why is that? Yeah. Because I mean, it's Cause a they very know good idea. Get good things. Well, it's yeah. a very good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That Shay came up with, apparently. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really good idea. I, I'm pretty sure that when nobody's around, um, Shay actually talks to his yeast, and they, they're his friends, and they have names. He whispers. Like Charlie, and, and say, how how we doing today, Charlie? And yeah, that's, like, that's true, yeah. <laughs> that's just how I picture you at home. Gets up in the morning. How yeah. you doing, guys? Hey, guys. Reads the paper to him. They're, you know? de- they're definitely spoiled. I think, yeah, that's a, and that's more what I'm getting at. I think your yeast is much happier than the yeast in this house because <laughs> well, you're I, spoiling them. Yeah, yeah. It's def- yeah, but def- your, your yeast is white trash. <laughs> yeah, we have Pacheco yeast. Yeah, they kill each other. My yeast is on crystal meth. Well, the funny part is I'm not even aware of of that. This is just normal, you know, because if you do that, the flavors are better. Mm-hmm. And it's really straightforward. I mean, it's kind of if you feed them, if you take care of them, you're this, and the beer is better, the wine is better. It's like you literally do the same thing in the same medium. You bring them back, and you go and be aware of temperatures and, you know, a lot of the shock, too, because going for something too warm in the starter to something that's too cool. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're paying attention to all these elements, then the flavors are fantastic. Okay. You know, and it's the same exact – you're doing the same work. That's the thing. You spent the same money, the same amount of time, and the same amount of work. And yet, one of them is better than the other. Why is that? Well, because you took care of the yeast, and it's a minimum amount of information yeah. and understanding, and just incorporating that into yourself because that just—it's like an insurance policy. Why wouldn't you do that? Sure. So that was a normal thing, and that was kind of um, a bunch of friends. Uh, it was like two, two and a half years ago, and stuff when I was at, at a winery, and that, that that finished out, and I was trying to figure out what what do I do? And they said, well, you should you know be you know working with people and consulting with people, and say, yeah, yeah, I don't know who. And everyone started calling me the yeast whisperer. Oh, they. Did. Yeah, and nice. I was and at one show. It was over a three day period, and it was three separate people over a three day period at the Sacramento Wine Show where that came up. Really, and I thought this is really odd, you know, the time. So, <laughs> so it stuck, and so that's nah. that's basically what I do. Oh, it is okay. Yeah. Now you are the East yeah, Whisperer. It, it, it's actually okay. Eastwhisperer dot com, and in, I'm a winemaking consultant. Okay, so somebody has a problem with their yeast, I'm unruly yeast. You'll come over there and slam <laughs> around, <I'm a> <laughs> yeah, and you go, no, do not fer- don't ferment like that, because <laughs> we need to be firm with the yeast. We need to yeah, tell them it's not the yeast; yeah. it's the yeast owner. Just, we're just yeah. yeast. We're just yeast herders. I mean, yeah. and that's, that's all so you're doing is guiding. You're providing the environment, hurting. and you're guiding so that it can. You're not making a damn thing. No, no, no. All you're doing is providing the environment so they can do their magic that's it you need to let the yeast know that you are in control <laughs> like the dog <laughs> the caesar milan of the uh, yeah. yeast world the yeast don't know they are not in control you are in control <laughs> and you must be the dominant yeast you must you must dominate you must dominate 
All right, let me try to take Shay's big brain and put it oh. down into a tiny brain like mine and do a little bit of Wine Yeast 101 just to summarize what we've learned today before we move on to Oak. Oh, right. we, we have a, if I could. a phone guy. He's been on the phone for a little bit. A phone guy. I mean, a co- excuse me. And you're just letting us know about it? He has I'm a not bo- supposed to. Do you mean phone oh, that's guy? That's not JP. So he has a bottling question? Yeah, he wants to bottle with champagne yeast, I think, is what it is. All right, let's do that yeah. quickly, and then we'll do, we'll do a little summary. Uh, looks like we're talking to Pseudo Chef in Nashville. What's happening, brother? Uh, not much. Got a question for Shay? Yeah, so my club just did a dark strong, and we put it into a Jack Daniels barrel. Why is it going to be dark? That for about four months. Um, and the alcohol by volume is right around 14% right now. Did you um, pick that up so from the I barrel? Wanna, did, you picked up the extra alcohol from know. the barrel going in? I, oh, I actually really don't know. It, it probably went in. Um, we probably picked up a couple points. Yeah. It's attenuated down really, really low. So um, I think it went in at 11.15 uh, or so. But um, So I just wanted to know, because I want to, for presentation's sake, I want to cage and cork um, a good portion of this. Mm-hmm. But obviously, to bottle condition that, I know with around 14%, I want to use some type of champagne yeast or wine yeast. So I'm wondering about, like, you know, what a good suggestion for a particular yeast would be and how much should I be repitching when I go to, to cage and cork it? Yeah, um, it, it depends on when you had attenuation with the yeast. It depends on the sugars. And so uh, if you have um, the champagne yeast can handle up to 16% alcohol, which is part of what they're doing, and they can handle lack of nutrients. You know, going to something that's already been done, and they're fairly neutral on the impact, which is, you know, what they're doing. That's what the prise de mousse, the triple one eight, is literally, that's that secondary fermentation in the bottle. You know, it's like the forming of the foam, you know, for champagne, for the bubbliness. And so that, that right. it's actually designed for that and works really, really well. Um, the th- things I would be aware of is just, you know, when you do the base wine preparation of champagne the reason why i'm saying this because it's essentially the same thing you're doing um you have a fermentation that finishes and then you stop and then depending on whether it's finished because they still can't ferment those sugars or not ferment those sugars or whether you've gone to zero like you do for a base wine and champagne that's one way then what they do is almost like bottle priming it's the same thing you'll still need to do like a like a tirage you still need to do a little bit of um a sugar bump uh, into right. that wine, so that something will be able to ferment from the from the champagne yeast to be able to give you the carbonation. But the good news is, like right. I said, you won't lose any more body and structure which you have already because he won't be able to further work on any sugars that are residual. That's there. But he, if if you already had a fermentation that is not happening with it, um, you may a way way to get around it. You could do is just to make sure is uh, pitch the champagne yeast. Uh, into your the beer already, and if you still see stability in the um, in the sugars, mean, meaning that you know he can't still keep ferment out, you know that that's not going to be your wild card. You know, so you're stable that way. Therefore, when you add a little bit of residual sugar, you know for sh- you know for clear fact that that amount will be fermented to give you a precise amount of fermentation in the bottle, and you can control that. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, like because actually like it got down like I was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know the actual numbers because it was a it was a group brew, so we had a bunch of different brewers brewing. Uh, Shame on you! So we all <laughs> ended up at different gravities and stuff like that. But it got down like the final sample pulled out of the barrel mm-hmm. was all the way down to like ten ten. 
but that's actually there's still a right but there's still there's still a lot of sugar like 10 10 10. well no no i mean 10 10 is still a decent amount of sugar you know depending on what's going on and you're pulling probably still uh lactone and whiskey lactone and stuff coming off that barrel too you said it was a jack daniels barrel yeah yeah so you've probably got a we'll be talking about the oak in the in the second part too so that kind of fits right into this so there's a lot of okay. impact and mouthfeel characteristic coming from the wood in the barrel, especially bourbon production, just because of the American oak that they're using. And so you'll have a certain amount of fermentability, which which will be done just because of sugar. Um, the champagne yeast, if you fed and oxygenated and took care of temperatures, etc., then the 1010 is fine, and he may be where everything stops. You know, which, which is the good news. But if something was a little bit lagging with the the yeast, or something a little bit tired in the end, or you know, been handled in a certain way, then it may have been alcohol that could have knocked him out, and you could have still had some residual sugar. Which is why I'm recommending pitching the champagne yeast and seeing do you have any more movement, even though you know that you theoretically attenuated down. You know, the thing is that you don't know clearly why it stopped at that point. Do you know what I mean? Because you're so high with that alcohol. Yeah, so to cover your butt, the beta would do is just pitch with the champagne, you see if you see any movement, and if it doesn't move within a day, then you want to go ahead and then you know add the sugar and then do the bottling. So okay. you you basically want to know that the X amount of priming sugar you put in there is all the sugar that this guy's going to be exactly. using. Uh, there might be some fermentable sugars for this guy still left in your beer, and then you put in your cup or whatever of your priming sugar, there's still stuff left in there. You're going to way over-carbonate because he's still going to be able to do some of that. Yeah. But if it's just all the body and the 1010s only left over from the maltotriose and the larger things that, that the champagne yeast can't touch anyway, then you're safe. Okay. So it's it's okay. it's a matter of we don't know what's in there yet. Mm-hmm. If it's still usable for the champagne yeast, and so Shay, you're recommending we do like a test on the side, right? Like a beaker test, or I mean, we pour some, of the, get some of the the, the no, wort, you, the no, beer. You, you could literally just rack off whatever whatever aging vessel, or conditioning vessel you have right. uh, post ferment. I mean, you could literally, you know, ra- leave it where it's at if you don't mind, and literally do the fresh pitch of that yeast directly into into the full volume, into the full volume. Yeah. Okay. If it, if he can't, there's nothing there for him to ferment. Nothing's going to happen. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, but be aware that circa 11 to 12 percent is really kind of that cutoff where things are really really happy. Okay. So you're going into a 14 percent right off the bat, maybe a little more um, antagonistic to the yeast. So uh, just know that you may need to be just kind of conscious of uh, bumping that the dosage rate up a little bit from there. Does that cover it for you, Sudo? Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, it better. Cool, brother. Thanks for the call. No problem. All right. Cheers. That's Pseudo Chef out of Nashville. All right. We're going to do a little summary here of what we've learned, and then we're going to move on to Oak so that we can cover as much as possible today. Uh, I took some notes. Uh, so, Shay, please correct me where I'm right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I just you know, I want to make sure that I dumb it down a little bit so that people with my size brain can get some of these things. And uh, that is that really uh, wine yeast and, and beer yeast are very similar. They're the same uh, genome is kind of how you, how you started with this thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, really the difference is that beer yeast uh, can ferment down maltotriose, yep. so it's something. So we don't end up with those long chain residual sugars in general if we ferment properly with beer yeast. Yeah, and in general, most beer yeast uh, create less fruity esters and crazy flavors as well. Okay, so. In order to use wine yeast, we need to know a couple of things. Mm -hmm. We need to know that wine yeast does not break down these long-chain maltotriose sugars. Correct. We also need to know that there are three kinds of wine yeast. There are killers, there are neutral, and there are susceptible wine yeasts. 
And of the six that you mentioned for us, only one of them is a, a susceptible, and that's the 7-1-B. Mm-hmm. So he can be pitched directly? With beer yeast. With beer yeast and play fine right now. They can work together. Mm-hmm. So in that case, um, we wouldn't have to use something like Convertase, which would break down those complex sugars to maltotriose so that you could use wine yeast all by itself to ferment out a beer by putting Convertase into uh, the fermentation vessel. Exactly. Um, not into the mash because it actually will die at 104, so we wouldn't want to uh, heat it up and boil it. Yeah, you you denature it at a higher yeah. temperature. So we'd want to put it in uh, fermentation. Which is really great because as you're fermenting down, you literally can go on the absolute low end of that. Mm-hmm. So when, you're, when your ferment seems to be stopped, you're checking the sugars, and you're like, ah, I went a little bit more, do on the very low end, add that to it, do a little bit of a slight stir to it, and you should see movement. I mean, it's pretty quick. Yeah. You know, okay. you see movement, and you can actually then actually dial in How qu- what terminal gravity like, by doing that. Like right before our eyes or overnight? What no, do you mean overnight. You yeah, okay. Overnight. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what he's talking about is you can put a little bit in there. It'll use it up. Okay. And uh, ferment will go and ferment will stop. And you, if it's not quite dry enough, you add a little bit more and it uses up the enzyme. Okay. Yeah, and basically you, enzyme is just a protein. So you and can titrate it down. Great. Yeah, and so the, the larger starches that are there, the sugars that aren't fermenting, if, I mean, it depends on the mash temp and how much present in the first place. So say like, just for sake of argument, say like you have, uh, I don't even know, like a crazy unit. Um, I don't know. Uh, say like you have like a 50-pound sack of starch, okay, just as a general thing. And you, you, this at the end, you're dealing with that and you, the enzyme, and you're hitting it with like an eighth of a cup, you know, of enzyme to work with that. Well... That's going to do part of that reserve mm-hmm. of that, but it's not going to do the whole thing because every every time that that enzyme interacts with those starches, it, that that it uses itself up. Okay. It's part of that chain reaction. It's boom gone, boom gone. So it's it depends on the amount of of the the larger sugars that are still present in the word and the amount that you're using. You okay. know, so you can kind of creep up on it. I mean, you can overdo it, and it will go dry, or you can just do it, you know, the equal amount, bit. and it will go dry. Or you can creep up on it and just do a little bit, little bit, little bit, and you can then basically dial in your terminal gravity that way. Perfect. Well, are there pitching rates for that as well? I mean, for instance, say I'm, i got a beer that's stuck at 1020. I know the beer should go down to 1012. Mm-hmm. So I know, what, I know what I've got in there, what mm-hmm. I want to consume. Is there a formula that can tell me how much to put into a certain volume? Yes, but then you have to be able to tell me uh, what is the exact percentage of those sugars. <laughs> what kind of sugars are in there? Yeah. <laughs> so that's why it's that range that you were saying. It ends up being from like 0.08 to 2.8 or something. Right. Or, or, yeah. 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 And that's meals per, per gallon yeah. like once you break down the math. So uh, the way I would look at it is that, you know, I would go to, uh, if you want to kind of creep down on something, you know, I would just go in the low end and see. It's pre- It'll be pretty straightforward to tell you. If you know on that low end, I'm adding, you know, like one mil okay and then my gravity was here i added one mil and after two days i shifted to here yeah that should be pretty consistent your own that'd be consistent because yeah. every single beer will be its own environment okay yes yeah. great and then if you didn't want to mess with the convertase and you didn't want to have to do that kind of math like i don't uh you could do a blend like doc's going to do tomorrow mm-hmm. and so you split your your uh, wort after the boil into mm-hmm. two carboys and in one of them you put your beer yeast and in the other one you put your wine yeast and then you could blend them back because the wine yeast uh carboy or uh, uh, uh conical whatever you're using is going to have residual sugar left in it it's going to have maltotrio still in there yeah most definitely and so if you're thinking of it that way then i would do 
do, I would then recommend doing a low mash temp, like 146, 148, to get as much fermentability as possible because oh, yeah. you know that you're not going to still get it on the other side, you know, from the wine yeast. So that that one's as dry as possible in terms of residual sugar, yeah. your beer yeast. Yeah. Okay. And you're looking at maybe 30%, you know, on the wine yeast just to be safe up front. Okay. Because the, the low mash temp will actually help the wine yeast. Okay. Because yep. it's cutting things up into smaller bite sized pieces for them. Exactly. Right. Out, of the, out of the whole. You know, mash. You got middle clips and end clips, you know, alpha and beta. Yeah. So the more you do that at the lower temperature, the more the wine's going to be able to tolerate. Okay. The wine's gonna, and mm-hmm. uh, after it gets up to you know, a certain point, then it's going to stay at, at that uh, sweetness. Uh, Gets at the wall. Don't yeah. call me sweetness. Hey. Not on the air. <laughs> okay, and that should get you started by brewing with wine yeast. And then just, uh, you know, uh, go back and listen. But uh, uh, Shade then actually described which characteristics could come off of each of those six wine yeasts. And you're talking about things like berry and cherry and peach and citrus and uh, some, uh, the triple one eight, you can get some real of the wine Absolutely. characteristics. Um, so go out and experiment with those things. I think that's a, a, a pretty actually basic and, and, and simple way to start messing with wine yeast in your beer. And uh, if you want to, also messing with blending your beer. Absolutely. They go together. Yeah, definitely. They're natural. The blending is. Mm-hmm. They I go like together. it. I'm kind of excited about it. I, uh, you know, some topics t- to me that come in here are more exciting than others. And even though this one is very technical and generally that puts me to sleep, it's really exciting because it's a whole new... I really like the idea of getting mouthfeel out of a yeast. I really like the idea, the idea of adding these complex fruit characteristics without putting fruit in my beer. Uh, that stuff's exciting to me. So yeah, it it, it is like it, it's a whole new it's a whole new realm. You know, just when you thought it was you were getting maybe complacent with the amount of different kind of stuff you could do. Yeah, um, you know, I can't wait till yeah. uh, Shat starts doing this stuff so that I can taste it. <laughs> really, this is what I'm getting at in the pipeline. <laughs> Bet it is. Yeah, it's on the schedule. All right, how about this? Uh, quick break. Yeah, when we come back. We're going to start talking about oak beer, and we've got a uh, we've got some oak tea out there. Is that what's going on to, to to kick things off for us, Shay? Yes, that's exactly right. All right, so with a little bit of oak tea, we'll explain that to you when we come back. We're going to figure out how to get started with oak, which different parts of the process that we can use it in, and uh, how to get the most out of it. Different oak characteristics. We are far from done, folks. A whole other topic coming up with Shay Comfort, uh, one of the smartest homebrewers that's ever set foot in this room. So uh, thanks for being with us, and uh, stick around. We're Coming back with more. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Brewcasters. Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Okay, I rolled a 15, and I get a plus two from my yeast starter. Nope, sorry, you failed your roll. Your beer is infected. No way. You had to be at a 24. It's schizosaccharomyces. This sucks. I just failed versus oxidation. Our party is fracked. Doug's the only one left, and his beer is a Berliner Weiss. What's this? A tea party? Hey, this is a brew session, man. Get lost. Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really uh, use the dice anymore. 
I'm a 10th level beer nerd. Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Does your significant other know the difference between an Irish red ale and a Flanders red ale? Do you burp, strizzle, spalt, and fart Y yeast 2308? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs, ingredients, equipment, and knowledge 24 hours a day at northernbrewer.com. Plus fast, cheap shipping, only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the socially awkward Patters beer and the sci-fi convention showstopper number eight make 10th level at northernbrewer.com life is too short to drink shitty
Welcome back to the program, everybody. Trying to get next, uh, get to our next topic. We're going to be talking Oak with Shea Comfort hanging out in the studio with us here today. And we're pouring Oak tea right now, which is not us going soft. Don't worry. We haven't turned this into the tea session yet. But uh, if JP has his way, it could happen soon. And me as well. <laughs> yeah, you too. Oh, oh, yeah. I'd also just want to point out that uh, I do think that Shea, by default, uh, would have won Movember this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, he has a he has a mustache that uh, rivals and defeats any Mo that I've seen on our yeah. forum, uh, either previous or previous year or, or, or this year. Uh, in November, um, our forum people, they have a contest called Movember, and they start growing their mustache. So what, Christmas? Or? Sometimes they do. A, a couple brave souls last year kept going on to Christmas, but a lot of them just do it for the month. Yeah. And, uh, but... Shay, your your mustache defeats anything I've seen on that form. I think we might have to get a picture up there later. That's good to know. <laughs> You've done well. That is good to know. Good to know. Good to go. Right? He he is one Movember, right? Oh, dude. I mean, hands down. Yeah. Don't see anything like that. Nice work, Shay. I, it literally started from laziness. <laughs> is that right? Oh yeah, I didn't want to shave. In my opinion, all the best things do. Start from laziness. <laughs> yeah, unemployment. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's, your, that's your opinion. Yeah. yeah. Leftovers in the fridge. Smoking weed. Smoking weed. <laughs> smoking weed. Yeah. All right. We're going to start talking about using oak in your beer, and you know we've done this topic before, Shay. Um, we, we've had brewers come in and talk about uh, you know uh, putting their beer in oak barrels, and uh, basically what we've done is a lot of oak basics. Um, mm-hmm. So. I don't want you to be afraid to uh, get a little more in-depth with this on this oak discussion. Great. Um, and already, I think we've started with that. What we have in front of us is uh, oak tea. Mm-hmm. Great. And, and tell me why. what is oak tea and why do we have it in front of us? Oh, this is just a teaching aid. Okay. Yeah, right now. Because uh, like a strap-on dildo. Mm, it's a teaching aid. Like that, except absolutely not like that. Oh. Yeah. No. <laughs> I no. mean, no. we're talking about real wood here. Look, I'm turning this off. All right. <laughs> turning you, my mic man. off. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, basically, um, when I think when most brewers talk about uh, using uh, beer in barrels, most of them are uh, ex-bourbon barrels. Mm-hmm. That seems to happen quite a lot, you know, pretty complimentary. Um, because there's a lot of those barrels that are easy to find around. There's a lot of those barrels on the market as well, too. You know, it's pretty good because basically the definition for bourbon is that you have to have go into a, a new charred American white oak barrel by law. So okay. every single fill has to be a new barrel. So it means that you've got a lot of barrels being made. You know, and so then good. it's easy to find and available. Yeah, good mm-hmm. for the craft brewers. Yeah, and not also good for the forest. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe not them. Yeah, but uh, also the the, the trees, the wood itself. Um, uh, also, because obviously the whiskey is malt based, mm-hmm. so those two go go together really well. Um, but what coming again, uh, coming from the wine side of things, is uh, looking at the options of the woods that are out there. Uh, it's lots of really nice possibilities are there and so when you start looking at wood you need to be aware of uh, there's pretty much the three uh, obviously american then there's french and then um, eastern european but mostly it's hungarian i mean there's some russian there's some others but i think uh, i'll just i refer to it as hungarian but people can kind of insert eastern european if you want there okay i just i'm more familiar with the hungarian that's what i know and what it comes down to uh for the woods themselves um oak You've got uh, between those three woods, uh, the American oak has, um, you have flavor, 
compounds and structuring compounds, and then you have uh, tannin compounds, which are more the, the chewy, like in a red wine, when you chew it, you've got like a chewiness or, or a tactile thing where it makes not so much your uh, grippy, like where it's making your um, cheeks stick together kind of a thing, or it feels like chalky sometimes if it's mm-hmm. not so nice. Mm-hmm. But if you ever have a, like a nice red wine that's kind of chewy and kind of velvety and kind of nice, those are also really positive tannins. Okay. You know, those are, those, are, those are basic structuring phenolics, structuring tannins, compounds. Okay. okay? So tannin uh, from wood does not have to mean uh, husky. You okay. know, because you guys, I or think, in the beer, right? That's yeah. what I mean. It doesn't doesn't necessarily we do think mean that in beer. husky like Chad. Exactly. That's what I mean. It doesn't have to mean that at all. So it, if I taste uh, a wine and I just mm-hmm. I say to you, oh, that's uh, a lot of tobacco and cigar and leather. <laughs> uh, you know, like a nice uh, mm-hmm. red wine. I've had those. Th- that's mm-hmm. how I would describe those flavors. Are, is that a tannin that I'm? Ta- are those tannins I'm tasting? Tannin is or? part of that, but okay. uh, to me, the tannin is more primarily structural. Okay. What you just gave me were all um, Ta- uh, aromatics. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? So I see. Th- those are two separate things. Okay. They go together often. Okay. Well, but they're different things. Uh, for the woods themselves, uh, what's interesting is that uh, you've got the compounds that are in the oak itself. Uh, you've got basically uh, lipids, lignin, and hemicellulose. And hemicellulose is basically um, the sugars, kind of like the. Um, the sap and the fat and stuff that's in there, the sugars that are present in there. Lignin is basically the structuring block because cells, you've got uh, cell wall structure and you've got stuff that's inside the cell that's more liquidy and you've got stuff that's on the outside and you've got the actual thing that, that is holding the cell wall structure together. Mm-hmm. Okay, And you have the lipids, which are the, actually the oils and the fats themselves combined. Now, of what, why this is all important, because these all have very particular flavors and they do particular structuring things. Okay. Okay. So, of the um, of the hemicellulose, those are the, the simple sugars that are there. When you toast wood, that's going to, and when you toast grains, it's the same thing happening. The more you toast, you get more of a caramelization of those sugars, right? You know, the more specialty malts, you know, Crystal 120, you know, going up from there as compared to just a pale base malt. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing happens when you toast wood in order to prepare it for either a barrel or uh, staves or even just small cubes or chunks of, of uh, little pieces of the wood you can put uh, into, like, Virgin neutral barrels or into tanks or into beer, mm-hmm. you know, beer making or, or fruit wine making, anything like that. Um, one component of all of the oaks is going to be that uh, the sugar type thing. So you've got basically furfural, which is sweet and caramel-like, and you've got then like the, the methyl furfural stuff, which is more kind of a butterscotch type deal. Pretty much that same family. Uh, lignin is the, the structure block. You've got the guaiacil and the syringal going on. There's a sweet vanillin type character that comes from that. So the basic vanillin uh, is the compound in vanilla. Okay. That's like that. So whether it comes from the orchid bean or it comes from wood, it's vanillin. Okay. All right. Same compound. Yeah, yeah. So vanilla, vanilla. we all know that. Uh, glycol is coming part of that. That's kind of a smoky characteristic to it. Uh, you've got 4-methylglycol, which is more like a spicy and a smoky character kind of combined together. And you've got eugenol, which is a clove-like type flavors. Those mm. are coming from the lignin fraction of the wood. Okay. When you go to lipids... Uh, those are the oils and the fats and the waxes of the wood, and those are mostly uh, when you um, get to that. There's cis oak lactone and trans oak lactone. The small difference between the two, and the cis oak is more like of a uh, woody kind of a fresh like, uh, you know, wood kind of fresh wood, nice carpenter shop, you know, really pleasant, you know, going on. Uh, and then the trans oak lactone is more kind of like a coconut type um, uh, smell and aroma that comes out. And depending on the degree of the toast, you get more of kind of like toasted coconut, mm-hmm. literally. Okay. Mm-hmm. So of these three components, you've got sugars, 
you know, sugars and, and fats, you know, kind of these are the ones that are the sweet and the aromatic type things. And you've got the lignin, which is more of a structural type, you know, compound that's there. American oak, you know, has, and this is very interesting. I'm actually going to just cite this. I want to make sure I have this right up front. Yeah. Basically, American oak uh, has about 21% non-tanning phenolic content. And it means the ones that aren't the structuring guys, so it's more the sweet, the vanilla, the coconutty type thing going on, compounds okay. in theirs. And then the French and the Hungarian woods contain only 14% of these compounds. So it means that American oak wood is going to be more vanilla, more woody, more coconutty, kind of than will just by pure pound for pound, you know, rounds per ounce, you know, of the wood side by side, than will be French and Hungarian. But what's interesting is that the French and the Hungarian wood uh, basically has more more the French, Hungarian a little bit lesser, has two and a half times the extraction of total phenolics than will, which will be given by the American oak. So basically what that means is that the American oak will be much more perfumed, but the French and Hungarian will generally have a better inherent structuring ability. So what I mean by the structuring ability is that chewiness and that fullness and that roundness in the background. It doesn't okay. mean astringent. It doesn't mean grippy. It doesn't mean, you know, something in a negative context. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it could be negative depending on on the beer, it sounds like. I mean, you wouldn't want it to be overwhelming and too much mouthfeel and too much more body added by that oak, would you? I mean, otherwise, it sounds like why would we ever use American oak? We would would want Uh, to. Yeah, well, yeah, there comes a – it's all about balance. And so, you know, obviously that's going to be very, you know, subjective. But it's the balance. The oak should be a complement to the beer. Yeah. All right. And it should be, you know, and depending on how much you want it to equal to or meld in or, or, or what, you know, that that's your own. Everyone's got their own opinion and agenda on that. And that's mm-hmm. that's actually great. But understanding um, w- why are you, you know, people just say, oh, I'm using oak in the beer. I'm yeah. like, well, what oak? <laughs> What, yeah. is, what, what, what does that mean? You yeah. know what I mean? And so, so and yeah. people just kind of off the hip, I'm just using oak. And, uh, you know, okay. Well, because if you're using American oak, then basically what you're getting is, is, is a lot of uh, like sweet perfume, aromatic tones, uh, mouthfeel, uh, kind of uh, woodsy, kind of tons of vanilla, depends on the toast level. Mm-hmm. And that's giving more of a perfumed aromatic impact that will maybe compete more with your malt depending on what you're doing, or if you want that vanilla to be a very clear impact, um, you know, that might be a good choice, and you don't want any other kind of, like, chewiness or fullness or rounding out, you know, happening with the wood, then maybe that's fine. But if you want more of a greater complexity mm-hmm. going on as a background, almost like you have a more of a complex uh, grain bill, mm-hmm. you know, going on, you know, there's a reason why you're doing more than just base malt, you know, for, for other beers, and you're getting complexities and differences and possibilities with well, the same exact thing you should be thinking about for the oak. Okay. Okay? And then the French and the Hungarian will give you much more of a complexity structural-wise, you know, along with more complexity of flavors on, on ones that are beyond just the, the vanilla and the woody qualities to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So that's already a, g- a great start for us that we haven't talked about in, in the previous times we've covered oak, mm-hmm. um, just knowing that, there's, that there is that, that huge difference. And then, and then there's the toast. Would you want to lead to something? Well, I just I want to. Yeah. I definitely want to know about the tea, but yes. but I don't want to jump the gun. So if if there's some background I need to know before tasting this I would tea, think so. yeah, this then let's be, do that. Yeah, and so there's a very important part of what's going on with the wood is that uh, people think, well, I'm just going to go, you know, grab some oak from the hardware store. I'm going to roast it, and <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and throw it into the, you know, then go from there. I, I literally hear a lot of people talking, really, talking okay. about that. Yeah, because if you don't have access to, you know, uh, winemaking supplies or most beer guys don't even aware of any oak, you know, whatsoever. So or if you're a cheap ass, is <laughs> yeah. what it comes down well, to. And it's on sale at the Home Depot. Yeah. 
I guess. <laughs> but but then that's that's this will really learn you because in the wrong way. Okay. Because the thing is, is it serious? Cool. You'll do the yeah, you'll do that once. Um, what happens is is that uh, the aging seasoning process of the wood is absolutely critical to using the oak. This is before you into any toasting or firing of the wood. Okay. Okay. So the the green wood is literally aged is literally cut in these large planks and they're stacked in these domino stacks in these huge piles for up to two to three years depending uh, on the seasoning of the wood okay during the, literally outside in the elements and the stacks are then removed every year and the bottom goes to the top top goes to the bottom type of thing you know mm-hmm. and so what happens is that during this period when you have the wet and the dry and the hot and stuff and the shade and the sun and all this, this there's a series of uh, mold and lichen which you know basically attack the wood Okay. You, you walk around the forest, you see that growing all over all sorts of things everywhere. It's the same breakdown process that's happening. Well, there's tiny little um, thread uh, ficelle, uh, like filaments, f- thread filaments. Yeah, that they that they that they grow on the top and they send it into the wood, you know, to be able to extract the resin and the food and energy and the stuff that they're eating from that wood. Mm-hmm. And part of what, how they're doing going in to get that is they're releasing enzymes in order to break down the wood so that they can go into it and pull out what they want. Okay. Why this is important is because um, the amount of green resiny flavors uh, is absolutely diminished, you know, just by the seasoning process, by the mold and the lichen, okay? The amount of uh, lactone flavors, the amount of perfumeness, the amount of woodsiness, the amount of, like, positive, like, really nice, uh, more like aged wood instead of just, like, you know, chopping down a tree or, like, a two-by-four from Home Depot that smells that resin. You walk in, you smell that resin of the pine. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, mm, it's it's nice, but it's it's like, well, okay, yeah, but maybe not, you know, in a beer or a wine. Sure, you don't want to drink it. Right. Lick what it, ha- maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, yeah. And what happens is that uh, the aging process itself uh, it's pretty fascinating is that the amount literally goes up. I mean, a tremendous percent of all of these other compounds suddenly appear in the wood due to the lichen in the mold in the seasoning process. Mm-hmm. And literally, they've taken the same. There's research. There's a cooperage in France called the Bouchard, B-O-U-C-H-A-R-D. And you can find it on the net. It's absolutely brilliant. They took one tree, literally cut it in half. Mm-hmm. And where you season the wood because it's different microflora living in different areas, uh, has an impact of the amount of different chemicals and, and compounds that are actually in the wood itself. Okay. So that has an impact where things are seasoned. Sure. About what the flavor is going to change. So that once you have the seasoning happening, then you get into the whole part about toasting. Okay. And so then these initial products are, are chemical compounds that are already existing in the wood. And then as you toast, uh, there's degradation happening and changing of compounds happening that that goes up. So in general, what happens on the toasting process, this is for all of the woods, mm-hmm. for across the board, what happens is basically during the process, you have on the lower the toast, you know, oh, and for the woods, you'll see there's medium toast, there's medium plus toast, and then there's a heavy toast. So it's obviously gradations of more and more longer time periods going up from there. Okay. Now, across the board, the lower the toast level, so more medium, okay, then the more tannin, more structural stuff going on and uh coconut type lactone uh, will be present in all of the oaks okay okay the higher the toast the more spice and smoke notes will start to become present okay the deeper the toast the more deep the caramel tones will be moving into the butterscotch you know around the medium plus 
Uh, by deeper to toast, now we're talking heavy toast. It's been toasted longer, no. so that it's gone through the wood more, or not yeah, necessarily? Yeah, deeper through the wood, and more complex, okay. and, and also, that's another way of saying just like going up at a higher toast. I see, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, what's interesting about this is that vanilla, the vanilla is actually a byproduct of thermal degradation of a heat breakdown of the lignin, of that structuring part of that wood, of those three that we had before. You know, so that what that means is that vanilla, the amount of vanilla literally in the wood uh, that you're tasting and smelling, will increase up through medium plus toast, and then what happens is that it will then decrease to a heavy toast in a char, because okay. you wind up just breaking it down to like you know um, charred, non-vanilla. Yeah, well, basically like um, so there's that curve. Yeah, you know anything you you toast it turns to carbon. You know you go past that point and it's you, you're carbon. You know. Okay. Okay. American oak will be more aromatic, and French and Hungarian will give more structure. That's kind of a general across the board for, for those woods. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the, the greater the toast level, the lower the lactone. So the higher you go up on those toast levels, then less of the woodsy kind of coconut general flavors will be present in the wood, and that's for all of them. I'm taking notes here, fellas, so excuse the dead air for a second, but I want to make sure I understand that. Mm-hmm. Just repeat that last part that you said, the higher the toast. Yeah, so what happens is that you get you get the more caramelization of the sugars, so yeah. more going from, like, you know, sweet, um, you know, kind of a, a sweet sweet flavors and more kind of a sweet sugary flavors, like more maple flavor, and going into, um, more like, creme caramel, flan-type flavors, you know, those type of sugars getting darker, and then you're getting more into, like, butterscotch things happening those sugars will change in that way going up that's what sugars will do that um at the same time the woodsy characteristic that kind of like that perfumey woody kind of coconutty low-level thing going on coming from the wood itself yeah the higher the toast that then degrades okay so the higher the toast then that starts to get broken down and then so less of that becomes apparent so while vanilla smoke and spice go up and butterscotch sugars go up to a point yeah the woodsiness is going down okay as you're going up kind of across the board Okay, so while maybe we can't do the, the this natural aging process as well as it would be done by the folks who are putting it in stacks for two years, you and, can and rotate. It's just we could if we if we had throw it out in the backyard for two years and let it wait. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so the, the, but that already eliminates this Home Depot buy it fresh and green. Yep. Uh, what about the toasting? Can we do the toasting? Yes, we can. So we could do the aging, throw in the yard. Let it age. Right. And, of course, you're also saying, I mean, based on that study in France, it, it is going to change on if, uh, whether or not I age it in Pacheco uh, right here or, or, or somebody ages it in Santa Monica. Yeah. I mean, they've you literally, know. the part of that Bouchard study is that there's certain French mills that are actually here. They're taking American oak, mm-hmm. shipping it over to France, aging it in France, mm-hmm. bringing it back over here and making the barrels. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a good kind of general rules that w- now when we're looking at, at, at American. Um, I think we need to take a break real quick. Just let it soak in. I don't think so. I think we're going fast. Can't do it. Can't do it? No. Not like a full break, but just like a... Just a uh, breather? Yeah. Okay. Like a seventh inning stretch. Shake it out a little bit, like really fully well, understand. Well, I'm kind of get. I mean, I think that that's a lot of information, but well, I also one implied... think that there's some good general rules there that, oh, yeah. we could, that it really could just be we, can, we could throw down some general rules yeah. and then be able to start talking about the flavors and use of them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think, that, I think you've already laid down those general rules. Yeah, and kind of a, it's, it's not being stated directly, but what's, what's implied on this that you realize is that if all these changes are happening, like, you know, bell curve up, bell curve down for these different compounds, and all these complex th- things are happening as you're continuously heating it and going through, okay, then 
what you realize is that, okay, color equals flavor. Okay. Color equals complexity. All right? So if you take something and you just literally just stick it over the fire and you fry the outer edge, you're going to get a charred edge and you're going to get the mid-core, which is, you know, nothing going on so much. It's one one color. Now, we can fish some of the cubes out of the, the tea mm-hmm. that I'm using, you know, like this, and you actually see another part of the reason is that the same wood, the same seasoning, different coopers or different guys who are toasting it have a different regimen. Do they start hot and then back off and go low for a while? Yeah. Do they gradually build up like this? And so what you'll see is on the side of the cube, you literally see, it's like, it's like um, you know, it's like the rims uh, thing for the color, the color thing of telling the Lovabond. Yeah, your chart. just like our chart there, the, the SRM chart. Perfect. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Just like an SRM chart, you look at the wood, and you'll actually see a gradation of color going from darker from the outside, lighter to the inside. Okay. Yeah, and that'll change. And that means complexity of flavor. That means complexity of compounds, of okay. structure that's going on, too. So when, if you do want to do any toasting, mm-hmm. then it's it's generally a good idea to be able to find a way to be able to just, you know, be able to get a little bit of weight and a little bit of change through a longer period of time to thicker pieces. And not just char that outside. Well, and that's also yeah. the slide against the chips, because uh, chip chips can be of really, really good quality wood that's been post from making quality barrels, so it was seasoned, it's good, it's delicious, etc. But it's going to be monochromatic, just because the size of it's a really small piece, and once you toast that, you're not going to get a gradation of color. It's just going to, boom, take all the heat because mm. it's so small. Right. So it's monochromatic and what it's going to be able to give you from flavor. You will not get the complexity that's going on, and it will release all those compounds, boom, immediately super fast. Okay. Whereas the larger pieces of wood will slowly give it out and gives you a better time to catch it before it maybe becomes too strong. Okay. I'm ready for some examples. Can we do that? Awesome. All right. Because I think I get that, and I don't... We could, I think, do a show about toasting and, and aging and things yeah. so that we're doing the whole thing ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't want us to go too far down that path, because that sounds sure. like a whole other uh, topic we could do. But these... Uh, l- let me start with this. Uh, we, we, we do have these uh, oak teas in front of us, where you've taken different oak teas, uh, different oak chips, and, and placed them in hot water and soak them. Cubes. Correct? Oh, yeah, cubes. Yeah, these are cubes, not the chips. All commercially available cubes? Yeah. Uh, the main supplier that, that I get these from, uh, there's lots of other ones, and please don't take this as any sort of you know single endorsement, but uh, my first was uh, <laughs> was, was uh, Staven, S-T-A-V-I-N, okay. and they normally deal to wineries and staven.com, and they're these huge ginormous sacks, but the good news is that uh, <laughs> other people, yes, dot, 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 these other people will um, like uh, more wine and then I'm sure there's a bunch of other different uh, shops that actually get the staving cubes and break them down into smaller portions for just okay. this very reason. Just for this. So okay. you can get them in like one ounce bags and two ounce bags or one pound bags. Okay. You're not obligated to take like a 50 kilo bag. And how long have these been in the hot water? Yeah, uh, this is literally just, I did this just today to show differences of, um, on a low level, to first to show you guys, okay, what you're tasting here is tannin, you're tasting the structural tannin things we were talking about, and you're going to be tasting the aromatic qualities as okay. well. Okay. All right. So, and then you'll see how they're different for each of the different woods going on. So, what I want to show is that tannin present does not mean harsh and astringent, you know, and bitter. That was the that was the main element, just to kind of show right off the bat, and then to show that there are very clear differences between these woods. Okay. And so, then based on what we're tasting, you can step back and go, ah, okay, pairing with. You know, pairing what flavor profile do I think would go with different types of beer? Because I think they are pretty specific. Yeah. Yeah, and you can do that. And then we can get into, after we tasted this, then the timing of the addition to the oak to the beer, because that also changes how that goes and integrates into the beer. 
Perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so folks at home, uh, just so that you can do, you know, we don't have a show next Sunday, so maybe you want to listen back to this show and do your own experiment. It could all be done in one day. You just took hot water, boiling water, or just hot water? Yeah, I just brought it just to boiling, and that's it. Brought yeah. it to a boil. Uh, you have a, a few different jars here, five different uh, glass jars. Mm-hmm. You've put the hot water in there, and you threw the, the different uh, yeah, oak so in each one. Two sec- there's uh, of those five, um, three of them are medium plus toast. And they are uh, French, American, and Hungarian. Okay. Yeah, that's a clear, just to show those woods at the same toast level, right? And then the other two are French and Hungarian, but at a heavy toast level. Okay. To show the caramelization of sugar is a lack of the other, you know, floral things going away, but then more of like that creme caramel flan background, you know, that syrup, you know, for that happening, that'll be there in the background. You know, more caramelization happening in the darker vanilla and the clove and the spice thing happening in a that wasn't present in the other ones, but okay. then less perfume stuff going on that was present in the first ones. Great. Yeah, depending on the toast. So I would recommend actually starting with the American okay. first because... And the idea here, of course, is that, uh, you know, what we taste here are the characteristics we can expect to find in our beer. Absolutely. It's just uninhibited by beer. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and this is a nice thing. And so, you know, doing it at a low level, you know, smelling and tasting, you see that they're all very different. Yeah, okay. All right, so just a, a American oak in hot water. It already smells great. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> I kind of want my water to smell like this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> instead of smelling like Pacheco. Yeah. I just want to sit here and smell scented waters yeah. all day. I'm sick of EB, EB mud. Which one are we doing? The Real strong. American. I would do the American. American. Pretty strong, yeah. yeah. It is strong. It's very. Uh, it's a dominant smell. Now, now the hot water, mind you, the hot water was just being added just to show you guys a very clear, strong flavor component like this. You know, when you when you go, you can either put it into the ferment or you can do it post ferment. But you're using like you know one ounce or so per a five gallon increment. Mm. You know, so I'm, this is multiple times stronger than you would normally do. But you it can is. see how okay. it's really subtle. Yeah. But I want to be able to show clearly what it is. Yeah. This is like the uh, community center sauna. You know, the old guys coming out. <laughs> Big droopy balls. Yeah. It tastes like ass. Reminds me of that. Big droopy balls. Interesting. <laughs> Big well, droopy balls. No, I know what he's talking about. That smell that's the aromatic the, cedar. That's yeah. the aromatic woodsy quality yeah. that I'm talking about. Uh, in the sauna, right. Big yep. droopy balls. No, but that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, like redwood, redwood mm-hmm. or cedar. I Minus mean, it's the a balls. Per, it's a perfumed wood. Yeah. And the perfume component is is the lipid and it is, you know, the lactone. Okay. That's what we're talking about. All right. Are so we be drink, aware of, but are we're we how strong this? that is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That aromatic quality is fantastic. Uh, same thing as if you if you've got yourself a nice wooden deck in your backyard and it, and yeah. it started Ooh. raining and that deck's not twenty years old. You, you can smell that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, babe. Wow. It does taste great, but it also has, you know, there's a there's a little cardboard in there. Which, if I tasted this in beer, Wood. I'm calling it oxidized. It's funny, you guys. Are, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, right. It, it, in beer, that's what we. It, that's a. Yeah. Well, but so but it doesn't have to be oxidized. It could just be from the wood. That, that's a wood quality. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah not it's, paper or wood. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Yeah. It's it's more. Um, it's wood. more rounder. Yeah. Of a of a flavor it's than not just flat and stale. straight cardboard. You know, it, yeah, it's it, like it, Chad. He's more round. Well, yeah, he's more rounder flavor that of a human being. No, but, but I mean, I see what you're saying. There is that that weird thing, and as brewers were used mm-hmm. to calling it cardboard, mm-hmm. and but it's see, more full. And you can see at the end too what's what's being left. I mean, it's not harsh, it's not astringent. You're right. But if you literally like rub your tongue and your mouth and kind of chew a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. you can feel there's a little bit of a slight resistance. What if I rub my tongue in Doc's mouth? You guys get a lot of resistance. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the positive tannin. Yeah. That's tannin. That's structural tannin. Okay. 
I okay. see what you're saying. Yeah, that yeah. tactile feeling. And, yeah, and what happens is in the context of just distilled water, it's you know it's it's what it is. But when you have the sugars and, and the residual part of what's going on in the beer, it adds to a fullness in the mouthfeel as well, without having to add sugar. Okay. Mm-hmm. By the way, Doc, they scored that a home run for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was a grand slam. So let's try the Hungarian one. Okay. Okay. Now, now we've gone into woods that are more structural and less of the perfume factor. So there should be more complex things going on and less of the the vanilla kind of straightforward woody thing. Mm. What do you say, Hungarian or American heavy? I'm sorry, Shay. Yeah, Hungarian? and even the aromatics are uh, 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 more complex already. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely. Oh, yeah. Uh, now Hungarian, so, like I think two years ago before the the rains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, whereas the first one, the first one, the first thing I would have said was cardboard. Now this one, I would say wood. I, I, I would yeah. have gone straight. I would have bought more cardboard, defined. and I would say wood because I, it is more complex, like wood. More, I would uh, say wood. wood. Almost yeah, like the smell is yeah. camp, like campfire. And I mean, it, yeah, but, but it's, it's, it's also. It's I would like, say flatter, almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, because you're not getting the big sugar. Yeah, but just the, even the smell. Mm-hmm. But there's more spice. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, a the minerality. Caramel I get a little bit of slate, a little bit of minerality, a little bit of like a slight coffee oh, in the I background. Would, now like this one, this I can really place and picture in a beer. That's yeah, when I yeah. taste this, and I, I can really think about a beer that I would enjoy this flavor and in. You notice how like it, it dries your tongue out right yeah. in the middle. Like you know, you just had a sip of water, but it's like there's nothing left. It's all on the side. They got the the flat. You're right. It is a very dry. Is that to say? I mean, how would you describe this as less tactile of a flavor, or more. more, more so? Because this is the point: the drying part is the structure part of the tannin. I see. If you literally chew again, there's more resistance down than was to the first one. Mm-hmm. See, and less residual sweet. Yeah. There's more wood. There's more like subtle spice. There's more kind of a perfume thing going on, but it's not sweet and and vanilla y and kind of woodsy like the other one was. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I don't care how sweet you are, Justin. You're still going to get a lot of resistance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just keeping on your yeah. toes, Doc. But I also get that's a, really there's nice. a slate yeah. and a minerality in there too, yeah, a little definitely. bit of cracked black pepper and a low level in the background. You know, okay. I think I'm going to filter all my tap water through oak. Right? Isn't it much better? It's tasty. Yeah. I just want to put this on ice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'd be really good right now. All right. Okay. And so moving to the the French. Yeah. Okay. There will be less of the minerality and the coffee thing going on. But French medium, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. These are all medium. This yeah. is all the same toast level. And then the other two will then show you then when we go to a heavy toast level compared to this. Seems a little more rude. So this is a great way uh, to figure out what oak you're going to put in your beer. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know and mm-hmm. you don't want to kind of screw up a bunch of, you know, or not screw up, but if if you just don't know, just go buy an ounce of each one of these and mm-hmm. do this. Put and them try, in, yeah. soak, let them soak in, in hot water and... Get a dime bag. Yeah. This one's a little more in your face and a little more... Uh, it, just like Would you French. call it more perfumey, this one? It's more reserved. And the, the structural part is present, but it's more silky. The other one's a little bit, you oh. can chew it a little more grippy first. This one's more round, but mm-hmm. there's still spice going on. A little bit more reserved, low, low key, but still present. There's still some perfumeness that was more present in the American one that still comes through really nice. Mm-hmm. This one seems the most balanced out of, yeah. out of all of them. Yeah. I see what you mean about the coconutty thing, too. Yep. Especially on this one. The mouthfeel yep. part is amazing to me. Yep. I, you know, I know about mouth. I know very little. Mouth, mouthfeel in a there. in a beer, right? We can we all uh, we can talk about it. We can say, oh, this beer has more mouthfeel. This beer has a little less mouthfeel. But 
I don't know that I've ever uh, uh, felt it so directly, so clear. Yeah. Well, you know, this is this is very no carbonation to get in the way and, and yeah. kind of. Well, carbonation affects mouthfeel because of carbonic acid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But this is very. It's, you're right. It's very clearly. I can feel the resistance um, on my tongue from the top of my mouth. And these are all positive tannins. Yeah. We should probably bottle it. We could make a lot of money. I know. <laughs> Oak water. <laughs> really? Now, what's interesting, since we just had the French one, now go to the French heavy. Okay. Okay. So heavy toast on this one. Yep. French oak. This is a heavy toaster now longer. Go ahead and smell it. No more. Vanilla. It actually smells less. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It smells They're less le- woody. Well, which, less perfuming. Which one? Less, less the aromatics. Sure. We're on French heavy now. Thank you. Yeah, l- much less aromatics. Much less perfume. In fact, almost... Mm-hmm. None comparatively, mm-hmm. I suppose. But. Yeah, there's like nothing. I thought I was going to go the opposite for some reason. I thought it would be no. a, a bomb. It's good water. It's tasty water. It's juicy water. Even more round. Right. More sedate, less perfumey like this. And wait to the end, though. There's more of, mm. of like maple, maple sugar mm. on the back. Yeah. You know, it's almost like uh, licking an envelope. Except hmm. for like a good envelope. Except that it's good. Except that yeah, that is tasty, but there's still uh, just I don't know. You know when you taste something and you're getting some adhesive flavors. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Know. Well, they yeah. probably perfume. It's probably with, the paper. With vanilla or vanillin, right? That thing so that it tastes decent when you lick it. Yeah, that after maple that kind of creeps up yeah. on your palate there yep. is really nice, and it's more subtle. Which also makes me able to picture it in a beer a lot better because I want it to be subtle yep. like that. Yep. That's a really nice flavor. Mm-hmm. And you see it's more of the darker sugars and the more of the darker caramelization going on. Okay. You know, the burnt sugar thing happening in a positive way, like a dark, dark brown sugar I flavor see. is happening. But also what you notice, there's also the absence of the perfume, absence of the coconut, absence of, of the woodsy kind of thing going on at the same time. It's just all about those sugars. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And right now? And when you breathe out. Now it's toasty. It, on the end. Mm-hmm. If you wait, it just those dark sugars stay like maple syrup. You know, the grade B, the darker one with more flavor, that stays now. And those other perfume things are, are not there at all. But that yeah. guy stays steady. Oh, that's a great flavor. Uh-huh. Think about stout. Yeah. Think about a porter. Yeah. I really want to taste that in a beer. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to. I mean, one of our biggest complaints, I've said it a bunch of times, so uh, people are tired of hearing it, but too much oak in a beer is just too much. And, and I yeah. think everybody knows that when they have too, they yeah. go, oh, well. But I put oak but in there. Flavor, I get a big mouthful of that beer, and I'm like, mm, got oak in there. Yeah. Thank you for the, I just, like you just chewed on a barrel. Well, I'll yeah. be able to this tell you how much to, more subtle. This well, is. I'll be able to tell you how to work with it so that that doesn't happen. Okay, great. That's what's coming. All right. We should do, let's so, take the last just, one and yep. then and do that, because that's what people want to hear, too. Yep. All right, so this one's the American Heavy is our last one, yeah, right? Yeah, this is the American Heavy. So okay. remember, this one was all perfumey, sweet, and kind of round, you know, and then now he's got the darker. So when you say heavy, just... A heavy toast. Okay, so it's the toast is more. Yes. So that's all you're saying? Yes, yes. Okay. So, th- so then what should have happened, you know, so then all the woodsy things like this, as the higher temperatures go up, those go away, and then the more of the vanilla and the spice and the slight smokiness, that should then be going up stronger, should be more present. Okay, but it, it does, now this one, it does have uh, more of the aromatic than the French heavy, mm-hmm. but certainly less than the American medium, this, this American heavy. Mm-hmm. But it does, it does still have more aromatic, I think, in my, my impression, is than the French. 21% compared to 14. That's what I was mentioning in the beginning. Mm. See? So it's 21% of that, that non-structuring 
yeah. just the perfuming guy, 21% yeah. in those, in the American. Only 14% of the total phenolic compound of the aromatic part is what's in the French and the Hungarian. Okay. Now you're tasting that. Yeah. And conversely, you know, that the, the structuring parts, that thickness, that fullness, that richness, you know, just from mouthfeel point of view. Yeah. Way more interesting and complete and round in the French and the Hungarian. And then kind of more simplistic. Now, if you go back to the American, which is really interesting, okay. the first one we had of, of the standard medium, and you taste that compared to the others, it's kind of... Uh, 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 uh. Mm. The, f- the initial flavor on the heavy, there's probably a better word that you could use mm. than this, American. but I would say it's more bland. It, uh, it, yeah, definitely, because you peel away those other things. Yeah. But for me, the heavy toasts are all about the finish. Right, because it does come back to you just like the French one does. Uh, yep. You do start to get a, an entirely different flavor bourbon. after the fact. Heavy toast American charred barrel is That's bourbon. the characteristic of, a, of American, what we know uh, as bourbon. American whiskey, yeah. a huge part of that flavor profile besides that grain bill yeah. is that that flavor right there. And, and a heavy out. toast char American barrel. Okay. Definitely that vanilla and that mm-hmm. dark charred sugar, that's what's going on. Yeah, you get. A, I, this is the. I get way more valina, valina, and vanilla. <laughs> valina is a whole new compound that yeah. JP invented. You didn't it's a know that. Yeah. Trademark. Now that we should sell. Um, <laughs> than any of the other ones. Definitely. Yeah. And the, yeah, so then you realize right. that's that's why from the bourbon that persistence of it that vanilla. Now when you go back to bourbons compared to any other whiskeys in the world. Yeah. And you and you nose it, you smell it, taste it, and you're like. Wow, that's a ton of vanilla that's going on, and it's, that's that barrel. That's what's going on with that. Yeah. See, now, like Jay asked, where if you could make a fruit beer without actually putting any fruit with it from the yeast, could you say you had vanilla in this beer when you oaked it with American Heavy without actually putting vanilla in? Would it be passable? You did put vanilla in because yeah. the vanilla the vanillin is part of the wood. It's the same compound that's in the vanilla, the uh, bean from the orchid. So you so would you, be lying if you said I didn't put vanilla right. in just because the compound is there. Okay. Right. But yeah. then that brings us to the other portion Uh-oh. of the timing of the additions. Okay. And just before we do that, I mm-hmm. just want to say really quick, I get it. I, now I get what you said in the beginning. Uh, they're so different, yep. these, all of these flavors. So when you said yet someone comes up to you and goes, oh, I put oak in my beer. And you go, well, what are you talking about? What did you put in it? Yeah, what beer I put and oak why? In it. why? Why what did, you, did that? you put in it? Yeah, what are and you shooting for? All of these are they're such different flavors. You now I, I get it. Spice? Do you want complexity? Do you want a fullness? You yeah. know, you're going to go Hungarian. You want a general sedate overall, you know, fantastic guy. Yeah. French with some structure and some fullness structure. Do you want just perfuminess and kind of living on top of something else? You know, then you know, if you have a lot of darker grains and maybe it's not really integrating so well, mm-hmm. you know, you probably don't want to reinforce that with either you know a French or 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 a Hungarian who's going to be reinforcing that tannin structure if it's not really nice. Right. You know, in which case, that sweetness and that roundness of the American oak will help you kind of round that over and kind of make it more smooth. Okay. But it'll also be more simplistic. Okay. You know, so you get this trade-offs in all of them. By the way, can I just say, Shay, uh, mm-hmm. thank you, because it's only taken three years <laughs> for me for to say to I get, get it. it. So, I very good it. job, Shay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That's a great example. Thank you for that. Yeah, this should uh, definitely open your eyes because then it's like, huh. It does. Yeah, and it's It easy. should be opening Chad's eyes is really what it is. <laughs> All right, huh. let's do this. What? If, what? If I have one more break left in us. Great. So if we take it now, will we be able to finish where to use this in the process and so, what to yeah. expect all in one segment? Yeah, yeah. When we come back? Absolutely. All right, then let's do that. And and it looks like we have a couple beers to taste in front of us too, right? We absolutely do. Are these going to make it through the break? Hmm. 
We shall I brought see. two bottles of each. <laughs> or, we, or we could do those now. Well, that's what I'm let's wondering. do these Should now. Should we taste let's them, them now? now. Let, well, but the problem is that this is also going to be emphasizing what we're talking about as far as timing. Yeah, where to put it in there. That's, that's what I thought. Break, yeah. I so think we I should prime ourselves we during the break with this. We just don't know when. Yeah. yeah, we should prime ourselves during the break with this. And then we'll report. Yeah, and then I brought two bottles of each, right? Perfect. Did you go through both God. bottles already? Well, you did. Uh, we poured the one bottle, and then Chat drank the other bottle each. That's his pay as the producer of the program. So nothing we could do about that. It's just the way it goes. It's in the contract. That's how I pour. Okay, I'll take a shorter break this time, folks. I promise. So hang in there. Uh, we'll be back in about five minutes, and uh, we will talk about where we put this oak in the process. We got Shay Comfort here teaching us a lot. Hang in there. You're listening to the Brewcasters. The Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. What's good for the earth, good for your body, and great for your brew? Organic ingredients. This holiday season, the organic ingredient experts, Seven Bridges Co-op in awesome Santa Cruz, California, offers you the gift that keeps on giving to our planet. Sustainable, fair-wage ingredients to make the best organic homebrew you've ever had. There's a growing demand for organic products, and your choice to brew with them supports organic farmers worldwide. Brew organic, and you'll brew excellent beer that is free from chemical residues and genetically modified organisms, and you'll help contribute to a better world. If you're looking for organic ingredients, Seven Bridges offers a huge selection of USDA-certified kits and raw ingredients from 8 ounces to 50-pound sacks of grain, whole and pellet hops, and all the equipment you need. Seven Bridges, the organic homebrew experts since 1997 visit www.breworganic.com you're listening to the brewing network because like beer radio shouldn't suck to the program. We still have Shake Comfort here. It's our last segment of Oak. And um, did you taste those beers yet, JP? Uh, I was kind of working on one, and then uh, and then we got a phone call, so I had to stop. Shay uh, has brought and poured us three unbelievable beers. Shay's oh, really tasty He's beers. a good brewer, man. He really is a, a great brewer. That beer is... I'm going to say flawless. There's, I can't... Uh... He can walk the walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not just talking the talk. Really not nice just beer. All good looks. Blah, blah, blah. This is what you need to do. Well, and, and, <laughs> and here's what we're going to do. We're going to cover these three beers because he's talking about how he used oak to accentuate the different characteristics of each beer. Yeah. Uh, and I just learned more in the four minutes at break tasting those than I've learned in about the last year of uh, programming here on the BN. Shay will do that to you. But that's mostly because I don't listen to anybody who comes in here. But no. for some reason, I'm listening to Shay. I think it has something to do with the mustache. Yeah. Everything to do with the mustache. <laughs> I think you just look at the mustache and you go, wow, something good yeah. must be coming out of there. Try his mouth. Yeah. Feel. It's called filtration. <laughs> yeah. Shaky with them about carburetors. <laughs> He's like, oh. Uh, just a reminder, 888-401-BEER is the phone number uh, if you want to use it. And uh, you can also join the chat room with JP. Just hit the chat now button on the homepage. If you have questions, this is our last segment of the program, however long that takes us into the evening. Uh, is that a phone call? It's a phone call, yeah. Is it on topic? No. Hmm. How far off topic? Can it be steered back on topic? Fairly far. I I just I figured he wanted to uh, just say how much fun he was having with Mike's kit. He brewed Mike's kit. 
Right, let's do a quick... Bill calling in from Maui. What's happening, brother? Maui. How you doing? We're doing great. BC Maui in the forum, correct? Yep, we got a killer sun- sunset here going on. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Right. It's been going I on for like two hours. First, really? I just tasted my first beer. That you ever brewed? Making from scratch. Really? Uh, what did you brew? It was the B3 uh, Mike's... Uh, the. The tape or the juicies, <laughs> juicy amber. <laughs> oh, can you please change that? Then there's a catalog. Oh to yeah, juicy JP will change it. <laughs> I, I got, I got. Some I'm gonna online and do it now. Yes, yeah. each do each copy by hand. Just cross it off. And how are you enjoying your first beer? I need more gas. I just put it on the CO2. Oh, I, shake I the just, crap it out of like, it. It'll be fine. It was 68 before, and then I got a another one. The Matt's double barrel, uh-huh. and then then I got two of Sully's kits that just came in the mail um, on Friday. Sully has kits at B three now. It was uh, the um, it was a bitter American. The bitter American. Oh, nice. He's not so bitter anymore. That'd be, that'd be McCain. Yeah, yeah. It's in the can. So but these five gallon these five gallon cans are are great. Now. Maui, I gotta, I gotta ask. You know, my first beer that I drank and, and brewed was was pretty bad, and I was excited as all hell to be drinking my first beer. You don't sound too excited, mainly because I brewed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think he's a little toasty. I, oh, actually, no, but I, it tastes actually okay. It just needs a little more carbonation. Okay. But- it actually doesn't totally suck like I expected. <laughs> Everything's right. looking up there. Yeah. yeah, things are good. The, so, the sunset is nice. I don't totally suck. I live things in Maui. Are yeah. Uh, so are and, and, you, and, you, and you talk my wife into coming to the NHC, so I got the tickets and ah, I got the, nice. the thing, and we're going to come meet you guys. I so, saw that, that you had tickets coming out of That's great. Didn't take much. Your wife's a no. sweetheart. Are you are you kegging first? You, so you just decided to jump over <laughs> bottling. Yeah, my, my, I'm sorry, Jeff. My first keg. I, I skipped the bottling thing. Good boy, dude. Smart move. Yeah. Smart You've move. learned. Once you keg, you never go back. That's right. That's right. That's a good move on your part. And, you know, you could but fix... Actually, literally, you could fix your carbonation problem here in about five minutes if you wanted to. That's the other beauty of kegging. But, you know, just just leave the gas on it for another day or so. You'll be, you'll be okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it really, if you want, I'm just t- if you wanted to pick it up, crank the uh, CO2 up to 30 pounds, and shake it in your lap for five minutes, it'd be carbonated when you were done. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait. It would take like a week, yeah, or a couple more days. Depends on how cold it is. 12 pounds. How cold is it? 12 pounds. It'll take about a, uh, six days. How, yeah. six days. how cold is it? I I'm dropping it to 42. I've only gone down to 47 so far. Oh, so it, it sounds like it's going to take a little brand bit more new though. in the keg. Yeah, don't worry about it, man. Get it cold. Uh, it it go make some more beer while that's six fine. days. Yeah, you're, you're fine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm drinking my uh, other beer. Yeah, there you go. All right, good. While I wait. Well, congratulations, okay, cool. my friend. That's an awesome accomplishment. BC Maui's first beer, ladies and gentlemen. Good man. Excellent. Nice job. Cheers, brother. It's all your fault. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Most things are all my fault. Uh, all right. Let's just make sure we get through this because I want to cover all this information. So let's get back on track here as quick as possible. Three beers have been placed in front of me by uh, Mr. Comfort here, and we have a Belgian. Uh, give us the style, uh, the exact style. It's a Belgian. Uh, Belgian double. Double is the first mm-hmm. one. And then kind of an English brown is the second. Yeah, multi-brown, like an English brown ale. And then an English-style IPA is the other one. Okay. So we're going to go through starting with uh, the Belgian. Mm-hmm. 
And now tasting, we tasted at the break just so we can kind of cut to the chase and not do our whole smacking our lips into the microphone for five minutes. Beautiful beer. And um, a little uh, subtle on the uh, Belgian yeast characteristic, um, which I like, actually. I'm not a huge fan of those really strong Belgian mm-hmm. esters. Oh, it's definitely there, though. But I never, yeah, you definitely. know, if you gave me this beer, I, I wouldn't have said, wow, what a great job of oak oaking you did. Because I don't taste oak in, in the beer. <laughs> so maybe we could start with that one. You, uh, sir, use wood very well. <laughs> I only know that there's oak in it because you told me that you, you put oak in it. It's like a ninja. What did you use on this beer? It's a sleeper cell. <laughs> you wood, are, you're an oak <laughs> wood ninja. ninja. <laughs> Is it really in there? Because I can't. Feel it in my mouth. Well, I don't smell it. It, it, it. The aroma is of a really nice Belgian. Yeah. Uh, There's also a nice malt aroma mm-hmm. uh, that I really enjoy. But I don't smell wood per se, so I'm not getting it there. And then when I taste it, uh, well, you showered this morning. I've seen you I smell didn't. wood. I also don't uh, taste oak at the front there. Right. No, it's not an in-your-face oak beer. Like, oh, you had an oak beer. But on the end... But at the end, and this is where I wonder, if, is this something I'm just... Uh, do I have a residual from the oak water that I tasted, or am I sensing that that oak creeps right back up in, in the aftertaste? It does. And it doesn't taste woody, necessarily, but those characteristics of the more subtle uh, oak tea that I tasted does come back. Like the finish, it's there, and the mouthfeel is there. So you can taste... The characteristics f- that were in the tea. Yeah. It's easier to taste the in the finish. beer, you think? Do you think it's easier? Because well, I you think had the, the stuff? Yeah, the, probably, really? because it was targeted on my palate. Yeah, that's why I did that, so yeah. you can calibrate to that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so that's the only time I know it's there, although mm-hmm. had you you know handed me this beer on an off day I just met you, I mm-hmm. wouldn't have said, wow, great use of oak, right? So it's, it's, it's that subtle. But I do know it's there because I just tasted it in the tea. Where did you use it in this beer? Basically, the difference is and the, the timing is... is pretty important depending on on what you're doing uh f- for this one the reason reason why i um this was a uh, french oak that was done uh, actually in the fermentation itself and the reason why the timing of the addition uh, changes the impact of any of the oaks uh, is pretty critical uh the french and hungarian and american all of these ones combined uh, they all have, we all tasted through the teas, they all have, you know, very clear characteristics, but they all were quite present, and the vanilla uh, was quite present in all of them in one way or another, those type of sugar thing was happening. Um, what's important to realize is that during an active fermentation, yeast metabolize vanilla. Okay. Okay? So, your first tip-off, and when you come into something that has oak and you swirl it, is you're getting a big lactone vanilla thing, boom, coming off in your in your nose, and you're like, oh, there's wood in this, even before you taste it, right? Well, yeast actually consume a large portion of that. Interesting. So that that's no longer there. Yeah. Okay. What is there is all of the spice, the subtlety, and the structuring element. Okay. Okay? Yeah. And your finish. Yeah. That's also going to be there. Such a great finish. Oh, yeah. Well, that that's the oak. Okay. What about Valina? Valina. Does uh, Valina get metabolized blah, by blah, blah, JP? Blah, blah. Have that, you figured that out yet? Your it, new pro, your new compound Valina? It, it gets metabolized, but does. it doesn't get metabolized. metabolized. Yeah, oh, yeah. metabolites. Yeah, Oh my. Tested. <laughs> oh, I guess you could test it to see how much got metabolized. <laughs> yeah, I might need to do that. <laughs> see how much wood you have. Yeah. 
After um, tasting all mine's beer, been atta- metabolized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to pour. We need to get that second bottle out. Yeah, I think yeah. Doc has metabolized all of his samples. Yeah, I'm about to. This Belgian is it's just such a nice finish. Finish is a hard. It, it's a whole different animal in beer for me that I haven't even tackled when I think of recipes and things like that. Because, it's structure because uh, the bottom line is if you can understand how to finish the the, the way you finish is you have to build it right first. And then you have to think about anything you do in order to pull off the finish. You can do everything right and then still have things be screwed up and not have it come through enough. Okay. Towards the beer has to be clean. It has to be clear. Uh, has to be balanced. has to be there. Otherwise, you won't even notice the finish. Yeah. Okay? So that part has to be done first. Okay. And then once you've covered all those bases, then that's pretty straightforward. You know? And I think the, the way for me to do that is basically the low level of oak in the ferment. Okay. And that's guaranteed. By the way, that entirely explains why I'm not able to focus on the finish of a beer, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So you only added oak to this beer to focus on how it finished. That was your that was your purpose. Well, the, that was the no. Okay. The byproduct that's 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 a gorgeous byproduct of that and with the aging as well because you get length and longevity. Yeah. Because you're getting greater polymerization of compounds coming off of the tannins and the phenols coming off of the oak itself. Mm-hmm. They integrate okay. with all the compounds created by the yeast and fermentation, you know, and along with the malt and along with the hops. You know, there's a continuous marriage. I mean, that's why beer gets old. Because it's continuously aging. It never stops, right? Mm-hmm. The cold slows it down when we lager it, you know, mm-hmm. when, we, when we hang on to it. And this beer, you know, uh, within a month and a half, uh, coming out of the fermenter, was still fairly edgy, you know. Yeah. And, but I, I don't care because, I mean, I, I, I age stuff for uh, as long as it needs to go because I know where it's going to head. And once it goes into that space, then you've got this long period of longevity because the oak also makes longevity to the beer. Okay. So it doesn't get older, stale, quicker. So if you know these things, then you can get an aging and a roundness to these characters without giving it overly oaky up front. And anything that has a nice finish should probably also, the, the compounds especially that are that are creating that finish, those tannins and the roundness, they're also creating the mid-palate as well. And so any mid-palate filling out and swelling is going to be basically going to be boosting your malt, going to be boosting, you know, any of the the soft aromatic part of the hop, you know, that's happening with that. And it's going to flush that out, any sort of yeast ester characteristic or profile from there. Those will all integrate and be rounded out. And so as you're you're tasting through and and building this, you need to see, okay, do I want, um, you know... This is a beer. These are beers that I've brewed probably now for I don't know, maybe nine years now or something. I mean, okay. these, I, I have a kind of a stable of about ten that I'm pretty consistently checking in with, you know, every so often, and so I know them and I know what I want to do and I know where they were before and I've been paying attention to them. Okay. Know, so grain bill is pretty much dialed. You know, I know what's going on. Yeast, I'm pretty much dialed. Oh, by the way, uh, this is Trappist and Abbey side by side pitched. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Shay, you mentioned that the uh, yeast consume the uh, vanilla. Yeah. Um, you know, I know when they consume. Uh, Sugars, uh, they put out some interesting flavors. What kind of flavor uh, does it put out uh, when it consumes the vanilla? Yeah, I honestly don't know um, specific. If they eat this, they produce this. Um, I know that there's a general metabolism. I know if things are funky in there and they eat them, you get by, you get off flavors being produced. Oh. I know that that's, that's the more focus I've done, how to avoid that. Um, as far as like specifically what specifically they're creating when they're you know cleaving the vanilla and they're breaking that down to what they need, um, that I, I honestly don't know that. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So this first one, the Belgian, it was the French oak. Did you add it? Oh, so, it was, so it was just sorry to finish. Yeah. Uh, so anything that has a finish that's nice, 
probably more than likely, if you were involved with consciously doing that, you've probably got a really nice mouthfeel in that beer already. Because okay. if you notice, when you go into this first, you, you, you taste it up front, you get gorgeous malt, you got a subtle complexity, there's a lot going on, you think, oh, it's kind of nice. Mm. And you get a little bit of the apricot, you get a little bit of, a, of, of that Belgian thing going on. And as soon as you start to, if you swirl it, if you really like swirl it and chew it in your mouth for a second, then things just go, and they kind of get more like a disco ball, you know, getting more facets on that gym. Yeah. Going there, and you can kind of go deeper into those, and there's a lot going on there, but they're still all connected. Mm-hmm. Something doesn't get edgy and take you off and leave you stranded somewhere, you know, down that path, yeah. that flavor path, like, you know, unicorn running through the woods and disappears, right? Like, right. Uh, JP, are you getting all this? I did feel like what, doing the what? splits there for a second. Uh, <laughs> oh, I heard, yeah. I heard Cirque disco Soleil. ball, and I yeah. got Dancing Queen stuck in my head, yeah. and I kind of went off on my yeah. own tangent for a little bit. <laughs> and you mm-hmm. come back to us, Rainbow. <laughs> Man. <laughs> yeah, but the fact is, if you can do those things going on, then then you'll have the finish as well. Okay, they go together. So I don't I don't just think, oh, I want the finish only for this. Okay. That's a byproduct of just making a really nice, well structured beer. All the that's going to last longer. Okay. Mm-hmm. And which oak? What it was French, but was it the uh, French uh, medium? Heavy medium. Okay. Yeah, I don't want heavy because I don't I don't want. I mean, what I want uh, is the the malt and the age and the depth and that complexity coming through on the finish. I don't want those caramel tones, and I, I also don't want it to fall away and round out. I want uh, this I to stay consistent on the way out, you know. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, so that's great use. And that was used right in fermentation uh, yeah. so that you got rid of the uh, vanilla characteristics. Yep. And so all that was left was structure and some of the other complexities that don't get metabolized. Okay. Uh, how about an amount of oak in... One ounce per five gallons on this one. Thank you. I was just about to ask that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. people are using... And, uh, the recommendations uh, on the wine side of things, you always see like two to two and a half ounces per five gallon increment, and that's really too much. Uh, most of the time, depending on what you're doing. Uh, so for for beer, a lot of the guys they see that and they go, oh, well, it says two ounces on the package, and so they go, you know, they put it in and like, Ugh, and then bam, and they're, and they're often putting it in after the fermentation too, so you're getting a much stronger impact of all those wood characters coming through. And not a lot of things. fermentation. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of changing going on there, and there's a lot of flavors that are being created and also knit together. Yeah, in a way that's very different. You can run it on a graph and literally see on a chromatograph that same same uh, spikes for different compounds are there, uh, but before and after. But there's other things that are kind of rounding and mitigating between those spikes, you know. Okay. And then so that kind of rounds it out, and then it's much it's much more approachable and kind of nicer and more integrated as a whole, you know. Towards when you put it in afterwards, then what winds up happening is that you get the same amount of compounds that are there, but they don't fold in and mesh together in the same way. Okay. Which could be fine is if what you want to accentuate are specific characteristics, you know, outside of that. Yeah. So you have a structuring way to do it. That's in the ferment itself. But if you want to do for uh, uh, like a seasoning point of view, I, I guess basically like you would think about it uh, like a bittering hop addition, that's mm-hmm. restructure, right? Mm-hmm. To, ba- to balance the cloyingness of the malt. But then you also have an aromatic addition of, of hops as well at the end. Okay. You know, and so those are different timings for different reasons. Yeah. And it's also the same element. It's still hops, and this is oak. Right. Yep. Uh, so maybe this second beer is an example of that, too, then, mm-hmm. adding for... Because uh, on your... The, the, the brown, brown here, mm-hmm. I can actually, in the in the aroma, I can smell the oak now. Yeah. This, it's not overpowering. I wouldn't have thought that you put this in an oak barrel. No. Um, but I can smell it now, and I smell the wood characteristic. Yeah, and there's also, because of the darker malts, what I wanted was more of a spice and more of a depth. And I, I like the coffee. I like the kind of the slate. I like the kind of minerality going on with the Hungarian thing happening. And so that's why he was chosen for this. Okay. Yeah, and he was done post-fermentation as well. The post-fermentation. Chosen yes, post-fermentation. It, what I really like about this one is that I can I can smell it at the front. 
Mm-hmm. But then I don't taste it when I when it first hits my palate. But then I do taste it when I uh, afterward. So there's this middle part where it's not consumed with oak and wood. No, the malt just blooms. Yeah, you get the sto- like you get a nice English brown malt like you would want. Yep. But you do have wood in the beginning and in the end, which is it's really great. It's a wood sandwich. JP. Oh, yeah, it's hey, wood, that's like what you and I were doing Wednesday. <laughs> we, were, we were already talking. Oh, <laughs> that's a di- off air. Oh, off air voices. I'm turning Friday this, afternoon. I'm turning this off now. Off air voices. I'm getting myself in too much about wood sandwiches. I'd be a wood witch. It's really yeah. nice. It doesn't. Uh, <laughs> it it eliminates that part that I uh, that I always say the cliche of it tastes like oak. I don't want to drink that. It's too oaky. That it doesn't taste like oak, but it does smell like it, and it does come back afterward. And what's nice about this too is at the end, you know, it's it's quite round and full in the mouth. You had a, it finishes fairly dry. Yeah. And yet, with it being fairly dry, um, there's a lot of complexity on that finish. It's not just caramel malt. Yeah. You know, it's not that. You know, you've got a little bit of spice. You've got a little bit of fullness with it. You've definitely got more of the vanilla character mm-hmm. that's equal to the malt, which carries that through. A little bit of the darker sugars going on. A little bit of like um, like a maple syrup kind of um, brown sugary type thing going on. Yeah. That reinforces those things, but also doesn't in a way with the wood is still present on the end of it that, that kind of serves as, a, as um, a balance between like the aromatic and the bittering finish part of the hop and what's going on with that grain bill. You know, it's kind of a good diplomat between the two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the wood that, that you used here? Hungarian. M- medium. Medium plus. And, and you used medium it post-fermentation. Plus. Yes. One ounce per five gallons also? Yep. And how long does it stay on it then? To taste. And so t- for me, I'm usually going one to two weeks. Okay. All right. That's it. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's then, an impressive beer. And then you pull back, and then you let it just kind of put itself together. Because, mm-hmm. again, this one took maybe two months. Do you kind just throw the chips uh, right in there? Or do you have to cubes. put them in a bag? Uh, cubes, cubes, cubes. I'm sorry. Right. There are two totally different things. Let's make sure everybody knows yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I keep screwing it up. Uh, cubes, not chips. And mm-hmm. uh, do you put them in a mesh bag, or you just throw them right in the beer? No. It, it, basically, the, the cubes are so easy to deal with. Yeah. That, but, uh, I went for years um, just tossing in the cubes and having them be perfectly fine. Uh, and then I went through a period of maybe... Hmm. Within a month, uh, three brews with the oak uh, started to get a, a weird uh, off flavor, which was really not cool. And and it was and I'm really meticulous, and so I'm like, okay, the only thing that's not being you know fully baked from from a, just a hardcore you know CDC sanitation point of view mm-hmm. <laughs> is basically. Um, uh, the wood was just being opened up from the package and throwing it, assuming the toasting process would have sterilized, which it does, and then sealed it up from there and, and went tossed. But I thought, eh. How many people's fingers were on it, put it in that bag? Right, you know, and that was another... How bad or cold was that day? Right. So then I realized, okay, so so now my protocol, what I, what I, what I did is I took uh, in a small uh, beaker or, or uh, like just a small glass, I took that one ounce of wood in there, and I put about a fourth a cup of water, uh, covered up with um, anything glass, something like that, stick it in the microwave, and just hit it to go, and let it just literally come to a boil, and slow it down, let it stop there like this, and come to a minute later, hit it to a boil again, because I'm only worried about surface. Hmm. You know, anything in porosity where something can get into from the outside can hurt me, that's going to get hit by the water from the outside. Okay. The inside I'm not worried about because that was sterile from the toasting. I see. Process. And so I do that twice. I let that come up and sit, come up and sit, and then let that come a little bit warmer. And then he, that, that, that water, because what you taste with the tea, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so that water and those cubes literally just bloom right into the carboy. You pour the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's a great technique. And then since then, perfect. Okay. And you're also getting an extraction process, which happens to that, because... Um, 
the extraction rate of the compounds coming off the cubes. These cubes are made for, they're primarily for, for wine, you know, and so wine, you're one, two years, right? So what's happening with the wine is that they're expecting, and the, the life expectancy of the cubes is roughly three to six months hmm. of usefulness. And so you're not going to go that long. You could go that long with the beer, but you would use far less and wouldn't be able to see it. But beer is normally not living so long. You know, that's the problem. So you're dealing with Especially a short in this time. House. Right, you know, and so you need to then step back and say, okay, with that one ounce then, for that for that five-gallon increment, uh, I'm going to get probably more than I would have done for a beer if I was going to go for that, you know, three months period of time. Okay. So, so what happens is that you're taking the hit monetarily by kind of blowing through a little bit more cubes, that one ounce, and you theoretically needed i guess i would say that yeah you know but then the thing is is that wine actually takes one to two years to to really kind of keep putting itself together with that slow dispersion of of those of all these chewy flavor and all these different phenolic compounds the wine is continuing taking those and building larger molecules is itself as it's aging and, and rounding off and filling that's what's happening okay and so the beer of this is a much uh faster shorter period of time so higher ph you know, a much more reaction, more simplistic happening with that. Not quite as complex as the amount of compounds that are in there. So you're really doing a, a shorter time with that, too. So you wind up taking, okay, if that's the case, and you know, you can't wait, you know, six months to get all the goodies out of this wood because the beer is not going to make it. And so I think you get a benefit with um, actually doing that heating process to actually, like what we tasted for the teas, already get a release of compounds already starting, and boom, that goes right into the beer when it makes sense. So it's already starting from as soon as it hits mm-hmm. from there, and then you got like your one to two weeks after that, you know, with the wood after that, and you can go ahead and pull it out and then let it, once the wood is where you want it to be, yeah, uh, you can get it slightly higher because it will fold back with time, you know, a little bit, just enough, like, uh, okay, we're good, That that's good, and then just take it out or rack it off however you guys do it you yeah. know take it out of a keg transfer keg or, or pull it out um and then that you're done okay and then be patient because literally it took Damn. six weeks well that's the thing <laughs> it, well the funny part is is, is i have a couple of friends uh, peter and sigrid a couple of friends of mine have just got into brewing actually and uh sigrid is actually one of the the lalaman people okay and her now husband uh peter a danish dude who's really interested in beer they brewed a couple times he loves beer came over a couple times we brewed together and stuff and and then he kind of saw that and then they actually bought a system and now they're they're not brewing you know and so the whole thing about the timing and the wood he says oh in the very beginning he got one keg hmm. so they start keep tasting the beers at my house and they go, these are phenomenal and i said well they've they have the time you know to do i build them in a way because i know they're going to have the time yeah you know what i mean yeah. uh, four weeks out this is not a great beer okay it's not going to be that way you know but you you just have to know that and so the, i said he's well i'm just going to do the two kegs i said that's fine great well basically, basically after two months i see says you know what peter after tasting again your beers and going back and tasting what we're making uh, uh, he just went out and bought a chest freezer, and now we have five kegs. <laughs> ah. So they have, like, the ones, one of them you can set back to age and let that be the specialty nice guy, and the other ones you can, you know, blow through and make Rotate your stuff and don't yeah. even worry about it. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. So, so you do need to be patient. But okay. what you're tasting is, I, I think, quite lovely. You, yeah. you know what I mean? And this is worth the time and the effort. And, and also, uh, these beers last quite a while with the oak. Okay. So you also get rewarded for longevity of how long these things will go for you. So... Storing it away, uh, it's worth it kind of on all, all levels, I think. Okay. And the oak helps do that. And this last beer, mm-hmm. which is the English IPA, yeah. surprises me that it's what I would call the oakiest. Yeah. Because um, I would expect it to be the hoppiest or something, uh, but it's not. 
good example of an English IPA, by well, the way, because it's not overly hopped. It's there's nothing West Coast about this beer. No, and no nor <laughs> am I. Uh, no, nor is my style preference okay. either. All right. I, 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 I just in full disclosure, uh, I really I don't like citrus hops. Okay. You know at all. Uh, I like the floral. I like the noble varieties. I like the aromatic guys. Okay. I don't, I don't care for the citrus at all. You know. So all my beers, I want malt clear. I want yeast impact clear. I want structure clear. You know, and then if there's any wood that I want to be featured, he'll be there as well. And if Hop is there, he's probably going to wind up, you know, being BKG or something like that. You know, as compared to okay. Mm-hmm. Well, this one is. I mean, of your beer, mm-hmm. I would call this one oak featured. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't if I went to the barrel aged beer festival at the Bistro a couple <laughs> weeks ago because I've tasted the beers that show up there. I would call this not oak featured in comparison Ooh. to a lot of those. But in in the three of yours, mm-hmm. I'd call this oak featured um, because it's in the front. I can smell it. I can taste it, and then it's also in the back like the other ones, too. It's yeah. there. Oak on this one is, is there all the way through. What's the difference but here? But it's also, if you notice, it's also completely integrated with the hop. The floral aromatic so. of the hop. In fact... And the floral, if you stop, when it dries, the floral of the hop it becomes accentuated on the end as well as you start to lose the malt, and, and, and you know, the sweetness kind of rounds a little bit. Yeah. And the perfume qualities of both the wood and the hop go together. There's a woodsy quality to the, you know, to the oak, and that perfume quality, but not quite to the extent of being like sugary and vanilla-y like the American was. This is French oak, by the way. Okay. So this is that French oak who was the more kind of reserved, but mm-hmm. still gave really nice structure and really beautiful roundness. Yeah. You know, but still had a little bit of those perfume tones, so he'll help to push the floralness of the hop on the finishing one, but he still had structure to give you roundness of body and finish length okay. as well. And where in the process did you put this one? Post-fermentation. Post-fermentation. Yep. Also for one Same week, or, but uh, two weeks. taste. Two weeks. Yep. Uh, and he went then. in with the dry hop. Ah, okay. Yeah, so dry hop we had, I think I was, I did eight minutes and then four minutes. Yeah, and then, then a dry hop addition along with the oak. It, uh, sorry, eight minutes, four minutes. What do you mean during the during the, the boil? You're talking about yeah, your the hop additions there. Okay, That's right. eight and minutes then, and a yeah, four minutes. Uh, yeah, and then a dry hop addition with the oak. Okay. Afterwards. Doc, I'm not a fan of IPAs. So what do you think about this one? This is awesome. <laughs> it's nice, right? Really oh, yeah. English. No, it's just the way everything melds together. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a hoppy beer. Uh, yeah. It's, it's bitter. So it but, is an IPA. Right. Uh, it, it's got the sweetness there that an IPA generally does. And yet dry. And it's dry. Not cloying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not cloying. And uh, at the end, it's got a real... I wouldn't... Thick mouthfeel, lingering mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't just flatten out as bitter Mm-mm. and dead. I could drink this beer all night. And there's wood with it, and there's floral right. from the beautiful hops, mm-hmm. and there's the malt still going, and it's yet it's dry. The aromatics is when you when you finish swallowing the last of the beer, uh, it it will come out. It just gets that floral kind of thing just coming off the tongue. Yeah, tasty. I like it. I like the body in this beer. It's really, uh, very, it's very satisfying, mm-hmm. but not you know, uh, cloyingly sweet. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's well balanced oh. beer. Yeah, balance seems to be your forte in all three of those beers. Have Shea. to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why not? I mean, I, I, some I, people I think would argue about that just yeah, by yeah. tasting their beers, like mine. Uh, yeah. But. I agree with you. If you want it, and especially if it's a, a drinkable beer, uh, meaning can I have another? Uh, then oh, balance yeah, yeah, yeah. is the key, yeah. and the dryness is is key. And wow, just great beers. Yeah. And different parts of you know different reasons to use oak in each one of them. Yep. Which I think is really something to take away from this. 
part of the interview is yep, different definitely. reasons to use oak. That first beer, I didn't even taste oak. But I got that sort of aftertaste and the roundness at the end. Yeah. Great. Now I would say to you, great reason to use oak. But I certainly would have, wouldn't have before this interview. The second one uh, really brought out the malt characteristic in the beer. I could smell the oak in the beginning and again taste it at the end. But in the middle, all it did was accentuate the malt. And the finish went so spicy. Right. There's a complexity. That, that, that's the part that's cool about him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. where the Hungarian was a better choice than the French on that. Okay. And then this final one, mm-hmm. kind of oak throughout, just to complement the IPA character. What a good beer. Now, if I was doing stouts or porters, you know, I would be thinking, you know, heavy toast American. Okay. Know, because think about it. You've already got enough grain bale stuff going on with that. You've already got, you know, those charred coffee tones thinking of, you know, they happen to the finish. But would it be nice if those can be kind of sweetened up a little, vanillified, a little bit, you know, kind of more confectionary on the end so it doesn't become bitter. Yeah. But you still have the reason why it's a porter or a stout coming yeah. out at the end. So, so that would be another good use for that. Are we talking in the ferment again? Both. 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 Yeah. yeah. And, and what all that means then is if you drop the cubes in, you know, for the ferment, you're leaving it because I'm not. I'm not doing a secondary transfer anyway, and so the cubes wind up floating um, for the first like four days or so mm. in your fermenter. So you got like hops and, and foam and trims, and the cubes are kind of floating around. And eventually, within that that one to two weeks, like this too, they, they wind up. There's maybe three or four that are kind of hanging out the top still, but they wind up settling to the bottom. You know, so I am I am putting a nice gentle stir. You are okay. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Rouse it any way you can. We could do CO two if you have a conical or something. Yeah, I'm rousing so. daily on on the ferment. Okay. Yeah, definitely doing that. You know, do you do that a, regardless? Yep. By the way, whether you use an oak or not, you're always yep. rousing daily. Yeah, because you're blowing off any time you have any sort of sedimentation with during fermentation. You're having sulfur compounds being produced. Sulfur compounds shut down your mouthfeel, shut down the roundness. They mask other positive like flavors okay and so sulfur management which again this is another purely wine side of things which i this i'm kind of always surprised that you know the beer guys don't that they, they don't talk because there's so many things it's the same bug it's the same it's the same fermentation it's the yeah. same thing it is you just have to learn this is these are these type of things put together and this is this type of uh situation and and then so within those things uh so the these are your tools and your situation with how you need to deal with this but the bottom line is Fermentation is still making funky stuff, yeah. And you need to be dealing with it, you know. And if you can deal with that correctly in the fermentation with temperature, you know, making sure the mash is decent, you know, if you do any of the Saccharomyces or not, whatever that's your that's your issue, you know. Um, whether you're doing the oak or not, making the complexities happening with that, but by actually, you know, rousing and getting this up, you're allowing it. It's it's still uh, hydrogen sulfide is is ba- it's H2S. It's still volatile at that point. Yeah. So the active, you know, and plus if we're not an open top fermenter. You know, most of us are not doing that, you know, in a bucket, you know, whatever, or, or a large vessel that's open. I mean, we're basically dealing with carboys or conicals or things that are sealed up. So that headspace, you know, is going to be more reduced and, and more more funky that's going to be there because of those sulfur compounds. They'll be coming out depending on how much is going on with the active fermentation. Yeah. The irony is, is that more agitation releases more of these compounds, but more agitation means that the yeast are hotter and producing more of them as well. <laughs> Okay. You know what I mean? So basically, if you keep a nice, decent, you know, temperature on the ferment, 67-ish or so, however, you know, you want to plus or minus that, you know, what you're shooting for, you know, as an average, you know, and if you can then work 
a little bit, you know, get the lees up, you know, through at least the first like four days of fermentation, you're allowing stuff to be blown off. It's making less because it's cooler, but you're still getting the activity of being able to, you know, get it up. Yeah. Get it cleared out. And if oak is part of that too, then that's also then getting those compounds in play and swirled up and, and, and equalize that and homogenize so that they can so all start all putting go. themselves, yeah, and it all comes together and makes this. <sighs> Shay, can we talk about my life problems after the program? <laughs> Everything is clear to me now. <laughs> You're more of a yeast psychologist, I think, than the yeast whisperer. Oh, yeah. uh, he knows things that just make it clearer. You know what I'm he's, saying, JP? He's like the Dr. Phil of yeast, but less douchey. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. Like, just like yeah. Caesar. I don't want to be yeah, douchey like that. No. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. No. Caesar's not douchey. You can no. be more no. like him. Yeah. No. yeah, He's cool. Yeah. And he yeah. knows things. Because he's the dominant He's getting man. a lot of ass, that guy. He's the alpha. Yeah. I feel like uh, at the end of the, the alpha. I think after the the program ends, we're all going to discover the meaning of life after this discussion. <laughs> well, really, this is the thing. Like you guys were laughing about before, saying how you know, you know, it's a lot of information. It's it's this and it's you know pretty intense and blah blah blah. You know, and yeah, it'd be funny because everybody who knows me laughs about this because you know I'm not going it, to. It, it's just these aren't. Simple, simple, easy things. But once you understand the basic things about it, it's pretty yeah. straightforward. It's like, oh, okay, make sure I do this, put this in here, and I just do, and I just stir, and make sure those flavors are in there up front, and then already everything's better. So it becomes extremely useful. Yeah. And it, it you just, it, I went to a sparkling wine seminar uh, two two weeks ago, which was really fantastic, and those guys are like phenomenally technical. You know, on the the most of all the winemaking, the champagne guys are just like really on it. You know, because okay. it's all about protein fractions and finding and specificness and fermentation and control, and then your secondary fermentations. <laughs> no, because that makes all the clarity of flavors. Ah, okay, that's the whole point. I see. So the whole point is that you, you it's it's not like you know, uh, you know, if you have an apple traveling on a train and Judy has a cart of oranges, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. who gives a shit? Yeah, it means nothing. But it's you know practical what I mean? there. But when you realize, oh wait a minute. You know, uh, this means this, the wood gives these compounds, these are these flavors, and that tastes like this, and that smells like this, and that can do this to the beer. It's like, oh, click. Yeah, clears a bell. Yeah, then it matters. And then then it's worth knowing about because that, you know, and the bicycling line, one guy gets him and says, there's one maxim here. He with the most information wins. Yeah. Same thing for brewing. That is the moniker of the BN. Yeah. That's why we do this. That's why we lose. (laughs) (laughs) But have nice beer to, to commiserate. All right. We are getting pounded for Drunk of the Week. Okay. Oh. People are dying. Hey, go ahead. Shay, I had a question. Yeah. Um, and maybe I missed this totally, but... Probably. What about blending of cubes? As home brewers, I mean, mm-hmm. we don't have a big barrel to throw it into. What about just blending these cubes? Good on you. Getting like a, an ar- aromatic and then a, a complexity from a different cube, I mean... Yeah, well, there's a reason why when you go to wineries that they have, you know, multiple barrels and, and not all the same barrel. It's a spice rack. And it's the same exact thing. And for me, like a lot of times, if I'm working in a tank, and I'm saying winery because that's you know an immediate thing from here, but there's no different from, from beer or anything else we're talking about here. Same exact thing going on. You can have, now that you've got a better idea of it, you know, American, you got sweet, aromatic, and perfume, you know, pushing out, but not a lot of the structure and the depth and complexity. French is really reserved and gorgeous and more complex, but not a lot of the minerality and the coffee-type tones going on. Hungarian's got the structure and things like that, but maybe not quite so as perfume as so, but everybody has a place, right? So depending on the wine or the beer or whatever you're trying to make, you go, huh, okay, these are the percentages I'm dealing with here. So if I like this quality, but I want to make sure I don't sacrifice it at, at not getting this quality with it, you're all over it. And so I actually do that for small fermentation vessels, like in the winery. Um, I'm already, because I've done years of the yeast and bacterial trials for Lalamond, and I've done years of oak trials in combination with all these things as well, because they're all the package. 
you know, they all go together. Same thing happens. So you step back and you go, all right, I know these are the blends I like for this type of one. So it's like 50% here, 25% here, 25% here. You, I want to be a 60-40 because I know you're going to get these qualities. I'm talking woods. You know, 60% French, 40% Hungarian, you know, for this. You know, if I know you generally turn can be a little bit funky and I want to make sure you, you retain a kind of a sweet thing so things stay balanced, I want to make sure a percentage of you will be, will be American to do that, to round that out, you know. And so you can do the same exact thing. So in one vessel... If I don't have a bunch of barrels, I'm in one tank. If I have to deal with that, I make that blend with the oak in that tank. And I, I would do exactly not hesitate at all to do that same exact thing in a carboy. Good is, question, Shan. Is there one taking over the other? I mean, do you ever run into that? What do you mean? The American, that overpowering aromatic takes over, say, a French. Yeah. Two, two different things. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the, the American uh, consistently goes a very long way, both in wine and beer. And so I would just say, uh, if, if at all possible... Um, it's a really nice, I don't know, you've, guys are set up to do, you know, small lots just for the hell of it, you know, maybe like one-gallon fermenters or something, or, or if you have multiple carboys or kegs. Even if you do like a 10-gallon batch or 5-gallon batch and you break it up to like a third of a carboy, a third of a carboy, a third of a carboy, you know, and you just, right off the bat, if you know you're going to blend anyway, just go ahead and do a third of you in French, you know, a French in you, American you, Hungary in you, and you three guys, knowing that you're going to blend it together anyway at the end to go into your kegs and stuff. But before you do that, you know, pull off and taste that and see what, what did I get from that? And then first you taste them separately to see what am I dealing with? Like what we did with the teas here. And you, you can even do this now. We tasted through these teas, right? And so now if you start blending these teas and tasting, you're going to get that same exact thing, you know? And so then that will, that will teach you how to do that. And then, so then you can then take that and pull back and then do the same thing with the beer. Okay. I -hmm. thought you mentioned that earlier, but I just wanted to make sure. No, that's great. No, I do. People always laugh at me, too, because I'm always the one, like, you know, you just pull out tanks, call this stuff, you know, because the blend across the board, they always laugh. Now they go, yeah, okay, okay. Shat the (laughs) producer, ladies and gentlemen. I love you! Very nice. (laughs) Very nice. All right. Uh, We didn't play the beer information thing. You know what? I thought about it in the middle, and then I realized. I'd be the whole playing time. it be over going, yeah. top of Shay the whole <laughs> just, time, so just, I just, just give us one. Should we we'll just do the give, like, yeah. give him a, a, a just a general? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. hold your alert till the give end. Give a little this, taste. This is today's show, ladies and gentlemen. There you go, Shay Comfort, everybody. Thanks very much for uh, giving us all that information. You're very welcome. Uh, not, not only was it really actually clear and concise, uh, despite uh, the warnings I was given that you were going to just give me more information than I could handle. Uh, no, it was uh, very well done, and I would hope you yeah. could you could come back and, and do some more with us sometime because uh, that fantastic. Absolutely, there's more in his brain. We now, just haven't tapped it. Yet. Film Labret says this session has more words per second than any other in the history of the BN. <laughs> That's possible, <laughs> and it's true. Now, I do have a question for you. It's uh, something that the listeners always want, and especially after we've just raved about the three beers that you gave us. Um, listeners always love a recipe. Um, you don't have to give it right now, but if you have some recipe that you could give us uh, to, that we could post in the forum for them to brew uh, a nice beer at home, would you, would you give one up? Or are you a top-secret type of a guy? It's funny. I'm kind of... Uh between the two worlds. Yeah? Yeah, I'm not quite sure which camp I'm in. But you're not a yet. commercial brewer, right? Nope. You're not. No, uh, no, do you no, plan no. on being one? No, I'm a winemaker. You're a winemaker. So yeah. I'm a consulting winemaker right now is my main gig, and I do this because this is how I started, and I love this. Yeah, yeah. And talk about instant gratification, man. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, you do this, I got my answer in two weeks. Right. You know, and then in six weeks to see, like, how did it age out? Right. Compared to, like, uh, you do anything with wine, yeah. And, and if I screw it up, boom, I go back down to the shop and I and I get new grain bill and, I, and, I, and I'm ready to go again immediately. Yeah. Wine you got once a year. Okay, so that part of what you do then makes me extremely curious about why any part of your leg would be on the side of the fence that says I wouldn't give a recipe. Hmm. That's a really good point. I think I think more the hesitancy is coming from I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, coming from the probably more the wine side of things. Like I haven't thought like a brewer mm. publicly. Uh, probably I'd say for four years, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this has been a treat for me because it's you know ah, I, cool. I just I just at my house just do this by myself because I love it. <laughs> you know, but you're usually talking yeah. to your yeast. Yeah, well, no, but <laughs> and, and plus, quite honestly, there's a lot of this research doubles over for uh, you know distillation yeah. and things too. So you know, excited. which is illegal and shouldn't be I have undertaken by anybody. I have friends okay. who, who do that. <laughs> yeah. That are legal. Yeah. yeah, you know, so it's one they're of, illegal too, so it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> my friends are also illegal. Uh, shipping. Yeah, no. So it's definitely um, I, the funny part is you know I, I give you the recipe, but uh-huh. I mean two people make the same recipe, it's not going to be the same. Uh, we're aware care. of that, and that's why actually I always say why wouldn't you? Even even the the professionals who come in and say oh well we have to protect our recipes. I always no, can, I don't I feel say, I, I, I don't feel why, that, but I think it's more of a false crutch. I, mm-hmm. I I think it's silly thinking like oh well you know if I brew his recipe and I do it it's going to be the same beer. Sure. No, I mean if there's. And then we're going to send you hate mail. Well, well, you know, realistically, I mean, the bottom line is, is if you, okay, yeah, I could post a recipe, but I, I, I honestly, from my gut, don't mm-hmm. think it will make that big of a difference. There's okay. so many recipes out there. I mean, Jamil's book, for example, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, oh Jamil yeah, Palmer, but you know, the book of recipes, etc. People always want to brew other examples of other people's beers just because it's something new that they've never done before. So, sure, but so. I mean, in my mind, it, it's more about understanding the technique afterwards than so much the grain bill. Yeah, but these people are crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shay, just give and it by up. these yeah. people, JP means my people. Yeah, me I mean, and my cats. And my I, I mean, I mean, realistically, yeah. I mean, truly, truly, if you, if you, you know, boil the oak correctly, if you put the oak in the ferment and you carry it through all the way to the end, yeah, that's going to be a huge difference already. Okay, I guarantee you. All right, um, fermentations. I'm really always at like 66. Yeah, you know, because of the malt. That's the thing like this. You know, I think that's a big part. I've okay. had people literally because Peter, Peter and Sigrid, we brew together. They ferment under the basement of their house. They have no real kind of set temperature control. Okay. Now, I've got a fridge with a thermal well and a dial to a Ranko. You know what right. I mean? It's like, if I say 67, we're at 67. Game over. <laughs> yeah. You know? And that is a tremendous difference. Already I'm tasting. We're even doing same yeast, and I'm still tasting differences. Okay. So, same, so it, it comes down to that. And Peter was kind of on the fence first about the whole oak thing, which is pretty funny. He's like, I, I just want to learn to taste what's going on with the yeast first, and then I'll do the oak. And now he's like, well... Uh, maybe the hops, maybe not the hops in the after. I'm not quite sure about that, but but definitely the oak. So now he's starting to oak everything too because of the same reason at different timings and things. Okay. So I think there's more impact from that, judging from your own personal style, you know, than than a recipe. I mean, you know, based on the fact that we've never got a better answer to why I won't give you a recipe than that, <laughs> you are you are totally off the hook. He'll yeah. give us one. You'll give us one. But I just feel kind of like a fraud because, quite honestly, but don't. No, no, no. What I mean, he's by thinking the, it's just a recipe. Yeah, I and know. But, it's how you treat it. Yeah, but it's like if you make a good uh, uh, angel food cake. And I want to make it too because it tastes good. Mm-hmm. It's sugar and eggs. I want to try it out. Flour. That's just sugar and eggs and flour and love. And I don't have a lot of that, so it'll be different. <laughs> Get more hate. Yeah. It should be a devil's just, just do it. Don't think about it so much. <laughs>
<laughs> all right. I'll leave it up to you because you're in contact with JP and Doc. So if you end up wanting yeah, to yeah, all, me, the, all, the, all the time. But I would say this. Uh, <laughs> you could probably, it, it sounds to me like you could take your favorite recipe and apply some of the oak techniques we just talked about with these last three beers and see if it helps it out and you might do better off because that's your recipe. You know what needs I to be fixed. I would say, yeah, yeah, if there's uh, anything that anyone wants to come away with here, you know, it's how, it's how to get an improvement off off the bat like this way is yeah. understanding those things about the oak. Yeah. And then also understanding complexities of the yeast. Okay. And and pitching two different yeasts that sound like they may give nice things together is, is probably a, a good idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, up front. Yeah. That along with the oak and you're already in a different place. Okay. And then be patient all right as far as letting those flavors come together too okay yeah one more time shake comfort ladies and gentlemen thank you very much really i appreciate you hanging out come back if you would if you would do so sure uh last couple things and then we got to get out of here because uh i can tell by the way doc's squirming and i know i feel this i gotta pee and uh oh yeah we gotta get out of here let's have another round to go through did you get the breaking news i sent you uh You don't have to read it. Just click on it and read it real quick. I can't do that. Uh, It'll mess everything up. So if you got any Drug of the Week calls, we'll take those really quick. 888-401-BEER. Otherwise, we are getting out of here. I want to mention that... You just want to take... Candy sugar? Do a little giveaway? Yeah, we can do a giveaway when we do that. (laughs) Are you just giving me calls now? No, I, I know who it was. I have caller ID, so I was going to wait for you to finish your thing, and Doesn't I was going to type you properly. Like no, we can do that. We'll just oh, take Is right. it a DOTW? So we call JP. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh, drunk of the Week, call. Who are we talking to? I'm not Drunk of the Week. Uh, okay, then now we're going to hang up on you. Sober of the what Week. What did he say? All right. said, I'm not Drunk of the Week. No. So, Sounds uh, like Boog. Uh, 888-401-BEER. Go ahead and screen him for me, Jipper. My fault. Uh, so we make sure we get through. 888-401-BEER. And then... No, yeah, we'd have to do a caller number something for our candy sugar giveaway. We do have some light and dark candy sugar to give away. Um, oh, we can play guess what number JP's thinking of in the chat room. If oh, you don't yeah, let's do play caller. that for an hour. <laughs> I'll make it easy. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> I, just I remember wanna, this game. I just want to point out that... Can I leave the room? You just owned Jip on that one. That was really nice. Oh, yeah. All right, how about this? I'm going to call out a state. And if somebody is listening in that state, I want you to call in, and you've just won yourself uh, some candy sugar. Wow. One, to yourself? Yeah. Hawaii. Zero N-E-D. One. Zero. <laughs> it was a drug of the week call. It's I, ghetto speak. I chatted it at you. I chatted it at you. All right, we're talking to Steph on the line. Is this the Stephanie? This is the Stephanie. It sounds like Oh, her. yeah, I'm checking her voice print. It's her. Stephanie. De- <laughs> Stephanie generally uh, brings it strong with the Drunk of the Week call. What's happening, Steph? Well, Steph- Stephanie has learned from her mistakes. I see. Which was oh. and, dating and, an Irishman. Um, <laughs> she may be on vacation, but mm-hmm. this whole week we have off, which is great. But Sean was actually really disappointed by Chad's um, by Chad's discussion of all the repeal of um, he was oh. yeah that was bad huh I'm Come sorry on. why was he disappointed it, it wasn't good enough well, we gotta call him out like well the the 21st amendment's doing some things yeah sorry hey, even my brother in Southern California Big Tim even mentioned it only like, because it's posted in the forum no he, he said no. I, he posted he said uh, Sully must be doing something big for yeah what's he 21st yeah. Amendment. it's hard to follow up in the forum and then we he's, didn't we didn't make it big enough Is he's got a happened? full page ad in the forum make it big enough yeah. and he's barbecued chicken I've heard it I've heard it all night 
so I thought I'd call in and talk about how exciting it was going to be. I don't know. Chat, you really... How exciting is it going to be, Steph? You really fucked things up again, so Chat. Fun. And you know how badly you fucked it up? We have to hear it from Stephanie. You know, I'm thinking it's not going to be that much. So, fun. Steph, you're going to be the 21-year-old? <laughs> I wish I could be the 21-year-old. Yeah. So do I. Are you pouring more but of your no. beer now, Shay? Yes, he is. Yeah, no, not for you. Line him up, baby. Not for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried to signal you, but I you know. Were... I saw. All right, there's my brown cup. There's my IPA cup. I don't know which one you're pouring, and there's my I'm Belgian. Pouring. Oh, and I and I'm getting the phone taken away. Two J's, one brown cup. Hey, look, Could you just hang it up. I have to re-record a new spot, and I just want to say that. I mean, and Chad is not the guy for it. I just want to say that right now. Sorry, Sully. Man, but. Uh, uh, and the song is good too, but I got to get back in this. What are you flooded, Sully? What was that? So, in other words, uh, we we weren't exciting. It wasn't enough. It wasn't oomph enough. He, he it was wasn't, expecting more. He it got wasn't less. the new face of the two one a. No, I needed something more of a, a a professional enunciation. Yeah, we needed more morning and zoo. The mention J- of the name of the company in the first like four minutes. You yeah. know what? Uh, Shay should have done it. Yeah. So you want enunciation? So, Sully, you're saying you're underwhelmed? What should I have done? <laughs> he was. Well, I wouldn't pay I, for I, it. I love, I love, I love Shad a lot, but uh, you know. <laughs> but he's a dick. Sorry, Sully. Yeah, I, get, I get my money back on this. Let me let me make sure we have it. Right. Let me try to reiterate how it went, and so that we can know what to fix. So it went something like this. And this week at the Twenty First <laughs> Amendment, in if you are looking for something really fun to do, you could. <laughs> You Sounds could, like NPR. You you like could. a sad clarinet in the background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you it could. was like that uh, sweaty ball thing on uh, SNL with Al. Sweaty <laughs> <laughs> balls? Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. And what, so I have sweaty balls. What's the big deal? A professional like uh, brewcaster saying like, uh, so what is he talking? Is this the repeal week celebration? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't get yeah. the talking point, Sully. Shat's, Shat's in training. Uh, he just happens to be in training on air. And uh, uh, I'm just he's busting balls. But, it's, uh, so fu- you're, Chad, it's so funny. Though. I think you we'll did, take that off the list. Chad, I think you did a, a wonderful job, and I think you're improving uh, tenfold over what <laughs> you were before. <laughs> yeah. And um, in in case you didn't yeah. know that mm. this is exciting, what happened was there used to be prohibition, and now there's not. And what is that? Really Couldn't mean? drink for thirteen years. But that's older than. Thanks to the Twenty First Amendment and places like Sean O'Sullivan's establishment. <laughs> you, establishmentarianism. You, you stop that stuff. <laughs> so, Sully, how come you figure that you can take one day and stretch it into a whole week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the real question, Sully. Well, because we paid in a, a uh, PR firm. <laughs> it's the repeal of prohibition decade. Yes, that's right. Are hey, you going to get Gavin Newsom out there? Yeah. Hey, Sully, who's doing your print materials? Because they look fantastic. Uh, it's uh, Moxie, actually. It's this uh, this uh, designer. Uh, it's a designer branding company, actually, out in uh, San Francisco that does a lot of work for us. Your posters and flyers really look badass. It they makes look me great. yeah, like I I wish you know one one day when I have a budget, I'm calling Moxie. <laughs> And I'm and uh, and then I'm gonna have Moxie up. and then I'm gonna have Chad do all my PR. Yeah, it look a lot better <laughs> than like, a plug from uh, Chad. Listen, uh, we just had this great print advertising, but free, I'm gonna really downplay print. it right now and use uh, every fourth sentence in how I describe it. <laughs> oh. uh, according to the web, thank you. Mark Calendar Amendment Homebrew Beer Abolished 18th Special Momentous Day Party 75 year old 21 year old. 
parade? 6 p.m. 21-year-old. Kind of sounds like uh, last week when you called in and talked <laughs> oh. about it. Oh. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Sully, maybe you should, maybe you should send our people uh, a promotion pack. Maybe a couple cans, a couple posters. Cans? Did you say you cans? Know, maybe I so we don't do have to do the work like for you. Some free passes. Maybe I should redo a spot that's like, uh, yeah. you know, that's not two years old. That might, <laughs> we might want to work on that. Six years ago, Nico Freccia and I. <laughs> All right, Steph doesn't get drunk of the week, but uh, Chad does get poor advertiser of the week. Oh, yeah, Sully, <laughs> I love you. All right. Cheers, brother. All right, guys. I love you. Great show. We've been listening all day. We've been drinking wine, though, unfortunately. But uh, Excellent. Hey, Shay likes it's that. It's all been Asian oak. It's all the same. <laughs> Good. It's all Good. the same, baby. <laughs> it's made with love. Right, French. Take care. Thanks, brother. Cheers. All right. The great Sean O'Sullivan for the 21st moment. Uh, Shay, oh. you knew you weren't going to get Sorry, praise Sully. all show long. Come on. Yeah. That's just... Bitter issue. That was credit. pretty bad, yeah. Give, yeah. give him a refund on that one. All right, so let me pick a state here so we can give away some candy sugar. If you are listening right now in... Uh, I can't go too far east, right, because it's getting late, isn't it? If you're listening live and you live in Texas, call us up, 888-401-BEER. I will give you a couple bottles of candy sugar. I got some dark candy sugar and some light candy sugar. You can do yourself a nice Belgian beer. Maybe and throw a little oak in there. As, so you uh, picked like the biggest fucking yeah, state right. in the the country. No, it's going to be a lot of calls. You think? What's the point? Well, maybe. We'll see. What's your be embarrassing if there's not, I suppose. If you're calling, <laughs> if you're in Texas and you're listening live, just in Alaska. Come on. 401 Beer. First caller from Texas. Uh, in the meantime, we got Beer Punk on the phone calling in for Drunk of the Week. Beer Punk, what's happening? He's from Texas. Oh, okay. Beer Punk. Oh. Beer Punk. Already yeah. passed out. Yes. Hey, what's going on, man? Oh, uh, not a whole lot. Uh, I'm calling in for Drunk of the Week. All right. Tell us about your consumption this evening. He sounds like a young Hank Hill. You say Junk of the Week? <laughs> I'm calling in, for, uh, calling in for Junk of the Week. What have you had? Yes, I'm calling in for Junk of the Week. Perfect. You win. <laughs> now let's try for Drunk of the Week. Uh, what have you had tonight? Oh, what haven't I had? I had uh, some Mad Raven from... Bridgeport and a bottle of Abyss from Deschutes and uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. some of my English IPA that I got on keg right now. Excellent. And have you yelled at anybody yet? <laughs> well, I uh, I yelled at my dog when she tried drinking all of my beer. Doesn't okay. count. Did <laughs> that's it. Shay says that's a no go. Did you kick the dog? <laughs> that, that that would be more of a go. I like the dog. No, I haven't kicked my dog. Thank you for not kicking your dog. Me. Get all pissed Why would off? I kick my dog? How dare you even suggest such a thing? Kick you first. Hey, yeah. It's not like they said they're kicking the cats, JP. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no, hey, no yeah, I don't hey, mind. Hey. I don't mind kicking a cat, but I wouldn't kick my dog. Yeah, no yeah. kicking the pussy. Uh, yeah. All right, Beer Punk, you are in the running, we my we friend. We, we in the running. We don't go there. Yeah, Shay's a cat man, too, by the way. Yeah. Is he? I'm going to cat man, too. <coughs> Let me turn this cat off. Man. I'm sorry. Just uh, keep answering the phone there, JP. 888-401-BEER. Either you're calling in from Texas to win yourself some candy sugar, or you're calling in for Drunk of the Week. Uh, let's wrap this up, kids. we got about uh, four minutes, and I am out of here. I ain't giving away anything after that. Candy no. sugar you still sounds ass. like a stripper. So. Candy sugar does sound like a Looks stripper. Like candy stripper. You said ass. got more Shay's beer in front of me. I just want to go. It's good, right? I just want to go taste mm. that. And eat See, and I was talking to him. I was like, you, you, you need to bring a beer. He's like, dude, it's just beer with oak in it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's oh, really good beer so good. with oak in it. Hell of a brewer, Shay. No, I think it's oak with beer, beer in it. You already called in once. What do you want? How old is this Belgian? Uh, the Belgium now is seven months. Okay. Are you drunk a week? 
It's in its prime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Trust me. And you, you see, as it gets warmer, the more yeasty characters coming out. Mm. It's like a Tasty. flower opening up. Yeah, yeah, it is. What temperature did you ferment this at? Uh, he was 70. Okay. I, yeah, I would assume the higher would have been better, but between, I was worried about Trappist becoming too wacky. Because it was not that to... half Trappist, and so that's why I dialed him back to 70 and said it was like 74 or so. That's that part I was telling you where uh, I actually really enjoy Belgian beers, but if it's too estery, too yep. much of those, uh, but th- that one's not. So any higher, and I think it would have would have gone the wrong direction. That's what they say about me. My humble opinion. <laughs> yeah, any higher, and Doc goes the wrong direction <laughs> every time. Uh, Brutat calling in for Drunk of the Week. Hello, my friend. Again. Oh, yeah, I'm Drunk of the Week. Brutat could pretty much uh, almost always qualify for Drunk of the Week, really. Yeah, but... You know, just in the volume, yeah, but he doesn't I mean. show He's got it. good numbers, but he always seems pretty sober. You can't tell. Well, this week is because it's been like six months since I called in for the a donation to the stone brewing colored oh. hair thing. Yeah, that, and also apparently you're laying underneath the power lines. And, and I matched everybody's uh, uh, donations on the BN. Oh, God. And, and all I wanted was a damn T-shirt from the two one eight. Now, now he sounds drunk. <laughs> yeah, now, now he does. sounds yeah. off. Yeah, I just never got it. And you know, I didn't and even. Wait a minute! This has been going on for like three months. Yeah. Damn, damn, Shad's been telling me, "Oh, yeah, Sully won't give me a T-shirt. Sully won't give me your T-shirt." Sully says, "Oh, I gave Shad your T-shirt. I gave Shad your T-shirt." I think I'm wearing your T-shirt <laughs> as a diaper. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the, the T-shirt was given to Shad, and then I was like, "Ooh, that's a nice T-shirt." Yeah, I need yeah, another exactly. one of those. Exactly. Shad has my T-shirt because uh-huh. Sully says yeah. he's done with it. I see. Seth says he can't do anything with it, uh-huh. and Steph says, "Fuck you." <laughs> Now listen, I don't donate for nothing, bitches. That's right. I was like $220 for a fucking T-shirt. No, no, it wasn't because you never got the T-shirt. <laughs> You're not done yet. And Tat, Tat. I will say it is the most comfortable T-shirt I've ever worn. Yeah. Tat, what have we you learned like from this? T-shirt? Normally it's 225 yeah. for the T-shirt. What have we Plus learned? Plus shipping and handling. You just came under the line. T-shirt. What have we learned from this experiment? Yeah. Don't donate to the fucking BN conference. <laughs> oh, that's not... No, no, no. Or maybe we need to be more zen about the situation and just release <laughs> your desire for the t-shirt. It's the universe telling the you universe. to be See? more philosophical. Uh, yeah. Loosen up that utility kilt, buddy. <laughs> I told you she's the... <laughs> no, no, no. It's not Sully's fault. Are you kidding me? Oh yeah, it is. Sully's it's his shirt. It's Sully's given more T-shirts than I've given information, which I probably isn't well, saying much. Shouldn't say that. I thought you were going in a different direction. I checked uh, your neighbor's house. He's probably got it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I have. Oh, I no. have your two one A shirt. Did I, you, you will get it. Didn't you see it going out your window, Shat? I put. Yeah. Uh, I do put Brutat though above uh, Beer Punk so far in the running for Drunk of the Week. Yeah, uh, do we? Right. Do, do I get a, an agreement from the studio? Yeah, yeah. I give you a okay. yes on that. Sure. Okay. Yeah, angry, angry drunk. I don't know. I guess when he gets his panties in a wad, it makes him sound like he's drunk. I like that. That's yeah. fine. Whatever right. it takes. He right. probably won't so, get his medal for six months. Tat, should you retain your lead in the drunk of the week? When I send your medal, I will also send your two and a shirt. Your medal will be slightly used. It'll be slightly used. Yeah, yeah. slightly. It won't be washed. I'll tell you that. I only wore it as a night shirt. 
<laughs> Why is it stiff? Yeah, what's all these crispy things? Were you making paper mache in my shirt? All right. I can't hear your connection is bad, Ted. I'm going to hang up on you. I'm sorry. But uh, you are now in the lead running 888-401-BEER for Drunk of the Week. Plus, I'll give you your 2 a shirt if you win. And uh, my, I mean, I'm sure it's my fault somewhere down the, the line, the chain of command. I thought it was Chad's fault. I know. I, I'd like to blame it on Chad, but uh, Chad already got called an asshole by Sully tonight. <laughs> I figure I'll take the blame on this one. Oh, you're being too kind. <laughs> you take the bullet for him? Yeah. I want to jump in front of the gun on this one. He ream shack. <laughs> I say it's, it smells really pretty in here. It does? Because Schumann came in? Yeah, I noticed that. Oh, Thanks, yeah. Schumann. Schumann's got a young lady coming over tonight. That's why he bathed, huh? Oh, right. lady. Hey, uh, you guys may have seen her. She's a tall, blonde chick. Oh. If you hang out for a couple hours after the program, you'll also hear her in the other room. <laughs> if uh, you know what I'm saying. I've done it before. I've, I, I have creepily stood in our laundry room doing laundry for a good long time. When, uh, folding clothes. When ironing folding things clothes. you never thought you'd iron. Yeah, when this, like my socks, when this young lady comes and hangs out with Schumann, because uh, it's just fascinating to listen to. <laughs> so we'll have some audio for next week. Yeah, we just might. <laughs> so a little extra starch in your ironing. All right. Uh, is this real? Is this for real, JP? It's for real, dude. We have Bug Eater from Nebraska calling in for Drunk of the Week. Bug Eater's never Drunk of the Week. Doesn't he's, sound like Texas. I said, I said, are you Drunk of the Week? He goes, yeah, of course I am. He's now, a before very he called, composed he called, He's the one that called before and said, no, I'm not Drunk of the Week. Bug Eater, are you calling in for uh, DOTW? <laughs> of course I am. You are. <laughs> first, I got a complaint. Okay, what is your complaint, sir? What's crap of calling for this place is infested with Texans. <laughs> Give the rest of the country a chance for that stuff. Like we need more Texans. Yeah. Okay, right off the bat, good uh, point. Bug Eater wins our candy sugar uh, uh, contest tonight. You're going to get a little bit of dark candy and light candy, uh, just because you pointed out a good point. Uh, JP doesn't like Texas, and we are uh, bombarded by the Texans. That's true. I'm not happy about Texas myself. <laughs> so okay, well, we're going to give it to Nebraska now. Uh, Bug Eater, really, you're a, a very composed gentleman. Are you sure that you're calling? <laughs> in for Drunk of the Week. You're a very fancy gentleman. Well, I've been drinking like mad ever since I got home from work. <laughs> Fridays <laughs> ago. <laughs> uh-huh. Since I got well, home from work in 1972. It was <laughs> uh, IPA and watermelon wheat. Oh, really? What do you do in Nebraska? Drink a lot. I do? Go home from I'm work and drink. Uh, and he fishes. I'm a chef up here. Hmm. Okay. What Hello? is a chef? Yeah, Roadkill. Road right. So, uh, Bug Eater, on a scale of one to trashed, where do you put yourself? On the dock scale. Yeah. If well, okay, yeah, yeah, if dock is trash, you know, not tonight, but you, kinda, yeah, really. you know what I'm saying. Uh, and then, and then, let's say uh, Tasty is number one because he's pretty composed. Where are you? I'm probably about a nine. Oh, he's right Whoa. under you, Doc. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he's dropping a load too. <laughs> Another twelve percent Munich wine. Right. So I don't dare stand up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's probably because he has one hand down his pants and the other one on his beer, and he's probably uh, not even wearing pants. You don't want to go walking around like that. Pants. Yeah. Pants. pants. All right, I will now elevate Bug Eater above Tattoo oh, into the lead boy. position for Drunk of the Week. Can I get a second? All I need is a Aye. second. There we go. We have a second. Bug Eater, you're now, uh, you're now in the running, my friend. Oh, okay, thanks. And maybe you'll even get uh, Brew Tat's T-shirt. I a T-shirt yet from... Doesn't sound like it. 
Stone thing either. You didn't get your stone T-shirts either, even though I was told by our uh, very reliable producer that everybody had received their shirts. I hadn't gotten mine. Interesting. I haven't even gotten my Bruce Strong shirt I paid for. Oh, that's my fault. I still no. have your invoice pinned no. to my rack of... I told you, you, I ran out of Bruce Strong's. You either have to wait for the new order, or I could give you a BN Jay, shirt. it's your mom's fault. Okay, well, I'll still wait for that one. All right, and yes, it's my mother's there fault. There you go. It's always somebody's fault. Dead bitch. All right, uh, <laughs> Bug Eater, you're now at the top of the running for Drunk of the Week. And chat, what's going on with this people didn't get their stone t-shirts bullshit? Tell me you sent out stone t-shirts. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Shaq got stoned and no stone t-shirts. When, when he saw the note from Jay, he said, stone t-shirt. He went, well, fuck, I can get stoned in a t-shirt. That's the easiest job I ever done did, hey. Thanks. Almost forgot. Uh, if there were 15 supposed to go out, roughly how many didn't go out? Two. Okay. <laughs> Brucha and Bug Eater. <laughs> okay, so when you said they've the all gone out... No, the real answer is, how many people have called and asked about that yet? <laughs> Any more. <laughs> but really, when, when Jay asked you how many have gone out, you said all of them? You, you didn't hear the part, Jay, that said, but two? Oh, you, you know, I, I must not have been listening. <laughs> I actually, it wasn't really an answer, a question that needed an answer. <laughs> All right, eight hundred six ten fifteen fifty. Right now, Boog Eater is uh, in, in in the lead, but but Boog. Beer Punk wants to defend. Yeah, I didn't really know how far. Th- I, I, I don't want to take defense calls. Hang up. No defense calls. Unless you're like a lot more hammered now that you just did just, no, three just shots of bourbon. Because we got to clear that line. It's a, we right, only have right, a single right. line, and I got to go. Eight 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 four zero one beer. Uh, we'll take one more phone call, and uh, the stadium, and then we're out of here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We thought about it. Really? They had to get in the Stadium Pals stadium, in here. Stadium Pal. Mm. Sponsored by Stadium Pal. Justin's yeah. not even standing up yet. When he's really got to go, he puts it's, his mic up and he stands. It's really close to that point. Yeah. Yeah, he's, got the, he's got the little shaky thing He's got the on. shaky yeah. rock I'm about day. to line up these plastic cups that we've been drinking uh, Shay's beer out of and uh, yeah. just uh, pee right nice. down the line. Poor beer punk still thinks oak he's in on it. hold. He he's in the chat going, hello? <laughs> That's interesting. Thinks that if he types it in the chat, it comes through on the telephone, too. <laughs> yeah. Maybe so, he is drunk of the week. <laughs> so have we had a Texan yet? We've not had a Texan. I thought uh, Brutat was from Texas. No, he's from Missouri. Uh, Missouri, yeah. Oh. So, no Texans. It's all back there. Shay, where are you from originally? Sorry? Where are you from originally? Oh, where was I born? Yeah. Uh, Florida. Oh. Because you speak like 13 languages, I heard. Uh, not quite 13. No. 12. But you're up there. You got, what, three languages under your belt? Yeah. French? Yeah, French is like English, the same. To and, you? Yeah, same. Yeah, okay. Pretty much. And then like a good chunk of Hungarian. Okay. And a good uh, German for two years and Spanish for two years. And, wow. You know, I've yeah. seen him do it. It's, it's, it's really weird. He <laughs> just, he just uh, some guy over here and he's like speaking French to him and he turns over here, oh, you speak Hungarian. He's like blah, 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 over here with this guy. And Well, and I saw that you needed the French word to translate into English at one point during our interview, too. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Like, when you get past, like, two or three, what winds up happening is that, um, especially get really super faked out if I hear something. Mm-hmm. So if we're just talking normally like this, too, and all of a sudden someone walks up and says something in French or I hear something in French or Hungarian or then my brain, my brain like, a, like a railroad track goes, chunk mm. and switches over this and I go, Bleh, and I'm like, <laughs> what uh, language do you dream in? Hockey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Go sharks. Yeah. <laughs> um. Honestly, m- 
mostly English now because I've been back for a while. Uh, but the reality is that um, if I see, <laughs> that's the other thing too, if I see something on the television or, or hear music that's either Hungarian or French, then that stays with me in the in the dreams. Okay. Do you yeah. dream about French girls or yeah. Hungarian girls? No, when I was in France, I, I, I went to American University in Paris, and so we had uh, 83 nationality. Wow. We had 1,000 something students. That's hot. 83 nationalities. And so, it was, so we were in Paris, but we had people from everywhere, and it was fantastic because yeah, everybody knew all these different sayings and feelings that were only worked in one language. It was perfect for describing just that, and everybody knew that. So it wasn't pretentious. It was like that was the one that worked, and everybody knew that, and so everybody went there together. But when you get out of that environment, it's really strange. Okay. <laughs> what was your favorite? Uh, uh, that was probably it. All right. That was the one. Let me yeah, get through this. Pseudo right. chef from he's Texas. He still has to pee. I know. Pseudo, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> I have to stand up. Oh, he's up. <laughs> no, he's up. He's up. Pseudo chef, what's going on? Okay, it's not going to take the call, then uh, we're out of here. All right, All right. Uh, Bug Eater is our Drunk of the Week and our winner of Belgian Candy Sugar. Congratulations, Bug Eater from Nebraska. Good job, everybody. you got to pay attention if you're going to call in and just I'm uh, pro-Belgian Candy Sugar, party. just so you know that. Yeah, you like that stuff, too? Oh, fantastic. I've heard nothing but good things, and we got a couple experiments going. Beautiful fig. Okay. Beautiful figs, beautiful, just gorgeous complexity. All right. Oh, we're getting a phone call. Too bad. All right. Uh, all right, Schumann, uh, you going to, uh, you know, have, Get a, little, some? have a, little, a little fun tonight? Yeah, I might ask you some advice, though. You need some advice. <laughs> yeah, through I the intercom. I would ask Jay for advice. He's had all the good advice tonight, so okay. maybe after the program, ask him, not me. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm out of good ideas. I would love to hear Schumann go, you know, so what, you know, because she's kind of like a tough nut to crack, and I just really, you know, I'd love to say, just punch her real hard. <laughs> But can she take a punch? Yeah. <laughs> she's really hot. She's tall. She's but can she take a punch? She put a restraining order against me, but my love for her was stronger than that. <laughs> so my friends kidnapped her. They're bringing her over soon, yeah. and I Shut smell good for her. Stop pouting. We're yeah. good. Yeah, you look like me now. We're good. Like angry and pouty. And yeah. Pouty. Yeah. Like I need yeah. another JP around here. Yeah, yeah like he needs another. J- <laughs> you hey, pouting bastard! What the fuck? All right. <laughs> Shay, great job tonight. Yeah, Thank you very show. much. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you very much for having me. It's really enjoyable. All right. Uh, I hope you come back. I, I really do. Oh, he's I got much more th- than this to talk about. We can oh, cover yeah. some more action, I think, with Shay. That'd be great. Tasty, good job tonight. Uh, don't yeah. yawn while we're at the end of the program. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm boring you. You're not. <laughs> well, I'm still tired, though. Go with your first feeling, right? All right, Doc, don't forget that we're off next week. A little Thanksgiving break, okay? You get off next week? Yes. So you can show up and we can hang out. We're but not there's here no Sunday? show. Okay. No, no Sunday right. show. No Sunday show. Holy no Friday God. show. Right. Holy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're out of work, bud. What am I going to do for attention now? I don't know. You're going to have to uh, figure something out. Fondle your cat? <laughs> we are back on December 7th with Siebel Institute. So that'll be our next Sunday session. we got Siebel on the Siebel. program, and we'll learn a bunch from them. So, uh, yeah. Of course, you can buy books, podcasts, and shirts at the Brewing Network store. You can buy Brew Your Own Magazine by clicking on the banner. It shows up at random on individual pages. And finally, please visit and support our sponsors. They're the ones, along with you donators, that keep this show coming week after week. Thanks, everybody. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you in a couple weeks.
about Yeah, you know what I am talking about But don't you 